Hold on to your bobby socks, girls. Here's one of America's most popular crooners, Dick Hames, with a song for your special listening pleasure. See the USA in your Chevrolet. America's asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA. America's the greatest land of all. On a highway or road along a levee. Performance is sweeter, nothing can beat her. Life is completer in a Chevy. So make a day today to see the USA and see it in your Chevrolet. Travel and ease. Travel and west. Wherever you go, Chevy service is best. Southward or north, near place or far. There's a Chevrolet dealer for your Chevrolet car. Whether traveling lighter with a load that's heavy, performance is sweeter, nothing can beat her. Life is completer in a Chevy. So make a day today to see the USA and see it in your Chevrolet. So there's the whole Chevrolet sound. I never knew it existed before. Hi, everybody. Mamma mia. Hi, everybody. It's Saturday night, October 31, year 2015. This is Wong Hughes in Costa Mesa. And over there with her Italian accent, it's the one, the adorable, <laughs> the one from Florida, the, <laughs> you know, the one that makes terrific pasta. Because Mamma Mia must be a good pasta meal. <laughs> That's the spicy meatball. <laughs> Here she oh, is, the adorable one, Patricia. It is I, the mouse of the no, actually the mouse of the house. I the like mouse that of the house. I will be the mouse of the house. Happy Halloween, everybody! Yeah. Why do I have Halloween information for us tonight? Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! And daylight savings time. Hmm. I wasn't too sure how we're going to handle that, so I set my recorders to go extra long just in case Patricia feel chipper. You know. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now here here is a case for leaving our clocks alone, and then I will say hello, everybody, and then I have a whole bunch of stuff before we open the phones. Okay. This is from me. The American. College of Cardiology came out with information that there is a 25% increase in the number of heart attacks on the Monday after the clocks move ahead. Now, if that isn't a reason to keep us just stable don't, and steady. Don't move. Don't move those things. No. Yeah, 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 we're saving money. We're, we're saving yeah, and the interesting thing is when we go back to normal, mm-hmm. is, whatever that is, <laughs> we, we go back, like tonight, we're moving backward and getting back into standard time. Yep. There's a 21% decrease on the Tuesday after the clocks go back. Why Tuesday? I don't know. You know, I'm glad I don't uh, live by the clock. Oh, man. You know, but the rest of my 
world lives by the clock. I know. And it, it doesn't intrude very often, but when it does, boy, it comes in with boots. <laughs> it, it is just, I, you know. I, I am one of the fortunate people that have, don't have to set my alarm clock in my life because it's sort of my schedule. I work, like tonight, this, a lot of the last two weeks, I'm working until 5 in the morning. And my family realized I, I have these interesting hours. So, you know, I'm not... So, if I sleep until my body says time to get up, then I don't mind going back to take a nap to catch up. So, so that. And stuff like that there. Yeah. Can I tell you on the air how much money people spend on Halloween? Not on the air yet. You haven't disclosed that, inf- that tidbit of information. We're not on the air? We are near yes, now. Are. Yeah, now we are. Now. But yeah. But when you, when you yeah, and I I'm, talked about it before, nobody heard that. I know, you but I'm, I want to do it now. Okay. Halloween is the number two holiday expenditure day I'm, of the year. Wow. Christmas is number one. Halloween is number two. Last year, people spent $7.5 billion on Halloween. This year, the expectation is that it will be what they call a slight decrease, a mere $600 million. $6.9 What's the difference between $6.6 billion, which is how many millions? Uh, $600 million. That's what I thought. Look, I mean, look, Patricia, you you and I could support the Yesterday USA family on $600 million, at least for a little while. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, $7.5 billion. That just blew me away. And then Walden and I were talking for a couple of minutes before the show started. Yeah. And silly me, I forgot. People dress up their dogs for Halloween, too. <laughs> well, I want, you know, I'm wondering how much costumes are. I mean, the one that people buy in the store. I, I'm asking those things that must have gone up crazy. Oh, my gosh. Hey, let me go. Let me see. Because, you know, I remember at the kid, they were really... You know, it's sort of like a little plastic mask and a little outfit that lasted about one time before they shrunk away. So I imagine those things, you know, Kmart, was, we would buy them at Kmart and the way we'd go as little kids. And I can't imagine, I have no idea what those things were in the early yeah, 70s. Um, but you know, a lot of people came out of the era where, um, I'm, I'm looking for numbers here, where moms and kids made their own uniforms. Right. Correct. They got dressed up as pirates, and they put black marks on their face, and and they had play pretend swords and princesses and stuff like that there. Right. Okay, the cost of a pirate costume. Let's see here. Um, For kids. Okay, adults. Yeah. Davy Jones mask. Not a costume. A mask. 50 bucks. Wow. A pirate cat. <laughs> I guess that's something that you carry if you're dressed up like a pirate. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It looks like a regular cat with a little skull and crossbones cap on it. That's $11. But you can't dress, get dressed in that. You have to carry it. So, uh, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This is really scary. Uh, let's see. The average... 
without excess of it. Okay, Salva, the price of a kid's costume today yeah. Yeah. is an average of $29.60, and that's without accessories, meaning like your little carry bag or, okay. you know, hats and stuff like that there. So... Thirty bucks. I'm surprised okay. it's that low. I, I would I if I, I would have just bet almost eighty bucks, but I just Yeah, i am surprised. Yeah. yeah. And of course that's that's just one. I'll have to mm-hmm. dig around a little bit more and see that. But you know, I mean that's that's thirty bucks to send your kid out to come home with something to get and then, on a and then how much and how much, <laughs> Then how much candy do you buy? Do you buy I bet you buy have to buy feel you feel guilty if you send your kids out trick-or-treating you and you don't buy no more than $2 worth of candy at home for the giveaway. So, you know, I imagine parents are probably spending 10 to $20 on giveaways for the oh, neighborhood. Oh, my goodness, at least. At least. Um, and, of course, it depends on what area. I mean, I set aside a bunch of quarters in case I had munchkins come through the door. Mm-hmm. But it's highly unlikely that they're going to go around to the front of the building and up <laughs> two flights of stairs. But you never know. Once in a while, for a while, I had um, every couple of years, I would have a couple. But, uh, you know, parents, Larry and I were talking about this. And um, I don't know, would, would the three of us or just Larry and I were yeah, talking about it? Yeah, the three of us, but you two were really getting to decide. Yeah, uh-huh. um, but... You have to be so careful with kids, and it's so sad because so many of us have such good memories about being able to dress up like little beggars and go yeah. around big for candy, and you'd always have somebody say, well, if I don't give you a treat, what kind of a trick will you play? And, of course, we'd sit there and say, what? <laughs> this isn't in the script. <laughs> well, I wonder if this part we do because – Oh, I was grew up in the neighborhood for many, many years, so you knew the, you knew the people in the surroundings, so there was a comfort level. Well, that that's true in the immediate neighborhood, but mm-hmm. we even went outside our neighborhoods. Okay. Um, you know, our immediate neighborhood was like three doors in, in either sure. direction, three across the street, and sure. three on either side. So I mean, it was really, um, we did in my family anyway have a very tight control on how far we were allowed to stray from the house. Well, we, we, um, but on Halloween, as long as we were in a group, you know, more than good, you know, two or three kids or more going around at the same time, it was considered safe. Oh, what in my neighborhood, like kid, we always had a parent that go with the group. Mm-hmm. And I showed her how it was done here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Show your own chaperone. Now it's really taken over here, everybody. Organize um, parties. Yes, uh, I think that's nationwide. Yeah, but actually in different churches now. There's a thing we were discussing at dinner, and, and there's a thing called trunk or treat now. It's really big. Where, trunk or treat? Yeah, trunk or treat. And what they do, you decorate the trunk of your car. <laughs> okay. And you and you drive all everybody drives the car to the church park, and they and they open up the truck so they have all these different Halloween displays. And they give out candy to the kids. And it's a major phenomenon out here on the West Coast. Well, yeah, that is really fun because the kids can actually go from place to place and say trick or treat. Right, right. What's so, fun? Yeah, so that That's is. a very creative way of getting around the dilemma. So that is. That's a high five from me. I, 
And it's, you know, I think if my guess is within the last seven, seven, eight years that that phenomenon has just taken off out here in California. Yeah. And this is the first I've heard of it. Yeah. So, and some some started in the afternoon. They did it from three to five and shut it down. So it basically kicked out the munchkins, basically. You know. Yeah. You know, so that's sort of the uh, the, the organized. Halloween stuff that's going on around here right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to be vindicated here in a minute because the number I gave you was from 2013, so it's two years old. Okay. So so okay. everything have adjusted downward, so it's only a couple million dollars, right, and $7.5 Yeah, we're up to $45 for an average <laughs> Halloween costume. <laughs> Holy cats, I can live for two weeks for $45. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. I know. I know. Oh, my goodness. It could buy you you a lot of submarine sandwiches for the year, Patricia. Yeah. Except I don't eat a lot. It could buy me a lot of bunny food. I know. But I'm just thinking when you do do treat yourself, that could could take take care of your two-year supply or whatever. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Pretty much. Remind me to tell you about my bunny food dilemmas this week. Okay. Huh. Okay. okay. Can we ask the big question of the week? What? Do we or don't we have milk in the house? Oh, yes, we do. Okay. So we, we know Patricia's not going anywhere tonight. No, she doesn't have to say it. Excuse <laughs> me, please. No. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Um... Okay, here we go. It was included. The dogs were included in the total. Um, $350 million on costumes for animals. Where did that phenomenon start? I, I don't know. I mean, far be it for me to suggest how people are sh- should be spending their money, but I look at the what-ifs of something like that. $350 million in food banks across America. How how much food would that buy? Because the food or, banks or, or get not, or not, you know it's like yeah. toys for tots. They buy in volume and or, they get breaks. Or, or what did out here the food banks out here? All the food is donated. They're donated yes. by restaurants and and grocery chains, so they don't have to spend the money on the food itself. It's sort of the yeah, uh, yeah. You know. Hours people people drive in with boxes of food, mm-hmm. especially if they're moving. Or they're going away for vacation, or they're coming down right. here for winter. Right. They go through their pantries and clear out their pantries, canned goods, box goods, anything that isn't perishable, and they bring them all to the food banks, which is really cool. Very nice. Yeah. Just speaking. A lot of people on Thanksgiving. Well, I'm just thinking here for Thanksgiving, everybody. If you um. If you want to help a family for Thanksgiving this year, my Lion Club had noticed that's sort of a tradition that my Lion Club helped as many people as possible. But maybe because we're such a diverse culture now, a lot of families don't understand how to prepare a turkey or all the, the, the American trimmings with it now. Mm-hmm. And so we have pretty much gotten to the point that we buy the actual turkey ball and then you know it's up. Then the different families decide how they want what side mm-hmm. dishes they want because they yeah. a lot more now different than what we traditionally grew up with now. Mm-hmm. Our local Salvation Army, I don't know if this is nationwide, but our local Salvation Army opens its doors to anyone mm-hmm. who wants to come in and have 
Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, they encourage people who are, I mean, like, you know, parents with kids. Yep. And they simply cannot afford to put together a Thanksgiving dinner, which can be a pretty pricey oh, affair. Yeah. And so they ask in the community to please donate turkeys. Oh. And my gosh, one year the local newspaper put out how many turkeys short they were that they would have to close the doors right. at this particular number. They got such a flood of turkeys. <laughs> I mean, you know, people went to the store and they bought frozen turkeys and brought frozen turkeys to the Salvation Army um, building. Wonderful. And they had enough turkeys to put away for feeding people for, for several months out. Yeah. And it, it was just so cool that people read that and said, oh, crikey, I can buy a turkey. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they did. They went out and they bought an extra turkey. And, and I mean, they weren't huge. And if you shop around, you can really get good prices on a good-sized turkey. And there were enough people in the community who had the money to do it, and they were willing to do it. And they just flooded the Salvation Army with turkeys. And it, it was such a great story to hear. That's a great story. I think I, I remind me of one great Salvation Army story. You remember the founder of McDonald's? Who, mm -hmm. His name was Ray Kroc, everybody. And he, you know, came up to get the franchise idea of McDonald's and owned the Padres. And then he passed away and his wife Joan ran it. And she passed away and her decrease in her estate... She dedicated a lot of money to a lot of different charity, but uh, the thing caught my eye. How much do you think her estate donated to the Salvation Army, Patricia? Oh, I wouldn't even begin to know. I know. It's a staggering amount of money. Um, <laughs> I can get staggered by a not very much money. <laughs> what, what, um, what was a staggering amount? Well, it tells you, let's put it this way, the number I'm going to give you, and this was just one of many things that she donated to, tells you, mm -hmm. makes you wonder how much money they made off McDonald's. So here it is, everybody. One billion with a B dollars. Gosh. They made a lot of money off of all 15 cents hamburgers. I, I know. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, what a special person oh. to do that. One billion dollars. But you want to share some that amount of money and make it do something nice yeah. for other people. Yeah. You know, a billion make their lives dollars. better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've I've got a bunch of stuff tonight. Good. Aside from Halloween, I'm going to be dropping Halloween information from, in, <laughs> from now until next Halloween. I've got so much. Ah, pumpkins are indigenous to this to the New World. They didn't come over with people. They were here. How about that? Oh, so, that's, okay. That's my... <laughs> it's a, it's a squ isn't it a squash? A squash, really? A pumpkin? Is a squ I think so. Okay. I think you are correct. They grow the same way. Yeah. Do I have to look it up? No. No. Thank you. No. Because, okay. because you, you don't so have to look did, up other the, stuff. Yeah. No. We did the clock change. Maybe if the American College of Cardiologists gets moving, we can finally get our clocks squared away. Okay. So I've got a million pieces of wonderful information that I dug up about War of the Worlds. 
Yesterday, ah. October 30th, uh-huh. was the anniversary of War of the Worlds. It was broadcast in 1938. Did I get that right? Very good. 1938. October 30th, 1938. Mm-hmm. And there was so much fun information behind the scenes that I had never heard before. And that doesn't mean other people haven't heard it, but it was new to me. And I, I have a bunch of it to share about that. So we got War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. We've got, um, oh, just a a little announcement. Walgreens, I guess, is a coast-to-coast firm because I put in all sorts of um, zip codes and addresses came up, so I guess they're all over the place. And on Tuesday, AARP members who are 55 and older will get 20% off everything in the store. Well, well, not it, cigarettes or yeah. drugs, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, all the goodies. is a lot of dollars. Yeah. Well, you know, you noticed that Walgreens promotion was, was Rite Aid this week. I know. They gobbled up Rite Aid. Yeah. Walgreens bought them. So, bought them outright. Yep. So, so there's going to be 18,000 stores. Wow. Well, they, they are trucking. <laughs> I've got a couple of funnies for you. Okay. I get lately an increasing number of robot calls, of um, sales calls, and I'm on the do not call list, but it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> when they call from India, what are you going to do? You know? right. <laughs> Say right. hello. Good evening. My name is Max. Max, hello. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there are there are yeah Ralph too <laughs> and Joe and yeah and Ed. Um, there are websites where you can check to find out where these numbers are coming from. I don't answer them if I don't recognize it or it says unavailable. Anybody who calls me, you better put a name or something in there because if it says unavailable, I don't, you know, the ID is unavailable. Mm-hmm. I don't pick up the phone. But occasionally I do. I make a mistake. <laughs> so I went out with a number this week. I wanted to leave a message about who contacted me. And <laughs> The guy on top of my note, you know, the the page comes up and people leave their little notes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This guy wanted to know how to fix my windows. You know, you get calls from India and they want access to your computer because they've detected, you know, it's Microsoft. So he says they wanted to fix my windows. And I told him, gosh, that's really great because winter is coming and the wind is blowing. And then he asked me if I was near my computer, and I said yes. And he wanted to know what I saw, and I said trees, and he hung up. <laughs> well, that just, it just made my day. Well, just made my day. So can I, can, somebody... go ahead. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I have a sidebar. Once you complete I, that. Okay, complete. I just wanted to add, so the next time you get some guy from India calling and wanting you to give him access to your computer because Microsoft has detected that you've got a problem, right. you may say, fix my windows? Yay! Come right over. <laughs> <laughs> your windows need caulking. I've got a broken one that needs change. Okay, what's your sidebar? My sidebar, our, our friend Don Richard, he's a Yesterday USA w- webmaster and computer Genius. He got mm-hmm. one of those calls. So for, guess what he did for fun? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but. And Don is really sharp. I mean, he knows computers. And yeah. so he he uh, he got the call from me saying that your computer is generating these viruses. Through, and I said, okay. So they, they started walking through different steps. Mm-hmm. 
and press this button, that button. So they did for 45 minutes. And they wanted to know, and after they said, you see anything? And Don said, can I ask a question? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do I turn on my computer now? He had him do. He had him go through all the steps for forty-five minutes before he never turned on the computer. But you know, because he, he knew how everything looked yeah. mentally, he could he could outfake him practically. So that's yeah. that's what he did. That's fun. Oh, I told my. I told one who called and wanted to fix my windows that I was on a Mac, and he <laughs> said, "Mac, hello." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, then I'll tell you. I'll well, tell you. I, I, my, one, of my, one of my late neighbors who passed away, Bruce, you know, nowadays, I don't know if people notice a lot of these telemarketing calls are computer-dialed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you really want to have fun with them, what he would do, he would pick up the phone and they start talking, and then he would walk away and just leave the phone off hook. And so that jams the whole system because they can't, once they hang up, they can't dial because his phone has to release oh, the but system. They can. Yeah. So, so that's, that, that, that's for, for a while, that was, that was holding them up for a while. So. Yeah. And he, they used to have to pay per call on an 800 number. How do they do that now? I think it's my, I, my understanding is a flat fee per month. It is? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I got one this week for the first time that I know of anyway because mm-hmm. I don't pick up that often. Yeah. There is a robot system now that has a a truly human voice. It will identify herself as a woman's voice, right. and it's a binary system, a yes, no, mm-hmm. one or the other type thing. Right. And the system is programmed for her to give appropriate responses wow. to your responses. So it, it starts out with, this is Rebecca, and I'm, I, I'm happy to talk with you. How are you? And if you say fine, she'll respond, I'm so glad to hear that. Wow. I wanted to talk to you about. If you say, I'm lousy, she will say, I'm so sorry you're having a bad day. Wow. And then go to another sentence. This thing is programmed to respond to human. I mean, it's a, a human-to-human sound, but it's a robot on the other end. Now, if that isn't scary, That's scary. I don't know what is. That's what I'm going back to sci-fi, practically. Um, it you, is. It is. It is. You know, okay. a, a lot of time, because I pick up the, I, a lot of time I'm the one that pick up the phone here at the main house number sometime. And mm-hmm. I can tell when, just before they ever talk, I can tell one, if it's a one of those computer-generated calls because now, sure. well, I them have a little bell, and when you pick up the phone, if you pick put your ear to the earpiece fast enough, you can hear them, bing, so you know you're on a one of those computer-generated. Really? Yes. Really. And the other one, most of them take three seconds. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you say hello, you respond. Uh, so sometimes they're generated by a second hello, and then it quits into master control. Yeah. So for the human-generated calls, those are also auto dials. Right. They'll hit auto dial, and they will not click in or pick up until they hear a voice on the other end. And usually they're pretty quick, but if you've got more than a full second or two seconds, 
it just hang up. Mm-hmm. It's a sales call. Yeah. There will be a human on the other end, but it's a sales call when yeah. you get that kind of a, you know. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I have I have one piece of information and then a question. Costumes, Halloween costumes. In Alabama, it is illegal to fraudulently pretend to be a clergyman. So you had better not get dressed up like a preacher or a a nun or, yes, or a rabbi. Yes, because you will get arrested and fined. Wow. (laughs) This is pretty scary. Yeah. Pretty scary. Okay. And then, and then I will ask you and others, which is the most popular Halloween candy? I would say it's Patricia's favorite of last week, the three months to two bars. Isn't that interesting? No. No, it is not. Hmm. You will be happy to know. Oh, good. It's not Karen. (laughs) 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 Well, it just isn't. Okay, Snickers is number one. How about that? I thought we were going to let the audience pick that, but that's good. I like Snickers. Would, I like I you, like the nuts. You would not have picked that. No, I wouldn't have thought of it. Okay, I probably would have gone to Reese's or Mao's or Ma, Ma, the Mars bars. I probably would not have thought of Snickers. Okay. Okay. See, I don't know how. Uh, see, I didn't think. See, uh, how many people like nuts? And now we seen it. <laughs> I don't know. We got crazy ones. I know, <laughs> but now you hear more and more people having these peanut allergies and things like that. So I yes. want, I'm yes, wondering yes, yes. if that have uh, hurt the Snickers people somewhat. I don't mm-hmm. know. Get the thought? I don't know. Do Snickers have peanuts? I've never eaten one. Yes, they have peanuts. They have sm- they it's let, got lumps. Maybe that's why I never eat Yeah, them. you're not a lumpy person. No, I'm, no, I am not a lumpy person. No, no. Okay. Do you know where the the word Halloween comes from. It's not Halloween, it's Halloween. Mm. Well, I think it, it it was a it was a well, I think the origin was a fall festival of harvesting. But I don't was, no, I yes. don't know and, anything beyond that. Okay. In Celtic years you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um it was the feast of the harvest just before winter. Halloween is the eve of the hallowed, meaning the holy people. It's the evening before it, before the celebration of the holy people. And in many Christian religions, November 1st is All Saints Day. Oh. And those are the hallowed people, the holy people, the blessed people. And it is Halloween, meaning uh, it's an abbreviation of evening. The evening of the All Hallowed. So, that's my education Very for nice. tonight. I, I, I found out a few, oh, about 20 years ago, the origin of trick-or-treating. Ah, okay. It was very interesting. It was <laughs> a way for them to feed the homeless. The original premise mm-hmm. was to go out and gather food, and they gave it away to people who didn't have it. It was a way for them to have fun. And donate the food to charity to to people who needed uh-huh. who needed it. Now it's the racial premise of trick or treating. 
We need to get back to that. Yeah. And, um, I mean, again, I, I'm not telling people how to spend their own money, for goodness sakes. But there, there's an opportunity there that we've lost along the way. Nothing like having oh, well. nothing like having fun and helping other people at the same time. True. Yeah. True. And then later, if you're really good to me, <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you all about candy corn. <laughs> <laughs> Sugar corn syrup. Duck, 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 duck. <laughs> oh, yucko, yucko, yucko. Okay. And I also have some information. All right, I won't tell you what this is. You know how they play Jeopardy with Alex Trebek? Trebek, I, Trebek. Yeah, I, I, Trebek, you know, I had, I talked to him about a, a, over a year ago. Um, uh huh. Can't find knows him. Uh, I. When you know, I, the, the premise of Jeopardy is he gives the answer yeah. and the contestant has to come up with the question. I've never watched it very much, so I, I don't think I would be very good at that. Well, I, I want to play one one round with you. Okay. $24,000 is the answer. What is the question? That's how much Patricia spent on candy today. <laughs> right. <laughs> $24,000 is the current bid on a movie poster, Tarzan the Ape, the Tarzan the Ape Man from uh-huh. 1932. 24 And the bidding doesn't end for... My gosh, 20 days. Patricia, I think this is a good business for you and I to go into, if to find movie posters. To buy movie no, posters? No, to find them. To find them and put them on for oh, auction. to find? Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. I think this oh, be... gosh, yes. May I... I go through your attic, please? We are not crazy people, <laughs> I promise. We are just curious. Phew, $24,000. A Frankenstein, 17000 and that, that's just a window card, 14 by 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, not, I mean, just small. Yeah. Do you know the movie The Red-Headed Woman from 1932 with Jean Harlow and I, Chester Morris? No, I'm not familiar with that one, no. I never heard of it. That one's going for 16000 with wow. 20 days left on the bidding. Wow. Isn't that scary? Wow. Mickey Mouse. Fifteen thousand. <laughs> I I just well that's it for tonight, guys. <laughs> and, and and War of the Worlds. We'll do later War of the Worlds. But I was listening to Fibber McGee and Molly last night. Mm-hmm. I believe it was one of the fifteen minute programs and that's why I didn't hear any audience reaction. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I'm not even sure how many people would have gotten it, but Doc Gamble came in and Fibber greeted him with, Well, hello, Sir Lancelot. <laughs> Do you know what he meant? Well, he talking about the uh, the famous play? No. It, it, it took me just a quick minute to realize what he had said. Lance a lot when you lance a wound lance a lot yes and wow. and that was his doctor greeting and my bet is if he if they had done it in front of a, a sit down audience it would have not gone over it would have barely a ripple barely a, and it was just such a great piece of genius writing just genius writing I wish I could write like Don Quinn did wow 
good stuff. But I anyway, bet, that's, I, that's I, my... I, I bet you could. What? You could write, write down, Quinn. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I think I could. You I could into a, a role with something like that. It, it's a rhythm. It's a rhythmic response after the first couple of... I think what I what I probably been have you been have you uh, been a junior writer on a on a show like that for a year or so then then you could have banked that on your own. I agree, I agree because you honest to goodness get into a rhythm mm-hmm. and you start thinking like the characters you think like the other writers. It's, yeah, I would have loved that. I might have gotten fired, but <laughs> I would have loved to jump in and and give it the old college try. By sure. the way, speaking of writers, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Jack Benny show had a great four writers on the show. You know, mm-hmm. when they took over, mm-hmm. Milk Josephberg, John Tackerberry, Joyce Balser. And Milk Josephberg came out with his book uh, in 1970, which was a great hit, the history of uh, the Jack Benny show. Mm-hmm. And George was working on his book, and he put it away. And he just didn't bother to publish it. Well, Laura Leff had posted the manuscript. She gotten She posted the unpublished manuscript on her website. So Henry, and it has a different angle how uh, uh, George, the comedy writer, went walked through the jokes and everything. So if you go to jackbenny.org, click on features, you can read uh, the unpublished manuscript of George Balser. What a shame that it's unpublished. He well, didn't. He did in, not. In yeah, a he, sense, he it's just, published now. It published now, but he just didn't. He just didn't. You know, one Joseph book came out of book. He didn't see anything for him to publish his. And I think. Wow. A, I think a lot of us thought that's too bad. He should have just gone ahead and done it. No, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's now. Oh it, my! It's now available. Oh. All right, I've, I've got just a couple of little tidbits about War of the Worlds. Uh-huh. The War of the Worlds. I always forget to put the V in there. Yeah. Okay, there has been recently much skepticism and boo-hiss-type stuff being published about the War of the Worlds, especially this time of the year, that it was overblown, that it was a re- the responsibility of the press that made it sound like there was panic. There was no panic. There was a, a survey done um, the night that this was being broadcast, and only, oh gosh, I don't know, 2% of the people said they were watching it, and therefore it wasn't a bad deal. Well, there were a couple of things, and you, I, I want you to jump in and contribute to this. There are a couple of things that came into my mind when I read that, that if it were a nationwide survey, um, people in California would not be nearly as worried about a Martian invasion as the folks in, in mid-New Jersey uh, and in New York City because that's where the Martians were crossing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if 50% of the calls were west of Pennsylvania, I can understand why people were saying, no, we're not watching it, or listening to it, rather, or no, we're not scared. Um, People, it didn't mention how many people, how many phone calls they made, and there was nobody on the other end that nobody picked up. People who were listening to this were not likely to walk away and pick up the telephone. So, you know, that that has to get factored in. Mm Mm-hmm. 
there were a lot of people already out on the roads because they were panicked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, we're never going to get a handle on this, but my great-grandmother was one of the people who was in an absolute panic and was out on the street looking for a ride out of New York City. She was German, spoke very little English, depended on people around her to help her. And then at that time in New York City, they had German neighborhoods, Italian neighborhoods, Jewish neighborhoods. You know, it it was ethnic because if all you spoke was German, you wanted a German neighbor. And so however this information was transferred to her, it certainly wasn't through the radio because she didn't understand English that well. Something was happening in her neighborhood, and her neighbors were out in the streets and running, and so was she. So, you know, those those kinds of things aren't factored in. She didn't even have a telephone. She was panicked and didn't even have a telephone. She was just a little old lady whose husband had just died. Um, so, you know, those, those kinds of things are not factored in. So what do you think well, about the reported panic? Yeah. Michael Bill quote a survey about 400 people listening to the bar. To me, that's, that's really t- too small of a sample to really put anything yeah. Concrete. I, I think a couple of factors too. I'm trying to remember what time it is. I think Mercury Theater, October th- was a Sunday. And I'm trying to think what time of the day the Mercury Theater show was on. I think it was 8 o'clock uh, East Coast, mm-hmm. which would have been 5 o'clock out here. And I'm assuming 5 o'clock, there's been there my, how many people. 38 out here on the West Coast would really take it too seriously or pay attention to it on the West Coast. Exactly. Because of the day. Now, John Dunning came across some articles and, you know, he lived in Denver and when Mm -hmm. he was doing his research that some people in Colorado um, I remember Colorado, everybody, at least an hour or two hours ahead, got got nervous and then they went into the hills to hide and he had some article that it took the sheriff a couple of days to round up the people who went out, out in the hills. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of activity that was not measurable by somebody picking up a phone and saying, are you listening to War of the World? Right. And then the personal anecdote that we have is the story that Steve Allen told that when John Lurie interviewed him about his memories, he was in Chicago at the time. He was 17 doing his homework. So let's say this had been about 7 o'clock on a Sunday, and his, he, he was sharing a, a room with his mom and aunt, and so he was looking for music to do his homework by. So he started on to the, the Wars of the World because they had band music, you know, that, that early yeah. part. Exactly. And, and, and exactly. so he wasn't paying any attention, but his mother and aunt picked up and got nervous. And so... That's when they took the mad dash down to the hallway. I mean, down to the, mm-hmm. uh, and they they got down to the lobby. Everybody, and it struck them that nobody was panicking. And then the typical Allen family, uh, as you know, they were getting people historical until they hit the lobby. Then they burst into laughter. They realized it was a prank. And so they realized it was a prank. After they were taken in in the beginning. No, they uh, they were taken in, and so they took the elevator back up to the room, mm-hmm. and you know what was Steve Allen's mother's 
first comments after they got back to the room? What? She said, well, you know, we're going to have to find a new place tomorrow because all these people think we're going to be we're, we're crazy, you know. So, <laughs> so. well, um, I caught the second half of a PBS documentary on this, and it was on today, which is kind of surprising. I would have, well, it's Friday, of course. But there were a couple of quotes from legitimate people like Orson Welles' daughter, and she said, when somebody is as smart as my father was, it was very difficult for him to understand how anyone could fall for this. How could they? Well, they could, <laughs> and well, they did. Yeah, well, um, the, the, the cast, or, like Orson Welles and the cast, felt this was the worst script of the year. They just talked, going in, they, they knew this was going to be a total bomb. You know, that's really interesting because it was it was adapted from H.G. Wells' Correct. War of the Worlds. But so I'm, it was a legitimate piece of literature that had been around since the late 1800s. But, I mean, how many people go to the library when you're in the middle of depression and you go to the library and say, may I please have H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds? But Howard Kosh, who had assigned the project, mm-hmm. he hit Robert Block on Tuesday. He didn't know what to do with the story. Wow. And so that's when John that's when John Houseman went over to and that's uh how he got the idea of grabbing you know remember the old days when gasoline stations used to have maps. He mm-hmm. he was how Howard was visiting his dad he picked up a map um of New Jersey. And so when John Houseman came over to help him with his writer's block, he always figured how to get the Martian landed and where in what part of New Jersey, just because he figured out the map. But that's, but but they they struggled with the script. They just did not think it was a very good script. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And actually, you know, the script probably wasn't the most sterling piece of work, but the delivery was fabulous. I mean, it just ironed out any bump that he could have possibly had in the script. Because the, the presentation was so well done. And that was, so or, well done. And, and that was Orson Welles' idea. Because he missed the rehearsal. He missed the first rehearsal. It was, directed, mm-hmm. it was run by Paul Stewart. So the time he got to the way of it, he did not like the pacing of it. And so that's why he came up with the idea of slowing it down and trying to simulate real time. And that's mm-hmm. when he came up with the idea of the station breaks and the, and the band remotes and things like that to... Yes. Yes. Type in some and the news reports breaking in. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really, really cool. Yeah. It may have been Hausman who made this comment, someone associated with the show. And they had, obviously, this was, they, they were pulling out archive interviews because Hausman, of course, is not with us today. But Hausman said, and he, he said, Wells was as apologetic <laughs> in a chocolate chip cookie when he, when he sat and, and had this hound dog look on his face and how awful it must have been for people, yada, 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 yada. <laughs> he said, Orson Wells said he, he looked like an early Christian saint. <laughs> <laughs> he was, and Hausman said Wells was masterful in his astonishment. He looked like an early Christian saint, and he really did. I mean, it was just priceless. Just priceless. Well, you know, we still have one cast member left from the show. Really? Yes. No. His name is William Hurd. He's the one that does the CB, the, the uh, short wave call, you know, CX4 to CX4. Uh-huh. 
he's the one still around. So I had him on twice, and I think when, when we had the 75th anniversary, so we called him and got his memories of that. But uh, he, oh, he, he is, uh, he gotta be over a hundred now, you know. To, uh, but he, you know, the, the other members of the Mercury Theaters that are still around, um, were on that particular broadcast. But I, when, but I interviewed them anyway, get to get a semblance what their memories of the Mercury Theaters was like. But uh, so we had three of them on, but one of them was on that particular broadcast. So. Wow. That's still pretty good. So That's still seventy seven yeah. years later still have somebody around for the uh for the Indeed. broadcast. Yeah. Indeed. Peter Bogdanovich uh-huh. also had a film clip in this. He's a film director. Right. And his comment was what happened as far as the show is concerned, the Mercury Theater on the Air finally got a sponsor, Campbell Soup. That's true. <laughs> so, there was some good and of course this catapulted Orson Welles into his career. Citizen Kane was the first thing he did after War of the Worlds because people finally realized that they had a real piece of gold in Orson Welles. So anyway, that's that's the end of my story. I've got a whole bunch of stuff. If we get a break in calls, I'll just sneak in a whole bunch of stuff. You bet. Hi, Walden. Hi, Patricia. How are you? Good. What are you going to do with your day off next week? You know, I I just thought about that today. I started <laughs> putting together, I have some notes for next week, and I started to put the date on my notes, and I said, there is no next week. <gasps> oh, I think I'll read. <laughs> this is my extra day. Like I asked last week, what would you do with an honest to good, real, uh-huh. real, real for real uh-huh. extra day? Uh-huh. Yeah. So- I, so I really don't know. I'll probably continue <laughs> cleaning out closets. I'm on a roll. <laughs> Have you shipped? Have, have you? Know, there's have, have there's be, nothing better than the threat of having to move to get you moving. I know. Your so have have you gone through more boxes? Or you still haven't bothered to look at the boxes there. Oh, of course I have. Oh. I'm, I mailed four on Friday. Wow. So what's on what's on the down on the pile then? Uh, I don't want to count, <laughs> but but I transferred all the Phil Harris and Alice faves. Right. Well, at least the ones in the, the folder. Ones here. I, now I found a whole... Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I still have one binder here, so... Uh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. All right, I can handle a binder, not a box. Well, no. No, that's okay. I can do that. I but can always drop boxes. in my yeah. swirling around, I found quite a few, maybe, oh, 12, 13 mm-hmm. CDs with, uh, you know, just the, the envelope CDs, like from Jerry Hannigan. Yep. Um. So I have to check and make sure that they're not duplicates of what's in there. And I transferred all the history stuff and a whole bunch of other stuff. And um, Ron in Illinois, you will be pleased that instead of just trying to figure out what to do with these oddballs here and there, I'm putting them in envelopes and writing miscellaneous on the outside, (laughs) (laughs) which seems to cover all. I mean, it's like stuff. Maybe I could just use the word stuff. That would be it. So, anyway, I don't know. I know what you're going to be doing next mm-hmm. week. Be... Next week is the Spurdvac Convention. Right. Both in Walden and the Gasmans will be broadcasting from California Woo-hoo. at Spurdvac Convention. Woohoo! Yeah, it's going to be fun. It will but that be. means that he and I will not be here together. We'll be preempted. Yeah. I'm being preempted. You'll be I'm preempted by, preempted. at this time, Johnny Dollar. And then show up. It'll be Johnny Dollar and Sherlock Holmes. Is that what you're playing? Yeah. No joke? Yeah, no joke. Those are the recreations we're doing Saturday night. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Who's playing Sherlock? Um, Greg Oppenheimer got two British actors to play Watson and Sherlock, and I'm not too excellent. So I don't know the um, I don't know anything about them per se. Uh-huh. I seen the credits. Which, which so. story did he choose? It's not one that rings a bell with me. I have the script, so I can send that. I'll send that to you. Oh, you don't have to send the script. I was just wondering if you had the title. Well, that's what I mean. I don't. That's why I mean. I, that mean I'll just send out. That way you can look it up and let me know which one it is. Okay, I I can do that. Yeah, see, see, you're good. I can do that. And the Johnny Dollar. Yeah, Michael Casey shows one from 1958. Yes. And, uh, Bob Bailey. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. So that's. Do you what know the is. title of that one? No, I don't. Uh, I know the premise you of the didn't story. Didn't know you were going to have a test this week. No, I've been so busy. Working on the other stunts of the convention. You're forgiven. Yeah. Okay. Are we ready? No. I'm ready, I'm ready for us to take a night. We can stay here. No. I think we yeah. better. Yeah. And I found I found a teeny trick-or-treating with Fibber. Yeah. Are you going to Yeah. Yeah, we're going to play that. One. We're going to play yeah. that tonight sometime. Yeah. And then later tonight, maybe. Well, that we'll be able to play it. It's a really cute one. It's always one of the 15-minute shows that worked really well without an audience. It didn't feel empty at all. So I think you might enjoy that one. So, okay. Are you ready to say goodnight? I'm ready. You ready? Yeah. We're just kidding, everybody. We're just kidding. <laughs> Seven, one, four, five, four, five. Two oh seven one. I know. Good grief, Patricia and I talked for an hour. Practically. Seven one four. Boy, the phone ring just like that. Hello there, you're on here. Uh, we're getting a lot of feedback here. Who is this? I'm trying to turn this down. There we go. I got That's it. Ron. Ron from Illinois. I got it. Okay, Ron from Illinois. How in the world are you? I'm fine, but it's cold up here. Well, you're not uh, going to like what I say. We have a heat wave here in Costa Mesa. <laughs> we got Santa Ana's. It is so hot. We Ooh. got we got winds. We got windows opened. We got fans going. We're in a we're in a we're 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 into our summer now. Oh my word! Oh my word! The highest temperature. How bad is it? Today. Never mind. You talk to Ron. I'll find out how bad it is. <laughs> the highest temperature that I saw today yeah. was 52. Well, well, I don't know. We're, you know, we're, we're starting to have the up in the mountains, the big 30, 40 mile per hour wind. So people are on sort of fire, fire watch around here. I imagine, yeah. 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 Now, I was so ignorant about the Santa Anas until, probably until you and I started yeah. talking uh-huh. about them one night yeah. on the phone, you know, on the yeah. show. Right. I thought it was like just kind of wind currents. I did not realize when they talked about Santa Ana, you're talking wind. I mean, wind. I had no idea. You know what I I just did, Patricia, before um, I just transferred a tape just before we went on the air? Mm Mm-hmm. It was a a time when you and Ken helped me with Christmas Eve. You want to guess what year that might have been? (laughs) (laughs) No. Two thousand and seven. 
Well, they were growing old. I know. That's amazing that we've done eight Christmases together like that. That's a lot of Christmases. That's pretty nice, though. A lot of Christmases. Yeah. Yes. And we, we always have fun. We do. We do. Christmas is fun time. Yeah. You'll be happy to know you are 69 degrees right now. It's warm. That's what it says. Yeah, anyway. and, and it's dry. You know, it, so you can... It, it, it must be. Yeah. You know, well, humidity is 84%. You're probably higher than I am. Oh, yeah. Hi. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm 80%. Oh, well. So how cold is cold, Ron, please? 52 for a high today. 52. <laughs> high two. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what, do you have any traditions? You guys burn the... Burn the town down with a bonfire to warm everybody up. Is that what you do when it gets down to fifty-two degrees? I mean, no, we just we just stay inside. Well, we should have a heater this year. A we, furnace. We have a good. We have a very well working, good working furnace. Now, see if Patricia was a boarder at your place, she would have suggested that you take no chances and have the furnace furnace replaced two years ago, but. You got it out. And you got, you yeah. And see, I, I got the air conditioning working for Barbara. <laughs> hey. I froze my petunias <laughs> off. I actually went to bed with blankies. Oh. That... And she was spread eagle screaming, hot so hot. One of us has a thyroid problem. <laughs> I'm not sure which oh. one, but one of us has a <laughs> thyroid problem here. Is it? So, anyway, I have, a, I have a Halloween question for you, Ron. Okay. It's sort of a Halloween question. What scares you? That's an interesting question because I really don't know. I think because so much of what scares people is visual. Think about that. Oh, of course it is. And I'm asking what scares you in particular. Is there a place or a situation or a food or a person or a bad dream that you've had consistently throughout life? What scares you? I don't think so. I really don't. I, the only thing that no, I don't know, I really don't think there's, I can't think of anything. Um, uh, the only dream that I had that, that I didn't like, or that, I, that I had a recurrent dream that I didn't like, was, was something that happens to a lot of people. And that, um, I, when, I, when I quit working, I, I kept dreaming I had to go into work for some reason. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. That's the only thing I can think of it, as far as dreams are concerned. Uh, what caught me sometimes off guard, Patricia, if I, if I, you know, I'm pretty good about sensing somebody in the room with me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, you know I, I must have two eyes in the back of my head. I, you know, I, I, okay. I, 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 I have a good sense of my equilibrium when, when I walk into a room, how big of a room, and yeah. if when somebody comes in. But if if I don't get that and they uh, they say they talk to me or uh, they um, say boo or something like that and I'm not expecting it that 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 could get me off yeah. guard a little bit. Yeah. And when, one of the things I was just going to ask Ron, it, it's not necessarily what scares you, and you know about it. Is there a fear, like fear of a break in, fear of a burglar breaking in, something that hasn't happened? but stimulates fear in you when you think about it. 
No, I can't think of anything. Really Boy, can't. you're flat tonight, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I really am. I can't help it. I am. Ask me. Yeah, I am. Patricia? Uh, yes, Walden? What would scare you? What scares me half to death and into a near panic attack is an unleashed dog. Yeah, I know. I know dogs do that. I mean, it, and it's irrational. I have nothing in my background at all that would that should have created that kind of fear. It's an irrational fear, and I am terrified of dogs that are not on a leash. I I think what would bother me if I was living alone and mm-hmm. and if it was noises or things outside, and I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't know exactly how to get my bearing to take care of the problem. I think uh, I think yeah. I think for me. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, yeah. that that a would, sense of that, vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would bother me. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, let me tell you that I I got uh, five boxes last five five boxes last week. Well, don't worry, we're working on more out here in I California. I haven't seen any this week, so uh, there wasn't any this week. Oh, well, mom's knocking them down every two uh, binder every two days. I've been busy, busy, busy. Uh, I mailed four yesterday. Uh oh, oh my. You know, these are really good ones that are coming, and the other ones are kind of mixed up because some of them were not necessarily in order. But the ones that are coming are, are you know, they're, they're kind of fun. Well, actually, they're probably the ones I packed and didn't get there yet. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, uh, Never mind. Okay. Oh, well. Have you been surprised by anything so far, Ron? <laughs> he hasn't yeah. opened any of them. <laughs> well, uh, the one one of the first ones I opened had some very good uh, of the very good 15-minute therm game, and there was a quality with a schedule on it. Oh, yeah. Those are, those quality, are was uh-huh. quality was quite good. Um, no, I, I probably should go pretty soon, but I want to make one comment about Last night. Oh, and by the way, a P.S. There will be no awful show next Friday because we'll be preempted no, for, for the convention. Won't be. But the awful what? show last night was really awful. Okay, which one played? I missed it. I heard Larry and Walden, but I missed me. What what played? Oh, the uh, the one with uh, John Brown and and Hammond. Oh, Moon Mullins. Uh, no. No, that wasn't it. A different John Brown, yes. And I did have a different John Brown. And, oh, well, busy Mr. Bingle was a John Brown. No. But Moon, Moon Mullins was the second John Brown, and that's one that we recorded this week? Yeah. 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 So that's, that's a future. So it probably, this is, that was probably it, a Moon Mullins, based on the comic strip Moon Mullins. And it just... You have your batch. You have your batch. You put your, do you have notes? What 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 was in the last batch? Maybe I could pick it sure. out. Sure. Not Sometimes the not the one we did this this Wednesday, but the batch before. Oh, the batch before that. Right. Sure. Hold on. This is just in the USA. The, the the carrot you hear in the background of Patricia nubbing nubbing on a carrot. You oh know, my. You know. Very okay. good. Okay, we had. Let's see here. Um. G. 
three of a kind, lone Indians. Yes. Three of a kind. Three of a kind. That was god awful. Three of a kind. Oh, 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 okay. Yes, three of a kind. Yeah, that was bad, wasn't it? It went nowhere. Yeah. I mean, no. poor John Brown, and he did the busy Mr. Bingle. What happened to this poor man? What did they do to him? You got to wonder. Uh, Why I've, do you hear Moon Mullins? I've heard Mr. Bingle, and it's awful. It was terrible. And yes, I, was. I did one this past Wednesday with John, with um, Larry and Walden. It was a Moon Mullins. It was the audition for a radio show based on the comic strip Moon Mullins, which was around for, I think I said, 67 years. It was really a great comic strip, and all of the characters worked, but you had visuals to go with them. Aha, that would make And sense. it just did not work translated to an audio. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, it, oh, God, it was dreadful. Just dreadful. This one was, this was one So you were, you were very good on that one. That was... You're right on target. <laughs> so I was, I was, I was on target with that one. Okay. Yeah. And it's too bad because they were funny. The, 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 the lines were funny, but it didn't go anywhere. It just didn't go anywhere, no. And oh. I think the same thing happened in the Boone Mullins one, which will be coming up, that John Brown didn't fail the show. The show failed John Brown. All right. So what is the com- more common element of a bad show, Patricia? <laughs> I I think, gee, that, that's a, a great question. I think bad acting is number one. Okay. And that's it's very side-by-side side with a bad script. A story that just doesn't make any sense or doesn't go anywhere. What do you think, Ron? No. Uh, and that, that's the problem. I'm biased, and I really don't like situation shows that much anyhow. Yeah. You know, I really don't. Um, it's okay, yeah. but it's just not something I would I would uh, make a special effort to hear, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I, I'm afraid that it's unfortunate because I really am biased when I think about those things. And it has to be really good. Well, we all are. I mean, yeah. what the, you ask someone what color they like. And the answer might be blue. Well, that's a bias. That means yeah. you're biased against the other. You know, pe- people are prejudiced, pre- prejudging, prejudiced. And I had a psychology professor do that. You know, I asked everybody, if you don't think you're prejudiced, raise your hand. And, of course, you know, <laughs> the whole class raised their hand. Nobody wants to be called prejudiced. And he walked around and he said, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? He said, you're all prejudiced. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know what I say about that? Yeah. That's dirty pool. No, it, but it was true. I mean, we all have our pre-judgments. I prefer not to listen to Dragnet. I'm pre-judging the shows. I, I, I don't like Dragnet. That, that's a prejudice. I'd rather listen to Sam Spade than, than Dragnet. So, I mean, it was a point that he made that was a very good one. Let's, well, let's get I, down to I, reality I, here, folks. I, I, I don't... I classify those in two separate categories. So one one is a preference and one is a negative connotation. Oh, it has a negative con- connotation, but prejudice actually means prejudged. You pre I I prejudge Dragnet based on what I have heard so far. Mm-hmm. So I won't. So I'm I'm prejudiced. I'm prejudging. 
and it's it's a life I, reality. But you're right; we have I, put I, a very negative spin and connotation on the word prejudice, and it, it's that, usually that, yeah. it, it's more commonly used in something in, in a very negative context, right. like like um, racially or politically right. that there's a that there's a prejudice right. there, and. You know that that's not really the origin of the word. Right. It's just that we are prejudging somebody, and, and I, or something. I, when I when I when I hear that, it, that there's going to be a, a situation comedy program on the air, I right away think I'm probably not going to enjoy it. I'm prejudiced. Mm-hmm. Can't help it. There you go. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I think that's what the Golden Days of Radio did its very best work. Is in what? It's in the, in the situation comedy. In the comedy? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I, I think you know, I, I would I would I would bet I would put my money up and I am a riverboat gambler. I would take the very best situation comedy show and put them against the very best of any other category and I would think mm-hmm. I think that's what radio's known for. That's interesting. Well, I'll take your word for it. That's just, that's just my... Yeah, that's just and my, that's, that is a prejudice. It is pre-judged. Yes. yes. I, just, I just think that's what... It, and and it's, in, it's in a positive sense. That mm-hmm. is your judgment, and you might be absolutely on target. I might be. Right. You might be. I might be. <laughs> you might be. You might be. Mm-hmm. That's, okay. That's fine with that. Um, Yes. Okay. Well, let me let me see. Let me see. I gotta find something here. I'm here. Okay. What was the first penny? first penny candy that was individually wrapped. Oh my God. No, that's not the right answer. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's good. Uh, I don't know what it would be. Oh, take a shot. Well, I'll give I, you one guess and give Walden one guess. I thought two. Okay. Uh, um, well, let's see. Wait. Oh, my gosh. What, what did that taste like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. I, I really can't think of anything. I, I, I'm just lost. You got it. I guess I don't. I guess I really don't know that much about candy candy either. That's the other thing. Um, we need to have a candy company send out free samples to our fam, our family family members. What do you think? Am I a family member? Am I a family oh, member? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You, oh yes, 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 oh, yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. If, what, Walden, what is the correct answer? Oh, I my my. I'm gonna go with my second guess because. If I don't say it, then people are gonna I'm be drummed out of the family. Tootsie rolls would be my first. That my was your second guess. Yes. What was your first guess? I know. Tootsie roll is correct. Okay. What was your first guess? Oh. I, I would think you, you know how hard candy, remember like like uh, root beer and those things are uh-huh. like you know the hard candy sugar. I th- I yeah. thought of those types of things. I never would have thought about that. But then I got thinking, you know. Where my when the time my dad grew up and Ralph grew up and John, they grew up where you could scoop penny candy. You know, um, you could you know pay you could buy penny 
you know, mm-hmm. a, a penny. Individual pieces of candy. Right, and I mean, and, and, yeah. and I imagine most of those are all wrap, wrap kind of thing. That'd be my guess. I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Mm. I'm not either. It'll be interesting. Maybe John will give us a call. Yeah, maybe John will I, give us a call. No, and can, Ralph, too. You know, can, but I didn't realize that the Tootsie Rolls were, were a penny. That's very interesting. I would thought they would have been more than that. Well, you know, that's why the Tootsie Roll people are so popular. There you go. There you they go. Got yeah, they got everybody confused. They got everybody confused. That it's chocolate and a, and a penny, uh, you know. Um, yes. What can I say? I Patricia's working on them. So she's going to get a two-year-old person someday. There you go. Oh, yeah. She's going to do a lot of things someday. Someday. There you go. There you go. Someday. Oh, okay. Ron, who was Frank Smith? He was, he was Joe Friday's. Second, he oh, was, third partner. He was he was the he was John Smith. Oh, that was Frank Smith. Well, John, you yeah. had an uncle named John Smith. Well, I was how thinking, my grandparents could have done that is beyond me. Well, I'm thinking of the Mayflower. Oh, then the Mayflower. Was, I know. The, one, I know. Was it John Smith? John Smith. Yeah. Was yeah, it Pocahontas? It was, um, Wasn't it, it was in the Virginia colony, I think. Yeah. Was it Pocahontas? Well, or Jamestown? Was, was it, it Jamestown? Jamestown. Yeah. Was it Pocahontas and John Smith and somebody else? No, Pocahontas was was the friendly Indian. No, it was um, oh, speak for yourself, John Alden. John Alden. And okay. It was. Oh my gosh, Walden, it's out of my head. I know, Hold on. I know, I know. Um, but there was a John. John Cap- it was Cap- Captain John Smith was was the leader of a colony, and I'll I'll find that out. <sighs> but there was a John Smith, somebody that was famous back Priscilla? in the day. Was it Priscilla? Uh, yeah, Priscilla Alden. No, John and Priscilla Alden. Yes, it was Priscilla. Um, so her name was Priscilla. What was her maiden name? Smith. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Um, John Alden House. Right? Where is Priscilla? Oh, what about the song, John Hyper Smith? What, what about the song John? that... Yeah. yeah. Oh, I I wouldn't be able to. Oh, but I'm trying to think of what you know. It was a kid song, but you had you had the uh, the mm-hmm. the male name. The male name was Guggen, something. Guggenheimer Smith or John yeah. John Hypermeyer Smith. Or it is. <laughs> um. Oh, it was the Massachusetts Plymouth Colony. Ah. So it, it was. Let, let's see. Children of John Alden and Priscilla Mullins. 1624, Little Compton, Rhode Island. I think I'm reading the wrong thing here. John Alden and Priscilla Alden's courtship. Miles Standish. Miles Standish, yeah. Yeah, speak for yourself, John Alden. Miles Standish. Don't they use, don't they, like you listen to the old radio shows, Leroy has to dress up and load of wine for a Thanksgiving. Yes. Yes, I Boy. do remember that now. I would not have remembered that. Um, it's, he, he chose to stay in about 1620. Let's see, John Alden. He came over on the Mayflower. How about that? How about All that? right, well, let's see. John Smith Colony. John Smith, the explorer, leader of the Virginia Colony, based in Jamestown. So it was John wow. Smith in Jamestown. John Alden was... Yeah. Put that away. What, you know, what an eclectic show we have. 
very Where much so. Where else did you find out that we people were spending $7.5 billion on Halloween and almost three-quarters of a million dollars of a billion dollars on doggies and animal costumes <laughs> and that John Smith was the Jamestown colony. Ron, do they still burn leaves and things in your area, or is pretty much all that gone by? No, no but, they don't. Uh, they banned it. Wow. And burn leaves here. So, okay, I was thinking, I bet for years when you were growing up as a kid, that was probably a traditional thing in, you know, in the fall of the year. I loved, I loved the smell of burning leaves. I really did. Mm-hmm. Wow. I did, I did. But we're selling... Smoldering leaves, yeah. burning leaves. Not, not, not leaves that would just sit there and smolder. Uh-huh. Believe that were set up and burned properly. Um, had a wonderful smell to them. I loved it. Well, do, I, I imagine people still use their compost piles, the, the fallen leaves in the area, and probably use it for for gardening or so. You know? Yeah, for, for yeah. compost, yeah. But burning leaves has been banned for years and years in so many places in the, in the country because of the pollution that they release. I mean, we've got enough carbon dioxide yeah. floating around up there. Um, all right. I have one more question for you, Ron. And then I'll send you another box. <laughs> okay. You're not going to ask what he wants. You're just going to send him what you have on air, huh? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'll make sure it's good stuff. Which state out of the 50 states is the produces or grows the most pumpkins in this country? Mm. Uh, well, I don't know, but it might be Illinois. Well, you certainly did know. It is Illinois. All right! 95% of the pumpkins oh. processed in the United States are grown in Illinois. That's pretty good. Well, also, I was thinking uh, all the pumpkin seeds that people eat. You know, when they roast them and things like that? Yeah. It doesn't say anything about pumpkin seeds. I know. Seeds. Do I have to go look? No, you can okay. wait. You can yeah, wait. That, I don't have to go look. Part. Okay. All right. You like, pumpkin, you like pumpkin pie, Ron? Oh, I love it. Uh, okay, well, you got 95% of the pumpkins up there, so you better get a good one. Okay. Oh. Now, there is a town in in Illinois that has proclaimed itself the pumpkin capital of the world. Yes, there Where is, is it? It is. Oh, what is that? And I know that I know the thing. It's it's near Peoria, and I I'm trying to think of the name of the town. It's. Um, oh. You are good. Yes. Pumpkin Patch USA. Close. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You are good. Okay. Oh gosh, what? It's near Peoria. What what it's near what, Peoria? Yes. What what cartoon strip featured the pumpkin patch? Oh goodness gracious, that was Snoopy. Okay, okay, just wanted to make sure. Oh, yeah, my. poor little Linus would wait for uh, this great pumpkin every yeah, year. Yeah, that's right. Okay, the town is Morton. That's right. Right, that and why fun. did Avengers. they proclaim themselves the pumpkin capital of the world? Because they grow and they have a pumpkin festival and. And they grow big ones down there. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Occasionally, you hear on the radio, they they, they grow these pumpkins gigantic size to break the world records. And I'm thinking, oh yes, I'm thinking like I don't know how they how do they tr- 
transport these things? I mean, it must be a derrick, for gosh sake. Well, also, what I'm but wondering anyway, how it doesn't break, break the weight doesn't break off the stalk. I mean, I, I think these, some of these things are like 300. They grow on the ground. They're like it's, three, a, it's a vine that crawls on the ground, so they can't fall anywhere. But I don't know how they move them. I think I think it's like 300 pounds or something, like the large. Oh my maybe. gosh! No, it was way higher than that. I will do that while while Ron. I will tell you that Morton has declared itself the pumpkin capital of the world because the Libby's the Libby's pumpkin processing plant is ah. located there, and it cans more than 85 percent of the world's pumpkin every year. Eighty-five percent. In okay. your little itty-bitty state up there, you've got all the pumpkins. Okay, okay. What do we use pumpkins for besides pumpkin pie and, and jack-o'-lanterns? What? Do we use it for something <laughs> else? I mean, pumpkin bread. Oh, I know. Pumpkin bread, uh, pumpkin pie, and jack-o'-lanterns. Do, do we use the filling for something else? I don't know. I don't either. What was I supposed to be looking for here? Uh, the largest pumpkin. Oh, yeah. Pumpkin largest. Yeah. I started looking for seeds. Let's see. <gasps> largest pumpkin. Are you ready? Ready. Uh, North American Squashes Competition. 2,145 pounds <laughs> from <laughs> Illinois. That'll squash. May we hear it for Illinois. That was weighed, that it weighed in on September 22nd, 2015. How long did that thing uh, grow? I mean, that must have sat there and grow for about five years. I don't know, but it's got a lot of kids sitting on top of it. <laughs> wow. I mean, that is one heck of a pumpkin. That is big. That is one big pumpkin. Can you wow. imagine them trying to, they must have brought a crane in to lift that thing off the ground. Yeah. They had to. I mean, really, how would you transport something like that without cracking oh, it? And how you do it? So, no. my next question would be, how many containers of whipped cream does it take to make a, <laughs> to make a pumpkin pie? How many pies pie? can it make? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. Okay, pumpkin <laughs> recipes. Let's see what pumpkin recipes are. Um, pumpkin recipes. 22 great pumpkin recipes. I know you can make pumpkin soup, and pumpkin soup is very good. Huh. I bet it would. Um, let's see. Start. You can make pumpkin cookies, pumpkin grilled cheese sandwich. Pumpkin um, grilled cheese sandwich? I don't know. Not bad. Okay. Pumpkin with white beans and bacon. Okay. <laughs> that looks like a nice veggie. I think I see mm-hmm. like an IHOP, a pumpkin pancake or something. A pumpkin martini. <laughs> Honest to goodness, that's what it says. Okay. A pumpkin martini. It's mm. made okay. with pumpkin pie spice. I, I mean, and, you know, I mean, it's got pumpkin in it. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's beef whipped pumpkin. Um, sugar, vodka, half and half, pumpkin puree, maple syrup, and a hint of vanilla. And then they carry I, you to bed. Holy cats. Yes. Low calorie here. Low does, calorie. Does a hint of vanilla mean you have to taste it or not? I don't know. I do not know. Pumpkin pancakes. Um, easy pumpkin pie tart with cream cheese glaze. Mm. The rest, the um, title looks better than the than the food. <laughs> yeah. Spice latte. Pumpkin lasagna. 
I don't know. Uh, don't know about that. Um, pumpkin cupcakes, yeah. Uh-huh. Sweet and salty pumpkin seeds. Well, those are the seeds. That's pumpkin. I'm going to have pumpkin cake. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that'd that be good. That sounds good. That would be good, yeah. I thought if we're going to pumpkin cupcake, I want I want like a, a cream cheese topping on mine. Yeah, and pumpkin bread, silly me. It would be like zucchini bread, right. banana bread, right. pumpkin bread. Yep. Sure, that would be, be great. So yeah, there are a lot of recipes here. Well, this remember the, Dan, now Dan came up with an interesting topic about food yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know what was what was it? How is Tammy explaining it? What what title of a food would you? not make you want to eat it, basically, it, it, the polite way of saying it? Yes, and I, I put that off until our next show because we've got Halloween tonight, but okay. yes, Dan <laughs> okay. suggested that we solicit the names of foods that are gross. <laughs> I, mean, I can't say it any other way. Gross, whether or not they taste good, or especially if they the, taste the, good. The illusion. But, the illusion. It sounds like you wouldn't want to yes, eat it. Yes, yes. Yes. So. Well, Ron, it is always so much fun when you call. Thank oh, you. It's so enjoyable. It is enjoyable. It really is. And I'm, I'm glad I, and, I'm glad I was able And I'm glad, I'm glad you think three on a whatever is three on a uh, card? Yeah. Is that it? Three, 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 three of a kind? Three of a kind. Okay. It was not, it was not very <laughs> By the way, everybody, you could do me a big favor next weekend. Um, if you could record a convention. You know, there's people around. If you could hit your recorder. And just make sure we have a copy of that. So anybody out there, you know, uh, you got a record button nearby the internet. If you could do that for me, that would be terrific. Just wanted to put that out there. For program here, I would. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you, Ron. You have yourself a wonderful week and enjoy your pumpkin territory. We'll do the same. Yes. Yes. Pumpkin. Yes. I know. I should have known more, and it just was one of those things that escaped me. And- you know how you, when you're trying to think of something, you can't? Mm-hmm. That kind of a situation. Because I'm very familiar with it. I know some people who live there. And he, he talks about pumpkins all the time. So I should have known that. Well, sometimes we all have mental pauses. We do. We all pause in our thinking. You knew where it was located, and that was yeah, very did. important. Yeah, it was. It, this is true. Okay. Well, you take I, care of you, Okay. You do the same. I'll try to stay warm for you. All right. Please do. Okay, thanks. Have a good night. We'll talk in a couple weeks, Ron. Bye. Bye. Sure. Have a good time, Walden. We will. All right, everybody. That's right. Next Saturday, Patricia will be just reading a book, so you can email her during the show and say, where where are you? And when she gets done reading a chapter, she might respond, I'm here. (laughs) Hello there, Carl. You're on the air. Good evening, Walden. Good evening, Patricia. Hi, Jim. How are you? Jim, this is Jim in California. uh, Happy Halloween to you. Same here. Fine. I think the song, Walden, you were thinking of, I believe it was called John Jacob Jingle Hanger Hanger Hanger. That's (laughs) That's it. That's it. How does it go, Jim? I think it went something like John Jacob Jingle Hanger. Smith. My name, too. Or something like if that. If we go out, the people always shout, John Jacob Jinglehammer. Yep, yep, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Now, where in the world did that song come from? I have no idea. I don't I We sang it in first grade. Correct. But I don't remember, you know, the origin of it. Um, 
I think Opie sang it on an, with his friends on a one Andy Griffith episode, <laughs> if I remember right. Um, very popular song, I mean, for children. I mean, it sang at camp, for kids sang it at, you know, school, I guess, scouting or camp, yeah. campfire things. One of those songs you always sang around the campfire, that one, and, uh, you know, that's going to be another interesting subject some night, songs you might have sung around the campfire. Well, I'm wondering now, do young kids sing, uh, I would call it the American folk songs. I would classify that as an American folk song from our, uh, from our roots. And I, I, I'm wondering, do kids know I've been working on the railroad or um, off to grandmother's house? Or those th- things that have been part of our America, Americana? Well, you know, so many things today are... Um, you know, it used to be, and, and you have to give, I have to give the producers of, uh, at least in the 50s, 40s and 50s, I have to give the producers of the various children's record companies credit for at least trying to introduce children to good music in those years. I mean, Little Golden Records, the company that Mitch Miller and others formed, did ver- kitty versions of some of the Rodgers and Hammerstein songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did versions of uh, Cricket, did a nice kitty version of the Pirates of Penzant and the Mikado. And uh, there were, and then of course there were, you know, all the patriotic and folk songs. Uh, Wheaties even offered a series of 78s. If you listen to some of those Lone Rangers episodes from about 1954, you will hear offers for these Wheaties records. But I remember, at, and I. Remember, and I'm wondering if this even happened today, um, we would have music. Uh, we would have, my school district I grew up, we had a, a roving music instructor. Yeah. And the part of their duties was bring the song books and we would sing uh, the, the American kind of song. You know, this land is my land. Is, you know, those, all those famous songs that were part of Americana. And I'm... I'm just wondering if even kids even would know any of those today. You know, I you know I wonder that so many kids today. You know, so much of it today they hear. You know, it's it's they're they're certainly not played on the radio. No, or no. Those things. And I don't and I don't follow the kitty TV shows to find out if they're even featuring any of that today. My guess is probably not. But Captain Kangaroo used to play a lot of those old songs from on record. Mm-hmm. His uh on his show, and you, you you got an appreciation of some of those songs. Uh, Did you have music appreciation, Patricia, in your school? Well, we had music, but I don't think anybody appreciated it. <laughs> well, I could do like an introduction to classical music or learn about the composer. Nothing, no. We we had a woman who came in, apparently was an opera singer. She wow. was a professional singer. I think it was probably opera. Uh-huh. And she would come in and bang a baton and say, Okay, who can sing bass? And I don't mean sing low. I mean, who knows how to sing bass? Well, hey, you know, we're in fourth grade. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was a very strange experience. We did not learn to appreciate anything. But you didn't you didn't learn like the American Americana songs. You didn't have a music instructor. No. Wow. How about you, no. Jim? Put on a Christmas pageant. That was about it. Some of those we used to sing some of those things, or we at least we listened to some of the records of some of those things, like Turkey and the Straw and Oh Susanna and uh-huh. Oh Susanna, Oscar yeah. Things and uh, we, I remember one we used to sing was 
the Erie Canal. You know, I've got a mule, and her name is Sal, 15 years on the Erie Canal. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, or um, we used to sing, uh, let's see, what else did we used to sing? We used to sing uh, um, Sailing, Sailing. Over sailing, the Sailing, Over the Way. Yep. Uh, and uh, let's see. Uh, there's a hole in my bucket, you know, was one I can vaguely remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we'd sing Frere Jacques, you know, the nursery, the Are You Sleeping, Brother John, and sing it in French. Um and, and, of course, like we said, some of the records gave us, you know, a musical appreciation. Uh, that's one thing nice, too, about even programs, you know, in the golden age of radio, like, it was nice they had shows like the Railroad Hour. Yep. To give people appreciation of some of the American and international sound, and the Chicago Theater of the Air. Well, I was just thinking, I, I was in an elementary school that we had opera group come in and sing the Barbara Seville for us, and, and uh, School. Yeah. That's uh, that's probably what, that probably didn't happen too often, but I I remember. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, we adore. You know. Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, and also another thing we would have we would have field trips here. Uh, that they would take us to symphony concert during during the day. Oh, so, yeah. So they, they, the orchestra, the 40-piece orchestra, um, you know, probably were performing at night, and they would have them during the morning, and you would have an instructor teach you appreciation of classical music. And so they, you would get on these bus and things and go to the, the uh, concert halls. We went in 1964. Mm-hmm. I was in Arkansas. We went to they they invited us to see uh, during the before the Christmas vacation. We were invited to see a performance of the ballet Cinderella with my per, music by Prokofiev. And the thing was, I did not know what a ballet was. And we went, we were we were told to, we dressed up. We went to this ballet and the, the master of ceremonies said, and "Now we're off to the land of Cinderella." I thought it was going to be a story that would be acted out with dialogue. And I was just totally floored. I mean, I, the music was good, don't get me wrong. Prokofiev was a good composer. But I did not know that a ballet, you know, it was meaningless to me. You know, cause Of course it would be. <laughs> they were dancing, and, and uh, no one told us that what a ballet was. No, nobody said, I mean, interpretive dancing, my goodness. I just, this is astonishing. Well, I mean, the intentions were good to invite us. They thought we would enjoy the music, I guess. But I had no idea what a ballet was. I mean, um, I mean, I'd heard the term, but I didn't know that you did it. I thought, you know, when they said Cinderella, I thought it would be an acted out play or something. Mm -hmm. So I was just totally floored by by the music just playing. Kind of like me seeing a silent movie. Right. That's a great analogy. Well, actually, I want to tell you a little experience like that. We saw a movie in 1967, my mother and my brother and sister and I. One of Raquel Welch's first movies was called One Million Years B.C., and she's a cave woman. And from an audio standpoint, it was one of the worst things I ever heard in my life. <laughs> there were a lot of uggs and oogs and uggs. That's about all I got out of. My mother did her best to describe what was happening. 
poor old Raquel got carried off by a bird who was going to eat her, but her caveman rescued her just in time. She described how the bird was lifting Raquel up and carrying her away, and the caveman came to her rescue. But it was mainly just uggs and oogs and oogs and ogs. What did what do you think a what do you think a dialogue writer got for that for that paycheck, Patricia? The right oh, the, oh boy, <laughs> twenty five cents a word. No. And I guess Raquel, I guess she stood out because how pretty. I know Raquel Welch is a very. I've been told she's a very attractive woman. Right. And the guys just went ape over her, and I guess the bird did too, carrying her <laughs> off, ape for a different reason, I suppose. But the hugs were just. And, and, you know, again, on this ballet thing, the intentions were good, you know, inviting us. Because uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they probably never even thought about music and story and dialogue. It's just something people just don't think about. Like, sure. When you watch TV, you know, TV is such a visual medium, they, they don't even think about the fact, and it's not an intentional prejudice thing, but they, they don't even think about the fact what I hate about modern television is on a newscast now, somebody might be speaking, an official, a senator, whatever. A lot of times now they won't say the senator's name. They just flash it on the screen. Mm-hmm. Where they, in the 50s and 60s, they used to say who was speaking. I guess they figure if you could look at the screen, you know who's talking. Sure. But that isn't much help. That's why I'm not a great, I'm not a great television. I have to tell you, I am, and Ron, I think Ron would agree with me. In fact, I know we would. We've talked about this many times. I am not a great television fan for the most part. Um, I'm not saying I never watch television. If, if my family watches it, I will watch programs with my family. Mm-hmm. There are a few TV programs I liked growing up. I liked the Andy Griffith show. I liked, I did like Dragnet. It was one of the few television dramas you could listen to because, you know, he was like the radio show. Jack Webb mentioned everything he did. 10.30 at mm-hmm. I picked up the phone. You know, you could listen. Mm-hmm. But most TV is very unlistenable. I realize it's a visual. I agree. And it goes back to the comments that I make frequently about movies. Explosions, visuals, gunshot, people jumping. All it, It's all visual with little storyline that you can follow unless you're parked in front of this thing. Well, and of course it wouldn't make sense to say on, on a, in a movie if a person got shot, oh, I've been shot. It wouldn't, I guess visually it wouldn't make sense to it because mm-hmm. he's the shot. Um, my own, and my thing is, uh, and of course it's a big issue of sports. A lot, I, have a fr- I have a friend who's a devout sports fan. And he's frustrated when, like, if he can't get a game on radio and he watches it on television, and the sports announcers have said repeatedly, well, if we say it, if we say what's happened, you know, we're not... And Bill Stern even said one time that when TV first started, Bill Stern said, a TV viewer prays that the announcer will shut up. (laughs) That's good. That's good. by the way, I just came up with an idea yesterday, Patricia, and I wanted to run it by you. Then we can... Rut row. You know, we, uh, I sent you a little note, Sarah Cardoff was doing a Q&A last night. Mm-hmm. You know when we should have Sarah Cardoff back? When? When we... Christmas time, when we want to bring the Grinch to still Christmas. <gasps> and have her talk what about a that. What great idea. 
So make a note oh, of that's a fabulous make idea. a note of that. I know how much you love his rendition, so you can make a note oh, of that. My goodness. I think we oh, should, I think goodness. we can I think he would do it. Um, I think that would be wonderful. Because in a, in addition to being a wonderful spokesperson about her father yeah. and she had such such good memories that she shared with us, she also said that was the best interview she ever had. We get gold stars right. on that. Right. Right. Um, and she meant it. I mean, it yeah. was not like a gratuitous. No. That was the best interview I've ever had. <laughs> yes. So talking about anyway. So um, I guess thought it'd be something, people, be something, yeah, people, be something different that she hasn't done. I think we would love to have her. Exactly. People ask her about the monster all the time, yeah. but nothing else, or virtually nothing else. Right. I mean, we we managed to talk with her about some of the stuff, but. The Grinch. Oh yes, I love talk, the Were you talking about? Show a call off, boy. Call off. Daughter. Yeah. Okay. And so we had her on 2010, and we had so many wonderful comments. She was on, and she's doing it. She did a Q and A about the movie Frankenstein in Beverly Hills last night. Oh. And Patricia and I were talking about if we didn't get a candy person, should we show off? Get Sarah to come back on. But then I got thinking yesterday, and I came up with this idea because I know how much P- Patricia loves Boris Karloff narration. One of the if you could ask her when you... I love Boris Karloff, and then on top of it, he did a narration that is so wonderful. So yeah. I, just, I just thought I thought that would be a home run if we do when that. When you get her as a guest, it, it might be interesting to find out, too, if you can find out. I have a very pleasant memory of the record, some of the records Boris Karloff did. Mm-hmm. He narrated, he narrated a, a, ver, a memorable version of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle on a record album on the Cricket label. Mm-hmm. Mm. He also narrated, uh, Dr. Beale played one of his, he did one of the many renditions of Peter and the Wolf. Dr. Beale played it one night. Mm-hmm. He had a great voice, he, and of course he hosted the TV show Thriller in the early 60s, sort of a suspense TV. Well, he had a Saturday morning kids show on radio. Yeah, that's right. and he had a show called Yeah Boris Karloff's Treasure Chest. Right. Where he played old children, he played children's records and right. stories and great voice, great voice. But anyway, I get I got thinking I got two and two or four, and I thought Patricia might go for that idea. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going for, at long last. We're going to have our book review at all. right. But I wanted to while it's Halloween, I wanted to discuss some candy things with you. Uh, how does candy corn rank in Halloween candies? Uh, oh, oh, and do you know, I just happened to have a website in front of me with candy corn on it. Let me see where corn is. Corn is pretty far down the list. Hold on. It seems like every time I went trick-or-treating, I would inevitably get candy corn. I wonder, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because it's too sweet for people. After you eat so much of it, it gets to a point. What's well, been called pumpkin candy. Yeah. Yeah, and candy I used to corn. that a oh, lot. Man, I know I had candy corn here. Well, anyway, and I also had. Uh, uh, we used to get before all the va- all the malicious things started happening. Uh, popcorn well, balls that were homemade with mm-hmm. caramel on them, or well, wasn't that a big thing for Christmas time? People would make popcorn <laughs> popcorn balls to decorate trees, and they did that too. Yeah, and. Uh, and, you know, I was only about 69 or 70 when I began to hear about yeah. people doing horrible things to kids' candy. And I was just, 
I was saying, I'm so glad I grew up in a time when we never even had to think about things. Yeah, remember, yeah. Now, remember in the 70s, there was the, the news would always worry about somebody putting razors inside kids' candy. Well, you know, put them in apples. Yeah. One of the worst things I ever heard was there was somebody that gave, that gave, that gave kids, because uh, it's chocolate, of course, they gave them X-Lax yeah. in their can. And, of course, the child would have known that stuff, you know, they're no. squares. No. And, Eating in any kind of quantity you know, can kill a kid. Tell you now that if you want Halloween candy, it should be wrapped. It should definitely be wrapped. You know, and uh, and you know, you need and be very carefully inspected. But but it used to be fun. I always liked it when we when we would go. You know, you always wondered what you were going to get in the bag, and it was it was always a variety. You know, there was no one ever gave the same candy. You know, every house had different types of candy. Breakers, mm-hmm. I remember those little hard candies. Mm-hmm. I remember there were, there were people that would throw peanuts, yep. peanuts in a shell, yeah, uh, in your bag. There was the right. There was the root beer balls. Yep, I love it. I love it. Peanut. Peanut. Oh, me. Peanut and, and, and money. I remember. Oh, money is okay. Peanuts? <laughs> Gee whiz. And of course, there were. Peanuts. Peanuts, uh-huh. Unicef. Ooh, yes. There were kids that would trick or treat for UNICEF every year, you know, the United Nations Children's Fund. How would that work? Mm-hmm. How would that work, Jim? I guess if you were. I don't, know, I don't know if you wore a special thing for UNICEF, but I don't remember how they did it, but they used to always. Andy Williams and Danny Kay and mm-hmm. people like that used to say trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat for UNICEF. That was one of the commercials I remember. Really? I remember and a few kids, years. Kids, Go ahead, Patricia. The kids who did Halloween for UNICEF said they, they, it was almost a pledge that they would not accept anything for themselves. They went around with a little box, a little coin box and asked people to put money in their coin box wow. for UNICEF. Wow. And they were on their own. And they, they never, they said, you know, we're not allowed to, to take candy. And I said, fine, you know, I, I will put this in for UNICEF, and this is yours. Well, I'm not allowed to take it. Well, you know, it's not Halloween. It's a gift. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine sending little kids no. out with a box and saying, no, I'm sorry, I can't accept candy. Please put something in my UNICEF box. Give me a break. Remember a couple and of these y- kids did it. You remember a couple of years ago, there was a dentist who offered to buy candy from kids. And give, Good for him. Give them toothbrushes or something? No, he would pay them cash, I think. I don't remember one gave toothbrushes to kids instead of candy. He was a dentist at home and he gave toothbrushes. No, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I would not like to come home with a toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> and toothpaste. I mean, it's a great idea, but but you know how many? But it, it used to be fun, and we never even th- and again we never even thought about people doing harm to us. I mean, my parents never did. No. You think candy had less sugar fifty? I mean, seventy-five, eight hundred years ago than they do today. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I, I would think they probably had the same amount. You think so? Candy corn, according to candy corn, uh-huh. has been around since 1900s, or the, like in 1900. It was the job of men to produce candy corn. <laughs> well, the one thing that began to change in the 60s is Mars, for example, about 1963, because Stan Freeberg did some of the Halloween commercials, they began to make these Mars Junior bars. 
And they mm-hmm. were the little bitty Milky Ways and Snickers and Three Musketeers. And they weren't the big bars, but they were the little bitty bars. Mm-hmm. And before, and the Baby Roof did them too, I think, and maybe Butterfinger and Hershey. But they used to be smaller bars than we used to get in the 50s. Uh, but we, we always got, like I say, Jawbreakers, uh, Candy Corn, Milky Ways, the little... Those little things that you, those little things in the little boxes, the little heart candy, like Valentine's candy that you chew on, you know, mm-hmm. little heart, yep. little, yep. those things. Uh, raisins, I think. We got raisins. What, uh, raisins what, here. what was the thing it was like? Huh? I'm trying, I'm trying to describe this candy. It was like, it was like, when you chewed it, it would turn into powder. There, it was different flavors. There was, there was in a ceramic wrap. When you unfolded, there was these little small cubes. Like cube. straw, something like through a straw or something. No, no, not not the straw, but it's the same type of idea. Yeah. But when you chew on it, it would turn into powder. I I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what they're called. I don't know either. Yeah. I remember them. Um, of course, we always we get we don't we always get either bubble generally bubble gum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we got um, life. One time, I got lifesavers. So, are there, are there a famous bubble gum brand, Patricia? He might remember. There used to be the the thing yeah. in the ceramic that bubble. had bubble. Bubble 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 gum. Bubble bubble. Nuka. There's been bubble 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 gum. Ah. Bubble gum. Nuka. Nuka. Okay. There used to be a bazooka bubble gum. Okay. Yeah, bazooka. Bubble gum. Uh, our bar. Oh, maybe that was the double bubble because it, it broke into two pieces. I don't remember. Hubba bubble. Mm-hmm. I remember the commercials. Hubba bubble bubble gum. <laughs> yeah. Um. One, I of course I remember Chunkies. Big, 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 chunky. Oh, <laughs> white for chunky. <laughs> that was like the candy with the raisins in it. You know, chunky. Um. I remember a bit of honey. Bit of honey goes a long, long way. Um, okay, who's had the best candy song, Jim? Best candy song. Best candy song. You when you heard the commercial, who who what who had the best commercial song? Hollywood Candy Company was my favorite. Okay, what? Give it the song. Are with the great big star because it's made by Hollywood, and they were the ones that made milkshake, butternut, payday, which they still exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, big time, smooth sailing. Um, the Hollywood candy bar. Um, I remember one of the cute ones, Nestle's, Nestle's Crunch had a cute one about 1964, I remember. And? Who taught chocolate to talk a lot? Who caught, who taught a bar to say crunch? I have a hunch. A chocolate bite, a crisp delight. Nestle's, ha ha, you're right. <laughs> I remember that one. Um. Uh, How much do you think people in Fifth Avenue got the right debt, got paid to write that, Patricia? Well, I remember there, there was a song, but I don't remember it for Fifth Avenue candy bars ah. in the late 50s. Um, June, when Stan Freeberg did his Mars Jr. Bars commercials, June Foray played The Witch. Mm-hmm. She sang this song. Mars Jr. Bars are those new teeny-weeny bars made for tricking or trading or simply just for eating. There's milk, there's Snickers, Three Musketeers, Forever Yours, Milky Ways, too. You'll find them packed on your grocery shelf. 
hand them out to kitties or eat them up yourself if you're looking to have you a big Halloween. Mars Jr. bars are for you. <laughs> Jim, between you, Walden, and me, we could I mean, we not get re- on the street corners team. collecting money for Christmas. <laughs> but it would pay us. Uh, and, and Stan says, the best candy on Earth comes from Mars. And the witch, June, says, Wait a minute. honey, don't talk with your mouth full. Wait a minute. We could go door to door. The three of us are singing Christmas Carol, and they could pay us. What do you think? And they would pay us to go away. <laughs> sure. Yeah, he, it, she says, honey, don't talk with your mouth full. When he said the best candy on Earth comes from Mars. Mm-mm-mm. Um but there was, you know, it was a big, and Walter Chetley and him also did a Halloween Mars commercial. Walter's talking about how he's going to go trick-or-treating and how he's going to get Milky Way and Three Musketeers and all of that. And Stan says, how old are you? And Walter Chetley says, 42 and a half. <laughs> and, you know, Walter Chetley, of course, had that little boy voice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That he was able to use all those years with Leroy and Julius and, all of that. Well, let's see. now it's time. The book I'm going to discuss tonight is called New World Coming, the 1920s and the Making of Modern America by Ethan Miller. It's 412 pages published by Scribner's. Um, do we need to do this in two parts? Uh, I, well, hmm? Do we need to do this in two parts because the book is so long. Well, I can try. Well, I'll, tr- I'll see how far we can go tonight. Okay. Oh, and, and for people like Kurt or Ron or Virginia, it's DB or RC 62083. 62083 for the recording. This is a book that talks about how the 1920s literally changed America and we truly became a modern nation. Uh, one of the main central characters in the book is F. Scott Fitzgerald, and from time to time, Mr. Miller will switch to different scenes in F. Scott Fitzgerald's life in the 20s, him and Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, F. Scott living in the Midwest and fi- the difficulty of getting his short stories published and finally being able to succeed. The real meat of the book begins with Woodrow Wilson going off to Europe at the end of World War One, to try to nego- take part in the tr- Treaty of Versailles and to get the United States into the League of Nations. Uh, he truly believed he was doing God's will to try to bring peace to the world, and he was, he was uh, his father, you know, was a minister, Woodrow Wilson. And he, he truly believed he was doing God's will to try to stop war. He came back to the United States, uh, determined to get us in. There was a lot of opposition to the League in the Senate, and it, people said, some of the senators said, well, we could, we might go in under, if certain provisions were made, allowing United States autonomy and that it didn't interfere with the Constitution and the like. Woodrow Wilson said, absolutely not. He, they had to go in all the way. He would not compromise at all. He was just dogged and determination to get us into the League. The Senate turned him down. He had a stroke in the fall of 1919 when he was campaigning around the country for the league. His wife practically ran the country uh, for the rest of his term because he was, you know, very, he was practically an invalid in the White House. 
And the first chapter, major chapter, is about that. The next chapter has to do with Red, uh, a red Dawn, and that has to do with there was a whole big concern about the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia and how it might affect the United States. Uh, there was a bombing at the home of Attorney General Mitchell Palmer. Uh, he was not killed. Franklin Roosevelt was one of Mitchell Palmer's neighbors and witnessed the bombing. He thought his son had been hurt, but he was able to rescue his son out of the house. And it was a whole concern about radicalism. Palmer and his Justice Department began to do raids and arrest people that they thought were radical. One of the people who worked for him was a young lawyer who would later become very famous named J. Edgar Hoover, who worked in the Justice Department. And it was all the concern about Bolsheviks, and many people were deported or arrested. Also, there was a lot of mistrust of foreigners in general, uh, Germany was especially mistrusted as a as a enemy in the war. In the early months of World War II, we learned that there was such an anti-German feeling in World War One's years that he, would you believe that Beethoven music by Beethoven and Brahms and other German composers were banned from symphony concerts? Orchestras wouldn't play their music. I believe it. Yeah, uh, and. Sauerkraut became Liberty Cabbage, uh, which was uh, interesting. That, that I think of in the Iraq War, when France would not back the United States, people changed the name of French fries to Freedom Fries. It reminded me of that. Uh, I did not know that. I knew about the, um, the I'm, there were French restaurants that were going out of business because nobody, I mean, Americans running the restaurants, and, and the restaurants went out of business, so this doesn't surprise me at all. Thank you for that tidbit. But, but, but uh, Liberty Cabbage, um, mm-hmm. um, fascinating chapter on the 1920 election. Warren Harding was this obscure senator from Ohio, from uh, Marion, Ohio, and he became uh, president on the grounds that he would get us back to normalcy. He did not want us involved in a lot of he thought America had been too stressed by uh, all the international situation. He picked Calvin, the party picked Calvin Coolidge as his running mate because Coolidge got very favorable reaction to many people when his governor he fired policemen in Boston who would who went on strike, and he fired those policemen uh, even if they agreed to go back to work. He fired them, and he got a lot of favorable laudits for that. Harding. While his heart was in the right place, he even admitted he wasn't really fit to be president. He said, this job, I'm not really up to this job, he said at one point. His wife, Florence, was told by a psychic fortune teller that she had that she made the prediction that Warren Harding would not survive his term. And in one moment of frustration, Harding said, when I hear a tax plan, one economist says this, another economy says that. I, you know, I said, I wish I could find a book with the right answer. And then, but then there'd be another book with another answer. And he just became utterly frustrated with the job. He also had other people in his administration who were kind of corrupt. You know, his Secretary of the Interior and uh, Mr. Paul and things like that. He died in San Francisco in 1923. Many people were suspicious of his death because he seemed ill and it was apparently heart problems. Some people thought maybe he had been poisoned. 
but uh, most historians say that did not happen. Uh, his wife died a few years later. Coolidge became president. When told of the president's death, his father swore him in. I guess his father was a noted, if I remember right, his father was a noted republic and could do the job, but he was re-sworn in in Washington. Um, there are chapters on all the fads of the 20s. There's this, there are things like flappers and jazz. There's a whole, you learn all about the people that made the 20s, like Louis Armstrong and Big Spiderbeck and all the music, musicians uh, that were big. Uh, the 20s had its dark side. Uh, you had, for example, there was, an, um, because of a lot of suspicion and prejudice, the Ku Klux Klan had a big revival in the 20s. And many people in frustration in places like Indiana and other places formed new chapters of the Ku Klux Klan, and many of the people who became governors and some governors and some congressmen got Klan support, and they felt beholding to the Ku Klux Klan. There was a horrible series of lynchings in the teens and 20s because blacks or African-Americans were treated very badly in certain places, and he, he talks about some of the horrible racial incidents that, that occurred. It was also a dark time because of, well, one, of the, one example is the kidnapping and murder of 14-year-old Bobby Franks in 1924 in Chicago. who were He was killed and murdered by two of his schoolmates, you may, I'm sure you've heard of Loeb and Leopold. Oh, gosh, yes. Real killers. They thought they would commit the perfect crime, but one Very of them dropped their glasses, and that eventually led to well, the worst thing that the poor guy, the guy they did to the, his poor parents. They get a phone call saying, demanding a ransom for Bobby's release, and they'd already murdered the boy. And his body was found a few days later. Uh, yep. they, they are the classic examples of a psychopath. And it was terrible. You're right. They went to trial. Clarence Darrow was their defense lawyer. They pleaded guilty uh, in many people, and uh, the, in, in the hopes of escaping the hangman. There were many people that wanted the boys to hang, but Clarence Darrow made a speech to the judge talking about the evils of the death penalty. And the judge went, uh, Darrow was able to persuade the judge not to sentence them to hang because they were so young. These boys were like teenagers. Mm -hmm. So they got a life sentence. One of them died in prison, and one of them was finally paroled in 1958, and he died in Hawaii in 1971, or in Puerto Rico, I'm sorry, in 1971. But this case focused also on many of the Chicago newspapers just thrived on this story, and he talks about the rise of the uh, the press, I mean, the, the modern uh, celebrity press, like the Daily News in New York, which folk, the papers focused on things like crime and sex and scandals. A notorious murder case in 1927 involving a woman and her lover who kills her husband, and he, they go to the electric chair together, these two people. And the New York papers just played this story up. And, and other things like that. It was when news began to cease to be news and more celebrity and scandal-oriented, something we certainly are still suffering from today, you know, in our press. He profiles personalities of the 20s, the sports stars like uh, Babe Ruth 
and Jack Jack Dempsey, and uh, well, sports became a big big business in the twenties. He talks about radio and movies and the press with their rise, chain stores, the rise of network radio. It changed America from a nation of different cultures and regional cultures into a mass national culture, national culture, which became a law. Uh, we learned about many intellectuals in America. The authors and writers and artists were discontented. They thought American intellectual life was very sour, and they went to Europe. They came back later, many of them, but they were very... They felt bored in this country. That One of them said something to the effect, the only culture we have in this country is popular songs. I don't know what he proposed replacing it with, you know, this critic. Yeah. But, but that was another factor. We hear about some of the dynamic personalities, too, like Amy Simple McPherson and Billy Sunday, who were very, had wide followings. Amy and her mother were very sensational. Amy was supposedly kidnapped at one point, and she started the Four Square Church in L.A. And I think, if I remember, Walden, she had one of the first radio stations in L.A. The third radio station yeah. in L.A. was hers. Yep, correct. Uh-huh. I don't remember the call letters. I, I know he's mentioned it. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember it, Jim. But, she, but uh, it focuses on her. Mm-hmm. There's a chapter on the monkey trial and the whole debate over evolution um, and the whole battle between Clarence Darrow and William Jennings Bryan in court. There's there's the story of uh, some of the other personalities like Margaret Sanger, who promoted birth control and uh, better treatment for women. There's a story on her. There's a story on all the the failure of the 18th Amendment even if it was an amendment to the Constitution, most people violated the rule, even government officials. The politicians, supposedly, who were supposed to enforce the law, drank themselves at parties and functions. Under the table, of course, but they drank. And you have it talks, he talked about the rise of Al Capone and the gangsters and the mobsters and how... Al Capone says, I just take more chances than people do who take bathtub gin or something. He said, I just put myself more at risk. And it talked about all the gang wars, and kids kids would actually uh, be playing on the street and going rat-a-tat-tat, meaning machi- imitating machine guns. You know, gunplay became such an integral part of life in many cities. People debated, well, they're, at least they're killing each other and not killing av- you know innocent citizens. But the turf wars were very... Uh, you know, what one gangster thought his turf was being invaded, Al Capone particularly, he you wouldn't want to cross Al Capone. And that's what happened. That's was the cause of the Saint Valentine's Day massacre. Seven of his of the rival gang, Bugs Moran's gangsters, were killed in this garage. Hang on. Yesterday USA Jim giving us a book report. Surprised we didn't mention what happened in 1920, the, the right, the woman having the right to vote happened That's right. in the 20s. The 19th Amendment, uh, women got that right, mm-hmm. um, and many women did vote. Uh, many women felt that even with suffrage, though their rights had not really improved, 
then, as later, various ERA amendments were proposed uh, that didn't go anywhere. But like I say, Margaret Sanger was an important woman in the whole issue of birth control uh, and uh, women's health issues. You also learn about uh, Calvin Coolidge lost his son in the White House. He apparently was playing tennis, and he had a cut on his foot, or any, and he had infections. And I remember Patricia uh, told me that last week. I, I didn't remember that, but to tell Patricia you that. Remember that, Patricia? Um, and the infection from for whom? I guess Calvin from Coolidge's son. Coolidge's son. Calvin Coolidge's son. Oh, did I tell you that? Yeah, you, that was the thing you told me last week. Um, huh. You also had you had um, you had the whole issue of some things. There were some great improvements in life. Uh, he focuses a chapter on Henry Ford, and if the 1950s were the decade when television really changed America, while automobiles had been around before the 20s, 1920s was truly the decade when the automobile came of age. And he talks about how in earlier, like in like in 19, before 1914, it took like 12 hours to build a car. But by 19, by the late teens, with mass production and assembly lines, it took like not even, I think, an hour and a half, like 83 minutes. In order, very, the time was cut dramatically mm-hmm. in building a car. And Henry Ford says, one person's put a bolt on, but the next person puts a nut on. A person doesn't do both. And he had real strict rules at his assembly lines. People couldn't whistle or sing or uh they had to take very short bathroom breaks, and the rules were very rigid. But it was jobs for people, and the cars were built, and very successfully, first the Model T, then later the Model A, and then other cars such as Chevrolet came along and GM and the, those automobiles. You, you learn about... Um, some of the stock manipulators, you learn about the 1928 presidential campaign when Al Smith ran against Herbert Hoover. Oh, oh before I forget it, the 1924 Democratic Convention where it took 102 ballots before John Davis was nominated as the Democratic candidate. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Ballots. Uh, I give 22 votes from the state of Alabama to Underwood. Sort of had you Underwood. How many? How many people did they have to choose from? Well, they had several, uh, a number, but they never could agree. Uh, probably five or six at a time, probably. But under, but the thing is, but people remember that Underwood because he was, you know, he had no chance of being the nominee. But they would, they, the favorite son, Alabama, would always vote for him every time. And it was the first convention to be broadcast on radio. For his running mate, Coolidge picked Charles Dahl, Dawes, and he was a, he did different business things, but he also was a songwriter, and among other things, he wrote the song "It's All in the Game." <laughs> it's all in the game. That's a pretty but, that's a pretty fa- famous song from the fifties. By late in the fifties, yeah. you remember Tommy Edwards had a big hit of it. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good song. Then you learn about the 1928 campaign between Herbert Hoover and Al Smith. Many Republicans did not want Hoover, Herbert Hoover because they thought he was too progressive because of some of the things he'd done earlier. Yeah. But uh, he won the nomination, and he picked Mr. Curtis as his running mate. He won overwhelmingly, 
there were a lot of people that did not want Al Smith in because he was a Catholic, and there was there was. You, you know, I was just thinking. You think there's some similarity Hoover in 1920 to what we're seeing today. Hoover had no elected office. He was a complete outsider. That's right. It, Wilson appointed him as that ed- editor of uh, that in the, charge the, of food aid. Food, food aid. And he had been a businessman, very successful businessman in China, construction. Right, and he worked, and he went to Stanford, and yep. he was a, v- a very brilliant man. Uh, he was head of the uh, Commerce Secretary in the Harding and Coolidge administrations, and among other things, he, I think, it was Commerce Secretary. Well, it was it involved the deregulation of radio, the regulation of radio mm-hmm. involved in that. Uh, and he was the one that finally decided radio should be have advertisers and not be licensed by the government, you know, where people paid fees or stations paid paid fees to the government, but advertising was the way for radio to go. Some people liked that decision, and many regret it, how it affected radio. But Hoover won. He got off to a good start, but then the crash happened in October of 1929. Groucho Marx lost a huge amount of money in, in stock investments. Mr. Miller devotes chapters to various stock manipulations and investments. Variety later, its headline, Wall Street lays an egg. Interestingly, the crash did not start the depression immediately. It seemed to recover, but other things contributed to the depression, like... Um, the, tr- the trade war. Trade in, in yeah. Europe. Yep. Which in Europe, which made things worse. Many felt Hoover was not handling the job right. Many... <coughs> <coughs> People felt that he should have done more <coughs> to assist, <coughs> assist American citizens if he helped corporations. Hoover believed we could get out of it just through a strict free market thing. But by 1932, most Americans did not agree with that. And another thing that not, did not help Hoover in his reelection was when the Army evicted the Bonus Army yep. Washington, the, the World War One veterans, yep. from their shantytown. Yep. That did not help Herbert Hoover any, and FDR won the election. The book ends with FDR taking over the country in the epilogue. And Miller believed, again, that the 20s were truly a decade that truly changed America in many ways for the better. Um, he, He says it was interesting that we were, in a way, we had the three most conservative presidents, yet we were the most... Um, Progressive. Relaxed in, 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 in moral standards and things like that. Oh, he also devotes a chapter to Charles Lindbergh and his flight mm-hmm. across the Atlantic and how aviation grow, grew. Many people felt vindicated with Lindbergh because many people fought with the flappers and all of the interest in jazz and uh, violating the 18th Amendment, that our morals had gone down. And our youth was on the decline, but Charles Lindbergh, by his flight, in many people's minds, vindicated American youth. The American youth finally had a good example that they could uh, look up to. Uh, and uh, and it, I wonder who dubs him Lucky Lindy. I don't know how that name came about, but no. he, it was a risk taking that flight across the Atlantic because no one had done it before. Right. Um, and he, and he, of course, he he succeeded very greatly. Um, oh, there were some innovations, by the way, I forgot to mention. One man 
uh, took took some lemonade outside to make it cold, or put some lemonade in to get it cold, put some ice on it. He forgot about it. It froze, and this would eventually lead to the popsicle in the 19. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get into that, Patricia. <laughs> Is that? Are you serious? That's what he. That's what he, Mr. Miller says. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> And 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 the continental baking uh, and uh, with Wonder Bread in the late twenties, bread could now be available sliced already. Oh, that was another innovation. Patricia could have invented that. Is that, where, is that where the expression um, "the greatest thing since sliced right bread, bread" came from? Uh-huh. Oh, I, I bet. Yeah. So shaving became easier with with safety razors, and in 1924, the electric razor was invented. Mm-hmm. First electric razor. Um, and so there were, there were things like that. This was a very enjoyable read. I truly enjoyed it. I felt I learned a lot. I didn't know a lot about the 20s. I'm interested in it because, first of all, it's the decade my parents were born. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew some things, but I learned a lot. I, it was a very enjoyable read. I learned a lot, and I give the book four stars. Oh, right. Four stars. Okay, that's a great commentary. That's a great recommendation. Jim is a very discriminating reader, so I'm cool on that. Thank you. Well, I, you know, it's, it's one that uh, uh, that I that I enjoyed. Uh, I'm hope I'm hope hopefully other people will enjoy it when they read it too. I'm. I'm uh, so Jim, let me ask you this: When you get a book that you don't like, do you still keep reading to the very end? It depends. Uh-huh. Uh, there are there are a couple of books I'm reading now that I probably won't review because I don't think they would be of interest to U- USA. Uh, it's, I don't think it's the kind of thing that a USA audience would enjoy. Okay. And it's not necessarily that I don't like the. I mean, I, I'm reading one now. For example, I just finished one called "The Terrorist Next Door" about the rise of right-wing militias and terror groups uh, that are hate groups. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the. Uh, Terry Nichols, Timothy, Timothy McVeigh type right. of right-wing hate groups. Mm-hmm. But that, I, and it was an interesting book, learning about these people, but I don't think it's the kind of subject that I think Yesterday USA listeners would enjoy. Right. And I'm not taking, I'm not saying it was a bad book. No. I'm just saying when I pick books for Yesterday USA, it's, I try to deal with things that I think listeners would, would really be interested in. You're a good credit. You're a good credit for Yesterday USA. Well, I enjoy it. Yeah. It, 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 you know, if it helps people get, get learn or in, or get entertained, I especially hope people like the last one I did, Once an Eagle. I hope people really enjoy that. That's been my of all the ones I've reviewed. That's been my favorite mm-hmm. so far. Um, my next one is probably going to be Volume One of William Manchester's massive William uh, Winston Churchill biography called The Last Lion. But that may be a few weeks because it's a long, it's like an 800 or 900 page book. So. Oh, mama mia. <laughs> There's a lot you know, of cover. I, I have this, this um, pretty big splash of attention deficit disorder. Yeah. And even the words 800 pages make me sweat. <laughs> I just, I cannot imagine that. If you told me four books, 200 pages each, I would say, oh, cool, I can do that. Uh-huh. But 800, the, the mere thought of 800 pages 
sends my poor little brain into a tizzy. Well, the longest one I ever read, and it was another William Manchester book, and, and, and I really liked it. It was one called The Glory and the Dream, A Narrative History of America, 1932 to 72. It was 1,300 pages. <laughs> you know, but, but yet I, I still think about if John Dunning could have printed the book the way he really had it originally, mm -hmm. can you imagine what fun that would have been, 3,600 pages of old-time radio? I agree. Joe, I, how, how did, this is probably a good question for Patricia, how did a William Manchester convince a publisher to print the big, gigantic books? I mean, he must have started out doing biographics as a right after yeah. the World War II, but how, how did he convince a publisher well, for him to it's do? It's interesting. Interesting you ask that. I was going to ask Jim the same thing. <laughs> well, I wonder, because, well, I guess if you have, if you have, if you have, oh, what about the, another person that's mentioned in this 20s book, and I thought of because of Manchester, H.L. Mencken is often quoted. Mm -hmm. and Man oh, yeah. Oh, gee, I love him. Manchester's first book was called Disturber of the Peace. It was a biography of H.O. Mencken in 19... Oh, my gosh. It must, uh, thank you for telling me he did one. And how many pages is that, Jim? I don't know. If, probably. if you included all of his quotes, it probably was in the 2,000 range. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, I, it's it's really an interesting question that you asked, Walden. Yeah. I think a lot of it would have to do with the publishing house. Um, because mean, each... Each publisher has its own flavor, its own um, preferences in terms of publications. So I will get out of candy corn for now, 35 well, million pounds of candy corn, <laughs> and let us see. Well, uh, see, I, I, read, I remember reading some, some profile of some authors, and they, they take on a subject like that. Mm-hmm. And, and they say, and I know some of them, it's, then it's not, they're not doing it in thirty days. You know what I mean? It, it's a, it's a. I remember reading someone, one guy working on a book with a nine-year project, mm -hmm. and so somehow, the publisher must have believed enough of him to give him some of a van to keep him afloat until the book look, came out. Look at Mister Starving, yeah. Look at Mister Robert H. <laughs> and a lot, and also, a writer does not approach a publisher all the time with an idea, they're two-thirds through the manuscript before they contact a publisher and say, this is what I'm working on and this is what I've gotten done. Um, and the publisher can come back and say, well, we, if you retreat it or redo it in this direction, then by all means come in and talk with us. But, um, I, you know, nine and 12 years into a project, Walden, I, I would be a basket look at, case. Look at Mr. Robert A. Carroll the historian who is now on, he's written four volumes of his massive biography of Lyndon B. Johnson. And his first book called The Path to Power was written in 1982. Then he had, he had uh, Means of Ascent in 1991, I think. Then his, fourth, his third volume is called Master of the Senate. And that came out about 1990, about 2003 or 2002. Then, and then in 2010 or 11, 
the fourth volume, The Passage of Power, which is up. We're now up to Jan- in Lyndon Johnson's life. We're up to January 1964, two months after he became president. So he's got one, maybe two more volumes to go. I'm hoping Mr. Carroll can, because he's been doing on this project since we started this project. The first book was in 82. So, so he's he probably done in 75 or something. About 75 or so. Hope he lives long enough to finish. Well, it makes you wonder, the the publisher must think they got enough sales in educational institutions for his books. Well, they all been they've all been bestsellers. Uh, in Manchester, as far as his Churchill biography went, he got the first two done, and he died before the third volume was finished. And there was some debate as to whether, it, and somebody else took over the writing of it. Someone he knew took over the writing of it to finish it. It came out a couple of years ago. So he was able. The book was able to get finished. Not all of it by Manchester's hand. Yeah. Of course, a lot of times, if you if you have a good reputation from your past books, that helps you with publishers too. Like William Manchester wrote, for example, he wrote the, the one of the books on the Kennedy assassination, the first major one, the death of a president. He wrote one called The Arms of Krupp about the Krupp munitions people in Germany. He wrote, as I said, The Glory and the Dream. He wrote American Caesar, the definitive, definitive biography of Douglas MacArthur. And then he did those three volumes on Churchill. So you think, Patricia, a publisher could come up with an idea and then ask a certain writer or throw an, uh, sure. throw an idea out there with a two, three, four writers until which one might take the idea and then they negotiate some form of a, a contract? It would... No, I, um, they, they would contact one person. Okay. And the person they had worked with before, someone whose work they knew, and had a working relationship with. So, you know, it wouldn't be something that you would shotgun out to a bunch of writers and see who bid on it. Um, bit so, B I T, so, not Z. <laughs> Someone else, like, like you bite with a fish hook. Um, so, yes, indeed, that a, could happen. If you're really good and you have a good reputation from your past work, that mm-hmm. helps. So, for example, I'm thinking of people like, let's say, Herman Welk. Mm-hmm. He writes a book on occasion. The publisher, naturally, because of his past success, there'll be no question about the publisher publishing it because he, he has a track record. Um, or, or someone like that. Um, and, and, of course, you know, sometimes ex-presidents write their memoirs, but the, the big argument there is are they really writing it or are there, is there ghost writers assisting these presidents in writing them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most every president, except for those that died, have written their memoirs since at least Truman. Um, I don't remember if Hoover wrote his memoirs or not, but I know that Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, I think Bush Sr. wrote his books. I, I don't. I, Bill Clinton, I know, wrote his, his memoirs, and I believe George, uh, the second President Bush did his memoir. But I, but I don't know how many of them were actually written or ghost-written. The only reason I say that about ghost-written is a lot of times, you know, presidents may, may be good politicians, but they're not necessarily good writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So. Oh, my. Yeah, it'll, it would have been interesting if we could all live long enough to see 
how the historians treat the presidents who wrote their own memoirs and how history matches up to their individual perceptions of themselves. Well, most, most, uh, most people that I've talked to prefer to read biographies of the presidents to the memoirs. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just trying to think. Remember, I think Richard Nixon wrote, was it, eight books? After he left after, off. Now, those were not necessarily biopics, bio, biographies, I don't They were on foreign policy. On foreign policy. He wrote several mm-hmm. books on, like, Soviet relations and things. Nothing to do with him, even. Right. Uh, what direction we should go. I think Kissinger may have done the same thing. And I, I think if I think at the very end I seem to remember Nixon getting like a a million dollars for one of them or something. There was a, yes, you're right. He did get a yeah. huge advance on it. And, and and I think he wound up um telling the government that he didn't think they it was right for them to pay for his secret service. So he went, he picked up the tab Nick, for his own security. Nixon did? Yes. After probably after he figured he made enough money Especially around when he, I think the member a million dollars for one of them at the end, that he told the government, "I'm going to pay for this out of my own pocket." He didn't want. That, that, was, that was really swell of him. After yeah, I did enjoy it. how much on an ice maker because he wanted clear ice. Right. I did enjoy listening that we paid for. Uh, yeah. When Larry King <laughs> later on, Larry King often had Nixon as a guest in later years. Mm. I used to enjoy listening to Larry King's interview with Nixon. I mean, and, and they, 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 they might talk occasionally about his presidency, but most of the time they would talk about the current issues, not having to do with him, you know, how, how a given president was handling... Did, it. Did, did, when David Falk did the series with Nixon, yeah. did Nixon get paid for that? I don't remember. But there was some money deal. Like I think it was a money, and I think, wasn't it like a... Two, there was at least two, maybe three. Was there at least a three or four? Three or four interviews. Interviews. Yeah. What I remember about that more than anything else is in the first interview when David Frost asked President or former President Nixon about some of his actions, and it, it caused some laughs by people at the time. And he, he probably didn't mean it quite the way it came across, but he actually did say, and I kid you not, when the president does it, it's not a crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was. That was, that was kind of an interesting quote when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. But it was, they were good interviews, I thought, and I thought both Nixon and Frost did a good job yeah. on them. I, I, would be su- I would be surprised Hoover did his own because he was a very, very wealthy man, and so he would ha- probably had any motivation. I mean, he was... I think Hoover probably best served... Um, the people by the thing he did After. when he wasn't president. He, you know, he at, during the twenties, as you mentioned, he was the one that put, that fed fed Europe, and then that was Truman. Truman after the World War Two, he put uh, Hoover the Hoover Commission. After. He, yeah, he put Hoover tried to feed Europe in the forties. Right, because Roosevelt kind of excluded Hoover. From all activity, but when 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 uh, Truman became president, he brought Hoover right back. Right, he he knew of a good administrator, and he 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 remembered the twenties, so that's why he wanted Hoover in charge. The other thing that the author, and I was thinking about this as I read this about Hoover, even after he was president, he continued to do things. And it's interesting that both two presidents in the twentieth century 
Herbert Hoover and Jimmy Carter yeah. were both very intelligent men, you know, very well educated, very well, uh, they, were, they, they were both, you know, highly educated, and they both did a lot better as ex-presidents than presidents. Mm -hmm. Their legacy, their legacy is uh, more important to the things they did outside office than what they did inside. Except for the David, uh, the Peach Accord for Jimmy Carter, I would think everything else we're going to think about him is going to be all the the marvelous things he's done after the after and the, and the, and the, the White House. Habitats for Humanity. Correct. Yeah. Those. And the, and the other thing is, I'm, I'm thinking too about Eisenhower. When when uh, there were two miniseries, TV miniseries made about Eisenhower, one in the 70s, late 70s, and mm -hmm. one in the 90s. Both of them only focused on his years as a general in World War. Neither one focused. Yeah, I think Eisenhower could be remembered as a general, not as a president. More more his, his success in World War II. Yeah, yeah. Far more than his presidency. I think so. Mm-hmm. I agree. I well, agree. well, Jim, you you did a great job again for us tonight. Thank you. It had some really interesting information in there. Well, I hope you you know if you get a chance to read it, and other people do, I hope they will enjoy it. It's just uh, again, it's a fun activity of mine. Not every like I say, I, I don't be reviewing every book I read because I want to I want only want to do ones that would be of interest to you. But. Well, I have to get a queen mm -hmm. for Patricia to lift it up, but, she, you know, I'm glad. Right, by yeah. the way, have you had a chance yet, <laughs> Patricia? Two questions. I know I ask this every time. Yeah. Have you had a chance yet to look at Dunning's mystery novels yet? No. Ron likes them very much. I know he does. And I went to Abe Books, uh, and shame on me, they're about $3 a piece at Abe Books, mm -hmm. which is a used book place, and... The shipping is free, so it's a b e b o o k s dot com for people who want really good bargains on books. That's where I got my Thomas Jefferson for all of three dollars and six cents. And remember um, too, you might maybe you can get a word perfect or a letter perfect that way too. Maybe. Oh, I never thought of that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, I will. See you all have a wonderful evening. You too, Jim. Thank you. And, and after all, Patricia has all, have all the empty shelves in her cabinet. She can start getting more books. Oh, by the way, tomorrow it's the get. I, I called Dennis. Tomorrow's the Bob and Ray author, right? Yep, I, David Pollock would be worth us. Okay. You bet. Thanks again. You bet. Bye-bye. That's right. David will be with us. We'll talk about Bob and Ray tomorrow. 714-545-2071. Our number you want to call and talk about. Halloween with Patricia. I know she got more trivia on that, or candy, or books, and or radio stuff. shows, or stuff, or or um, Orson Welles, or um, stuff like that. There. Perfect. What would you like? <laughs> the phone. The phone's not ringing. Well, that means I can do stuff. Okay, stuff, stuff. All right, Halloween stuff, mischief night. Let's see, what have we got here? Um, Tootsie Rolls. I already asked about Tootsie Rolls. Um, magical powers called Black Cats. Black Cats have long believed, been believed to be a supernatural omen since witches hunt in the Middle Ages. 
when cats were thought to be connected with evil, whatever the heck that means. Oh, cats are not connected. Patricia, I know, you know, poor little kitties. I have to get a kitty cat. You do. What do you think? I love you to have a cat. I would love to have a kitty. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I sit and I think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a little kitty? It'd be a good companion for the radio show. It could could do tricks for us on the air. Like her? (laughs) It could be a tax write-off. Did, it could purr. Did you see it? She jumped over the stick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavens to Betsy. Heavens to Betsy. Hello, okay. caller. You're on the air. What kind of cat Patricia should get? <laughs> Hi, you guys. Hi. Are you? Hi, so well. You have, a, you have a vote for a kitty cat. What kind of kitty cat Patricia should find? Well, let's see. I'm kind of, I like tabby cats. Okay. Yeah, like cats. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I love tabby cats, Patricia. I love tabby cats. I like the yellow ones. I like the black ones. I think I like the yellow ones a little bit better, but I like tabby cats. Yeah. They're, they're not. They're, they really are cute. Yeah. You know, with the, they're, they're kind of little stripes. They're fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I like them. And they, have, they seem to have more personality than some of the regular breeds. The last, so, cat, the last cat we have is a, a, a mix of tabby and Siamese. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. That's right. Yeah. How strange. <laughs> how, how, was it a good, is it a good cat? It was a good cat. What she, what she, she was weaned from her mom too soon. So what she loved oh. to do, what she loved to do is climb up my on my shirt, sit on my shoulder and suck my earlobes. So I would walk around the house <laughs> with the cat purring and sucking on my earlobes. Good thing she never bit on my earlobe, but she sat there and just sucked on it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I didn't call you to talk about this, but y'all were talking about music in school. Yeah. I started piano lessons when I was in the first grade, and we had regular music every day. We had music books, and after a while, I began to accompany the class. You know, I would be the piano player for the class, and we sang, oh, almost every day, all the time. So what, what piano lessons after school, before school, or would it be a second during school? After school, uh-huh. Sometimes on Saturday, you yeah. know. And White Christmas was a big song, and I got to play that for my first piano recital when I was about in the first or second grade. Oh, I wow. Remember. But, yeah, that's what I was saying the other day. We all thought being Crosby was Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that wasn't... It, it's funny because I didn't call to talk about that, but, you know, when I went off to college, I... Uh, I was a music education major, mm-hmm. and the first day I went to my first theory class at the University of North Texas, which is real famous for yeah. college, and I sat down, and I didn't know anybody, but this good-looking guy walked in the door, and everybody was saying, Paul Guerrero's back in town. He's coming back to finish his degree, and blah, 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 this and that. He sat down right next to me. That's how I met him. Isn't that something? That's a great. I have a great music story I want to tell, just in case people don't haven't heard me tell this one. My mom would take piano lessons every week. 
Uh-huh. And she got uh, she got sick until she had she missed a lot of school, you know, several weeks of schools. And uh-huh. so she she so she got willing to go back to school, and she always had her piano lessons after school. So her mother wrote a note asking the teacher to let her out, let her, let her, you know, because I think what they did is have kids make up homework at school, you know, after right. class. Well, she wrote, could could my mom be excused from staying after school in order to attend piano lessons? And the teacher refused. Uh, but, and the teacher refused. Cold-hearted. Cold-hearted. <laughs> and, but the thing was, here's the, uh, the side-by story. It, what it did, her older brother, my Uncle Jim, who later became the four-star general, his uh-huh. duty was to walk his little sister back to uh, from the school to the music teacher. And here my mom got the, was turned down, and she saw her big brother walking up and down the hallway while she was doing her homework. So guess the next day, guess what school teacher... Wound up having four flat tires and couldn't get to school. <laughs> I hope those there's no hint of something bad going on. Here. <laughs> Maybe that's why he became a general. That's Maybe right. That's right. Early in life. That's right. But you know, but somehow the teacher had four flat tires the next day. <laughs> Well, see, he started his leadership role when he was a young man. <laughs> he but I would think, I, I would thought that, I would think it'd be a pretty normal routine that if a a student had a note from their parent asking to be excused for something, most teachers would agree to that. But I guess this one would not. <laughs> Well, see, that's what a good general does. He saw an obstacle, and he saw something wrong for his sister, so he found it taken care of it. (laughs) That's a funny story. Now, look, what I really talked to you about tonight was, um, of course, your hobby, your avocation, everything to do with your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Patricia, should I go ahead and see if I can get him tonight? Should I go after him? Oh, oh, yes. Go for it. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm getting ganged up on in here. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. This is a Jesse yes, James over here. Go for it, you, You're always asking Patricia and me and everybody all kinds of facts. Yeah, but. You. Yeah, but. You know, there's somebody in my life that no, you... Oh, yeah, but... Yeah, there's no, somebody in my right. life who I love very much that always has the phrase, <laughs> yeah, but, you know? So can I borrow that? Right. Okay. Now, right. everything in your life, your avocation and what you love and everything yeah. is to do with radio. Right? Well... Well, I mean... Well, it's your major. Now, it's sort of what I'm known. Admit it, Walden. I like, to, I, I, week, I, I like to eat. Now, last week in 1953, something wonderful happened to radio. What was it? In Something wonderful? Yes, happened. Other than just being wonderful? Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. And we all loved it when it happened. Hmm. All right, Walden. My brain, my brain, my, my, he doesn't know. My brain's work, my brain's working, so let me. Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Celeste, can you stay until tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> He's never going to say he doesn't know, Patricia, you know. Um, you know, and I, and I keep telling him it's an okay answer. I know, but he, he never, okay, and especially since it has, has to do with radio. He's not going to Nine, eight, ding, seven, ding, ding, six, ding, ding, five, ding. four, three, two, one. Blast off, right. What's the answer? All right, Walden, are you ready? I'm still working on the question. <laughs> He's ready. <laughs> what What is the answer, Celeste? All right, the first. Transistor radios oh. by Texas Instruments. I never. Th- I was thinking of FM, and but a new FM was formed in 1940. Well, so. that was around the same time. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I but like Steve that. Walden, you yeah. were wrong. You didn't. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. How could no, I he, be? He just, how, he just how, didn't know. How could have? How could I be wrong when I didn't give an answer? Make him say it, Patricia. He'll never say Walden? it, Billy. It's yeah. time. Yeah. How can I be wrong when I, when I didn't give an you know, answer? The, the, the three magic words in the world are supposed to be, I love you. Yes. Not true. <laughs> Walden, say it. Say it. I, you can do this. I. I. Come on, Walden. Don't. don't. No. No. I, well, it's sort of like, you know, I think, I, I, I think, I think that's a good one. Like, or another one. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, some men don't have the ability to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's true. I well, we, know you're, we know you're one of the stars of the men that doesn't know <laughs> you You lead the pack. <laughs> that's a great one. I did not know that. Yeah. Now, whatever happened, always, to, you remember? remember they always the, have little things in the Dallas Morning News. Yeah. Uh, they have a, a column that's what happened on this day in 43 and 82 and all that. You remember? And the, I thought, I'm going to call Walt and tell him, ask him a question he doesn't know. No. Okay. Okay. Now, with, I'm going to turn the table on you two. Oh, here we go. We're yeah. Go I'm ahead. Not involved. Texas Instrument. What did they try to what did they try to develop in the nineteen eighties? What do you two remember? And I think they caused the company to go under. Really? Uh, uh. They, they came out with a calculator that Right, I remember the calculator because we had one in the eighties. But yeah, I, I I think they, Oh well now the calculator I think came before the transistor radio. Right. But I think yeah. they I think they tried something in the eighties and then and I think it, but I think it caused them to go under or helped them get bought out. I don't I, know. I seem to remember they tried to get their hands involved in personal computers. Did they? I, I don't I seem think. to remember. It was fairly I don't early. Remember. Yeah. Well, let's see. I, okay, could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I seem to remember 
Because, you know, that was a famous he company. He take it out and make sure he's not wrong. You don't, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stand it. Because <laughs> I remember that was a well-known company until the, somewhere like the mid-'80s. Then it sort of disappeared. Well, they're, they're still active. I don't know what they make their money on now. Maybe Patricia can tell us. This, yeah. But, uh, well, remember there how, is oh, the Texas Instrument Instruments computer just sitting up in front of me right here. See? June 1981. Yep. Can and I, it discontinued I, in 1983. Right. <laughs> Boom. Just like that. Can yeah. I, I see remember them and Commodore. Remember there was the Commodore 64? Yeah, I do remember. And yeah. those were uh, two, two of the first personal computers I remember out on the market. You know, I do remember in the north corridor of Dallas, uh, which is up where um, Texas Instruments is, mm-hmm. there were two or three companies that tried computers. I didn't know Texas Instruments was one of them. But two or three of them went up in that area. Yeah, it, it, I do remember. You remember how big the calculators were, and how by by the time when we got into the eighties, how small they turned out to be. I mean, oh yes, Texas Instruments must have made a bundle on just on ships and things just to make those things so like pocket pocket size. Oh well, yeah, you know. But but remember, they they went on to be very successful because. Uh, I don't know about the computer market. They weren't in that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But remember, they, they're they still very active, and they still produce things, and they work with GE and all these. I, you they're don't, still you, re, real involved in all they? these war. You don't hear about – nationally, they used to have a big brand name. Uh, I don't hear about them today like I did yeah. years ago. Yeah. And remember, we talked about that. Tiny little chip that looks like inside a watch. Yep. It's in a glass case. Yeah. It was up for auction, but I, I kept looking at the the uh, paper, but it never did say how much it sold for. I bet you somebody paid a fortune oh. at the Silicon Valley. What do you bet? Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. stuck away in some museum, I would say, yeah. by now. Yeah. Definitely. You know. Well, Patricia, I want to tell you something funny. I turned on the radio, the Yesterday USA one. It seems like to me it was kind of six or seven maybe in the afternoon, and I was working around here in my bedroom, and I thought, good gosh, that's the most horrible program, and I didn't even know what it was, but it was just terrible. And I thought, what are they playing that for? And it was your terrible shows. I'd never heard them before. And it was one that was just a stinker. I don't remember what it was, but that's the first time I'd ever heard your terrible shows. Anyway. I wonder if we lost her for a second, though. Uh-oh, maybe we did, yeah. 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 Well, wait, you see. If not, we have to get her back. You might. I have to. Okay. Well, we are so. So I stand by. I think I should get Patricia back. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so we'll call it a little music here, and okay, and we'll we'll go get Patricia, everybody. So all right, hang in there. Here we go. Hi. Okay. 
Jaws. Skype status on. Skype trip. Tom Mays. Tom Tomic. Gloria. Unread messages. Harry. Larry. Cynthia. Patricia Hewitt. Bill Brad. Mike. Patricia Hewitt. Phone applic. Send. Invite the crew. Enter. Leaving menus. Patricia. Unloading. Can't. Okay. Enter. Happened, but Celeste and I was just sitting there waiting for you to comment about uh, the great, the great issues of life, and you just weren't there. Uh, I took a break. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just suddenly, Skype kicked me out. <laughs> well, did you hear? Oh, what no. I was, did you hear what I was saying about that? I was just around here the other day listening to yesterday. You were saying I heard this horrible radio program, and I thought. What is that? Who's playing that? And that's the first time I'd even I'd ever heard any of your terrible programs. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was now. Thinker. Yeah. See, I wasn't kidding. Awful shows really We're good. We're not kidding, honey. From now on, if you say it's a stinker, I'm gonna believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think Patricia told the truth on that show. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. well, well, at least you hear my opinion That's on Richard Diamond and everything. You don't have any opinion on any subject matter at all, do you? I have one more Richard Diamond. Do I dare go out on a limb? Yes. Oh, I'll do it. Okay. I'd do it. I'd do it. You know, I think I I'll think I think you should do that. And I also should think I think you ought to consider some other sh- <laughs> beloved shows just to see what kind of ratings we'll get. If I do it, I get a whipping. <laughs> Well, you just go on, Patricia. If you say it's a stinker, I don't have to hear it. <laughs> You're going to trust me, okay? Well, I trust you implicitly. Patricia, yes. Patricia commentary who gets our price right. I just, I just love her commentary on these things, you know, because, you know, she, that poor thing, have we listened to those things at least twice and took a half hour and look, it took a half hour to write those, those notes, you know, for you to. To wind a story around the show. Uh, usually well, I, an hour. So I can't you're right. even remember two hours what it was about, but it was just an A number one stinker, and I said, and I thought, <laughs> you, think, you think Bill Bragg would have to do a awful show marathon? I mean, he's almost done a hundred of them. We could run them on the show, run them 24 hour loop. Oh, that, wouldn't that, oh, that would be torture. <laughs> that would be real torture to all of us. That, you know, that would be a lot of fun, uh, just as kind of a special once in a while uh-huh. to run nothing but awful shows for a day. <laughs> Especially because there's commentary that goes along with it. Like, we do recognize this thing. We're going to ask you to listen to it Well, that's why I think eventually, maybe when we get up to 100, if we can give away an MP3 disc of your commentary in the shows, I think people will want that as giveaway items, you know. I think so. Yeah. You could autograph them. You could autograph them, Patricia. I could autograph the disc. Certainly. Patricia... Patricia, awful number one, volume one. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, however they do those numbering on those things, you know. Well, you count the ways. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I have a whole collection. And I, I was so disappointed. We recorded five on Wednesday night. So there are, right. the, there are five in the tank for the upcoming weeks. And I looked at that and I said, man, I was so sure I had six. I was so sure I had six, and I did. 
I had misplaced one of the folders. It was on the desktop instead of in the in the um, 920 or 1029 folder. So um, I've got a leg up, and it is, oh, my goodness, is it awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, is it well, awful. Well, you know, I think you ought to. You know when your TV ever once in a while they come out with warnings? I think you ought to put a warning on you <laughs> before and it sounds like you may have missed the lead in commentary where I tell people my job is to pick an awful show and I do it every week and here are the reasons I think this one is really bad. And then I come back and Hey now I must have missed that part. That's what I Yeah, I, and I do. I do, and I give. I just started. She, 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 she does a pre log and a a pre log and a what what the one a post. <laughs> and an epilogue. Yeah, epilogue and a prologue. And a prologue. Yes. Yes. Oh um, gosh. Okay. Well, the, the final question yeah. of the night, Celeste. Before you hang up, because it's Halloween, what scares you? either in real life or a fear that something might happen or a fear of something? What scares you? I'll tell you how I scared myself for years one time, and it was my own fault. I was at home. You know, my husband worked at night all the time, and um, Mm -hmm. I was at home by myself in a great big house. And for some idiotic reason, they had this special on... uh, one of the channels, I don't remember which one, and it was like a three- or four-part series, and it was about that Charles Manson that killed... Oh, gee. And I started watching that, and this is what's so crazy. What makes human beings do this? I'll never know. When we know this and we know the story, I don't know why I kept watching. I, I can't figure that out about myself, but I did keep watching and I'll tell you, there for two or three weeks, I checked every door all the time. When Paul was gone, I checked the doors all the time. And my children were little, and I'd run over and make sure that they were sleeping, you know. And I don't know why I did that, but I scared myself for a long time doing that. So I, I don't watch those kind of things ever, ever anymore. Now, I might, I might be watching something... And I don't know it's going to be scary, but I never did. Yeah. Yeah. I knew the outcome to what, that. What, I kept what, watching, I don't know. Would you have the same effect, you think, if you watched it during the day? You think it would bother you? If You think it would bother you the same if you were watching it during the day? I don't, than... I don't think so, because the kids were little and they were asleep. And we mm-hmm. had a big two-story house, and I was just by myself watching yeah. it. And I, I just should have never, ever done that because I think, <clears throat> you know, Halloween things, Vincent Price, of uh, uh, Freddie on Elm Street, I never watched that, but right. my kids did and everything. Those kinds of things don't scare me at all. But when you know something is real, yeah. really happened, that's frightening to me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Made up Halloween stuff and everything that doesn't scare me. But but I knew the story, and I don't know why the heck I watched it. Mm. You know, there's something 
magnetic about uh-huh. a, a true crime story. No matter yeah. how gory it is, you need to know how it comes out. It's just a quirk of human nature. I understand what you're telling me. Okay, so uh-huh. uh, you think that's going why... Go ahead, George. I'm sorry. Turn off the, I don't know why I just didn't turn off the television and go yeah. to the night show. Once, the night once show you're night. into it, you had to know. Yeah. Do you think that, I, that's why <laughs> crime shows and the doctor shows have been so successful on TV for decades? It's because mm-hmm. crime shows and detectives and uh, doctor mm-hmm. shows. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Crime yeah. shows in particular. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, they're really scary, but Manson was a humdinger. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that that was just over the top. I mean, nobody could yeah. get their arms around what had happened. I mean, you get you get a boyfriend killing a girlfriend because yeah. he got angry over something. All right, there's a reason for it. It's a terrible uh-huh. crime, but they go in there and they solve it. But at least you've got some semblance of understanding what happened. There is no understanding with the Charles Manson murders. I know because he didn't know these people. No. They hadn't done no. anything to him. It, it, Actually, it, 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 he thought he was at Doris Day's son's home. Right. Right. Didn't he? Correct. But that is, have had it in a long it, time. They, 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 right. There was a house that they rented. So they thought yes. they were going to go after Doris Day's son. Mm-hmm. Um. I was thinking, remember the the book uh, Vincent Biosi wrote? Biosi, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think of the title. Did he write Helter Skelter? Yes. Yes. That's is that it? And I think he's still around. And remember, he was the he D- is. Uh, he he was the DA. He was the DA. Yeah. yeah. And that that got right. got got Manson, and it's, you know he uh, he's a very articulate. Sharp mm-hmm. mind. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember he, he came out with that book. And they had a really, really good actor whose name, I don't know, was playing his part. I think part of it was I kept waiting to see how they were going to catch him, how they did catch him, you know. Um, I guess that was part of it, or maybe I just wanted to see him get his punishment. I don't, I don't know why I kept well, watching. You, you, remember in the mid seventies, I was going through all my eye surgery, and at that time on TV, there was the famous Shepherd murder down in Florida. Yeah. Oh, and, Sam Shepherd. Right, Sam Shepherd. And oh, I yeah. and I remember my mom read the book, I think, and then there was when I was going through my surgery on seventy four. 75, there was a documentary on TV or a series. And people, and that became the thing that people watch. It, oh, the now, I don't, I the remember fugitive. that. Yeah. I don't fugitive. remember yeah. it on television. Yeah. That was the name of the program, The Fugitive. Right. And, and I think, I think that whole thing happened like in 70, 71. And the book and the series were like about the mid-70s. And that was a big phenomenon for a while. Mm-hmm. Now, did Vincent mother watch Bugliosi I think died so. in June. Did he really? What? This past June, yeah. He lived that long? Oh, okay. Wow. Because he wrote, two, he wrote some books after that, I think. So he was 81. Um, yeah, he's, he probably did, but anyway, he's not with us any longer. Wow. So. 
Yeah. But I, I remember that one. You know, that was a big thing in the mid-70s. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did your mother watch the television? I think so, but I definitely remember her reading the book. Of the Sam Yeah, Shepherd. Sam Shepard. Now, I don't remember that. What happened? Did he kill people, or what was that? Oh, I'm trying to remember the story. I think his wife was found dead, if I remember right. And they never... Sam Shepard? Yes. And yes. they never... Yes, he- and I never, mm-hmm. and they never. I think they prosecuted him at least twice for the crime, and never. He, he got a retrial. Yes, he did. And never. And, and, and they convicted him twice. Did they convict him twice, or I thought they were? I think um, they did. All right, let's see. I thought Damn they sure. were uh, mis- mistrucking. They never quite knew. Hmm. I, I see. Yeah, I. I don't remember that one so well. And I think he was a medical doctor or something. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. Yeah. To... It was Dr. Sam Shepard, yeah. Right. And retrial, let's see. What happened with the retrial? Not found. 1954 and 1966. Okay. Um, and we want to know if he was acquitted. Oh, well, probably was a, mis- a mistrial, that would be my thinking, because... Well, he he would have to get uh, not necessarily a mistrial, but a retrial, um, okay. because something got left out or evidence wasn't introduced. Oh, they probably discovered new evidence and tried to make. Oh, it. look at this DNA test absolves Sam Shepard of murder. I never... Lawyer says. Wow. Lawyer says. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, and this is from 1998, and he had already died. Mm. Um, let's see. Retrial. Um, he was acquitted in 1966. And then they retried him again? No, in, in 1966 was the retrial, huh. and he okay. was acquitted, so and was he, he died four years later. So was he guilty the first trial then? They, they, yeah, they found him guilty. Wow. And then his and lawyer, I guess, right. brought up new facts, and they retried him. They must have. Mm-hmm. Right? They must have. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this would be an interesting one to follow up, because in 1998, mm-hmm. which was 28 years after he died, they wanted to exhume him because DNA evidence, let's see, DNA taken from the body of, let's see, the most compelling piece that he was convicted of jazz stuff. Um, they actually got DNA evidence. How about that? Oh. Unfortunately, it was 28 years after he died. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, now, now remember, <clears throat> DNA evidence back then wasn't what it is now. No. No. You no, know, no. You and I don't even the... think in 1966 they were using DNA Evidence. Probably not. I don't yeah. think they could do it. Because you can just take a hair <laughs> of somebody's head or something and get DNA now, you know. Yeah, as long as you have the root. So, Okay, well, now we know what scares you, and I promise not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah, don't, I, I, well, I won't ever let myself watch anything like that again. You, Walden, I have to tell you, yeah. in Nebraska here in Dallas. Yeah. Do you know what that means? Nebraska here in Dallas. I have no idea. Well, 
our uh, <laughs> well, what's his name from Nebraska, um, the richest man. Why am I blanking on his name? You mean I, I mean you mean Warren Buffett? Yes, he opened a huge store here in Dallas. I mean, you can buy everything from a pencil to a leather couch to a computer. I, I can't think of anything they wow. sell, and every day when I get my paper, it's got a big two-page flyer in there and everything, and I don't go to big stores like that, yeah. but people evidently are just flocking to it, so well, another success. Another success. Well, here's a fun story about Warren Buffett. Um, you know, he his company is called Butcher Halfway. <laughs> you guys have any idea what that really came from? No. Patricia? I'm sorry, I was distracted. What? Where did what come from? Uh, Warren Buffett co- holding company named Berkshire Hathaway. Uh-huh. Where did that come from? Oh, no. And, you know, and I read that when they gobbled up, what was it, Heinz. Mm-hmm. But and I read it, and I don't know. I don't remember. It was a shirt company. Warren shirt company? Shirt. He bought a shirt company making men's shirt, and he thought it was in the red. And so he thought... He would try it for the first time to try physically turn the company around by his own management. Uh-huh. And it went bust. <laughs> <laughs> so he kept the name for his holding company, and he vowed to never, ever try to take a losing company and put in the time and effort to make it profitable. He, that oh. traditionally he always buys successful company. But that, yeah. that, that that's, yeah. that's how he got the name. Ring. Yeah. Yeah. That was his teething ring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's got he's gotten into a few that he's turned around. Yeah. Um, one of them was the um, the Santa Fe. I think my family, my father and my brother, were real big in railroad. And I think he turned the Santa Fe got bought by the Burlington Northern or something. And, uh, they were in real trouble, but I think they're doing. He bought it, and I think they're doing real well. He likes trains. Yeah, I. You know, it was it, one of the. Now fun I may have the names of those rails. That's okay. Wrong, but I think I'm right about that. One time, it's, it's a fun story about Warren Buffett. You know, most people may or may not know he still lives in his hometown in Omaha, Nebraska, in the same house in the fifties that his family bought, and he still drives a really old, beat up Cadillac around town, and he went to a store. It was ran by a woman in her 90s that made wonderful homemade furniture. And it was a homemade furniture. So she wanted to buy... See, that's that's what this story is. He wanted to buy tables and chairs. It was Uh was homemade, and... He 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 started and ran into a nine and he finally bought her out. How get you want to take a guess how much he cost them to buy her out? How much? <laughs> Over a hundred million dollars. She got. Because, you know, just because he loved the way he make homemade furniture. Uh, <laughs> well, what's for me? This this new store is called the Berkshire Berkshire Hathaway. Furniture store. That's it. So he must have kept. He must. He must have fur- kept it. <laughs> it's a brand new store way out in the suburbs here. 
but they sell everything, as I said, from pencils to computers and everything else. But their major focus is all kinds of furniture. Yep. Uh-huh. So that's how he got in the furniture business by this 90 year old lady. Well, now, see, Dallas has been Nebraska. <laughs> We've been Nebraska. Well, see, we need some of that Texas money to come up, come back to Nebraska, so that's why. Okay. You know, he's so interesting. In East of Florida, would Children. you fabulous? Go ahead, Patricia. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was saying a few pennies to Florida would be fabulous. Yeah, a couple of pennies here and there. Yeah. 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 Now, you know, he has the most interesting uh, arrangement with his family. Mm-hmm. His children have their money. Well, They'll never get any more money from him. All of his children are set up with their money, and they do with it what they want to do. One of his sons is a farmer in Mexico. He's always been uh, uh, interested in farming, mm-hmm. and he's helping the Mexican people uh, with agriculture and all that, and of course he's doing his own things too. My, it's interesting. It. It's interesting how one help. He does it to help poor people in Mexico. I mean, yeah. I, that's not the only reason he no. does it. He's a successful farmer, but he also extends that to more charity. You know what I mean? Sure. My dad went to college with Warren Buffett, and it's interesting how Warren made his money. Um, his dad was a congressman, and after he that. and after he graduated from college, uh, he and his partner Bill Scott um, started a stock brokering company. There was one problem that Warren had. He couldn't. He did not know how. He couldn't sell anybody anything. He was a <laughs> terrible salesperson, and he. He he could pick stocks, but nobody bought from Warren Buffett. So by 1955, he and Bill Scott went around to their family members, and I'm trying to remember. I think they got three hundred thousand dollars put together. And let's face it, 1955—that's a lot of money. Yes, it is. Um, Well, yeah. And so, in ten years, they 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 rolled the thing up to three hundred million dollars, and they had a and this is, just tells you a faith. People want he wrote back to everybody. I'm not going to send out reports because the time I send you the report, I'll probably be in and out of the stock. So why bother to send you a report? So all the family members had to trust them. In ten years, they got bored. So they sold out. They wrote to every member of the family said, we recommend you to be in bonds because they didn't see any more future in the stock market. And they retired for 10 years. And then then they got they got bored. And so that's when they went back in the 70s. And that, now we know who Warren Buffett is today. But, that, mm-hmm. but because Warren could not sell stocks, he was a tell, terrible salesperson. <laughs> His family felt sorry for him, and they all put up some money to help get him going uh, to manage like a money market, a, a management fund. And that's, that's how he made it. Now, he has, I don't know how many daughters he has, but one of his daughters mm-hmm. is very, I, I 
don't know if she lives in Nebraska or whatever. As I said, all these children have their money, you right. know, that, that forever for life. And they do what they're interested in, and she's very, very interested in everything to do with the women's movement and, and helping poor women and yep. things like that. And I just think, isn't that, when you have that money, isn't that a good thing to do? It's a great thing to do. He he wanted to try and set it up that way. The money could go to charities and things. He doesn't really want it to be broken up and all that money to go to, to be paid in taxes to the government. So that's sort of his theory. And that's why he tries to set things up in that direct charitable uh, work. Now, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates... Yep. to manage his charitable money. Yep. And they all do these things, and they do some... They're, they're trying to... One of the things they're doing is to see that there's never any polio all over the world. Yeah. They've done that. And then um, I'm trying to think. They do sanitation in poor countries, you know, like where Mother Teresa was, that kind of... Right. You know, there's an interesting... Yeah. There's a little interesting article about them. There's a, I think a group of billionaires have signed a pledge. I think there's 30 billionaires. They have, yes, and, I saw that. And what the deal is, give, they, 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 they're going to give all the money away. And my dad knows the Scott people. We, my dad was talking to their son a couple of weeks ago. And the deal is, all the money will be given away by 15 years after they're gone. Right. Uh, and... The way their philosophy works, because they're, they're farm girls, uh, money is like cow manure. It does best when you spread it around. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> 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 so I have some plants that need that, fertilizing. That does sound like that, man. Yeah, that yeah. So they, they look at money as cow manure, so just spread it around and see what kind of good it can do. Uh-huh. I, I really do have some but plants that need that's fertilizing. fascinating, wonderful thing they're doing. It, I mean, because, you know, when you don't do something like that and you have spoiled kids and you know what I'm talking about, it just, the money goes for... Nothing, you know. Well, that's why I was thinking about uh, when Mr. Patricia, when we were talking about the Salvation Army earlier tonight, and I got remembering Joan Croc, the uh, the wife of Ray Croc, the one who created Madonna, and here she gave a billion dollars to the, to the Salvation Army. Uh-huh. And, and that's a lot of hamburgers, at 15 cents a piece, to, uh, for a billion dollars. She must have sold a lot of hamburgers, what do you think? I mean, the, Yeah, I think so. You know? Right. Goodness, you know, no. but but when I saw them, I saw them on Channel Thirteen. They had a Bill and Melinda Gates and mm-hmm. Warren Buffett and all of them were together talking about this. And they had some of the other people that had pledged to do the same thing. And they were they had that. I think I saw it on Channel the NPR, not NPR, the public television. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just thought it was the most interesting thing. And I thought how wonderful. That that money is just not sitting there doing nothing. So 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 so, so, so you need to go shop in the store to help him out. <laughs> 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 Warren Buffett doesn't need my money, but I'll tell you what, and I'll make it clear to you why I admire him so much. He and I are for the same presidential. 
candidate. Did well, you know that? Nope, I haven't looked it up. I've been so busy look, watching the uh, debates and everything, I haven't bothered to look who's supporting who. So. I, I need to steer conversations away from politics, Celeste. That's right. Well, oh well, that that it, it, I'm just making a joke yeah, with it yeah. because you know he's so. Anyway, yeah. No, he's a fascinating man. He is a really fascinating man. Anyway, well, I'm gonna let you all go. All righty, thank you for giving us a call. And now that I know what scares you, I promise not to even introduce oh, yes, the name. Oh, and I won't, Patricia. I'll vow that I'll never. I'll never leave the television <laughs> on if it's something. I don't have to worry about it. You're not going to touch it with a fork. <laughs> That's right, you two. Okay. All right, so I'll talk Thanks to you so soon. Much. You have a great week. Huh? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Are we here? Uh-huh. Well, we plan- we Warren Buffett, the 20th, 20th century on Halloween. That's not bad. Someone. Oh, man, I know. And what scares you? Yeah. What scares Patricia really, besides doggies? That is my major fear, isn't what, that? What scares you besides doggies? Pardon? Anything else scares you besides little doggies? Oh, a lot, but not like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the little ones aren't so awful, but it really is disturbing when people think, their pets are so wonderful that everybody should love them as much as they do. And it is, I was out walking one night, this was a long time ago, and it was, it was daylight. It was after dinner, but it was in the summertime, it was daylight. And I walked around the community, and a man had his white German Shepherd, not on a leash. And the dog came bounding over to me. Walden, I was terrified. I was terrified, and the guy kept saying, don't worry, he won't hurt you. Well, you know, that doesn't do a heck of a lot to somebody who's terrified of something, and it it it, it was just awful. It do, was just awful. Do you think you had that fear as a little girl? I didn't. I don't, I don't have any idea where it came from. Mm. And it was it was before my Rocky Raccoon experience, right, right. and before, way before my stupid days. I right. mean, I wasn't afraid of a bear. I wasn't afraid of a mountain lion, a dog. I mean, I am terrified. So Patricia, was born with how many fear? It just changed later in life. It, well, yeah, but I mean, I was afraid of dogs before I was. Afraid of raccoons. You know what I think? It <laughs> uh, hold on, Carl. We'll be right. Wait, well, you know what I'm wondering. It's that visual image when you think of a mad dog, when you see that dog barking and the jaws are moving. It's sort of a ferocious yeah. image. I can see why. Because, you know, when when a dog is loose and it, and it, and it's, like, on top of you like that, it seems like you, you're somewhat powerless. You oh, know, my you know, God. Like, it was awful. I mean, and the, and the dog jumped up, had his paws on my shoulder. <sighs> ooh, ooh. And in broad daylight, not very far from here, we had an irresponsible owner who had three pit bulls on the beach with her while she went swimming and turned around and attacked two girls who were walking uh, their little dog. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not the dogs, it's the irresponsible owners. But dogs get loose, and I am just scared out of my wits. If you ever want to kill me, Walden... No. And I hope not, because no. you're so resourceful. 
but if, if anybody ever wants to kill me, just put me in a room with a couple of loose dogs and I'll be dead from a heart attack. I love you too much to do that to you. Thank you. Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Hello, this is Marilyn from Converse. Hi, Marilyn. How oh, hi, are Marilyn. you? Marilyn, we haven't heard from you for a while. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, Have you gotten a lot of rain? Yeah, it's been raining here. Um, uh, it rained some today, and it rained really a lot yesterday. Seems like you guys gotten so much rain over the last three to four months. It's just been amazing what the state of Texas has absorbed, basically. Well, actually, it just started raining here last week. We really needed the rain. So that hurricane that went through, that's when you really started to get get the rain, or did it come from somewhere else? Uh, uh, yeah, it, when the hurricane started coming through. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, are you afraid of anything? We, Patricia and I, that's, that's Patricia's topic of the evening. So, are you afraid of anything? I'm afraid of the, uh, like, uh, if I, like, um, Frankenstein and, you know, ghost stories or whatever uh-huh. on television, you know. So, the traditional stuff scares you. I'm not going to probe that because that's really scary. Well, stuff. you know, uh, and I think it's me. There, there seems to be a segment of our society that loves them. Yeah. And I. And it, so I. I read the rest of my family, or some of my family. I don't know. Can't remember exactly who. I mean, they'd stay up late night. And right. One of those movies came on. They would watch it, and I'd, I'd try to go to sleep right away. But you know. I, 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 it's, it's fascinating to see why scary things intrigue people and others that just, we would prefer just not to bother with it. It just, uh, it, it must be a DNA thing. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, Walden, can I ask you a question? Sure. Okay. I heard, I heard this advertisement about this, uh, non-24 deal about blind people and about how they can't... What, have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I remember it came really... It, it, it was a lot of promotion for it about a year and a half ago. And it, was, and it was a weird commercial on radio when you had these blind people talk about 924. And I think we had Patricia look it up because more and more the advertising came out and I think we figured out it was a pharmaceutical company that was like a, a, a medication. On the television, too. You know? Yeah, and I think it was a medication to try to re- regulate our sleeping pattern. It did, oh, I, it was the, the 24-hour thingy? Right, right. And I haven't heard about that. It came out like a blitz for a couple of months, and then it just disappeared. But the 24-hour... Nine twenty four or something stupid like that. It was nine twenty and I think it was a some it was a drug or something that order to help with our sleeping pattern or something. Yeah. For some people who may or may not know, it's fairly common for blind people to have um, weird sleeping patterns, and partly it's because I think they say our sleeping patterns are regulated by the sunlight if it gets into the into the eyes. And that way we, you know, most people are able, except for Patricia, 
but yeah. you know, he he she's one of us. Weird. <laughs> well, Weird. Uh, you know, most people somewhat can sleep at night and stay awake at day, and I I will get into these cycles that uh, work all night and want to sleep during the day, and I think that's a fairly common thing for a lot of people who don't have sight. And I think if, if I remember this product, I think it was trying to regulate our sleeping pattern or, or something. Well, I wonder what kind of medicine they would do, because I asked my doctor about that research, too, and, you know, they uh, they didn't know about it, you know. Well, it looks like, it, it looked like, and it still looks like, I'm kind of squirreling around looking for information, that it was exclusively from a pharmaceutical company named Vanda Pharmaceuticals. I have no idea if it is advertising supplementals, you know, the -the over-the-counter type stuff or drugs. I don't even know what Vanda Pharmaceuticals are. Well, I remember there used to be, some people believe, and I've never, uh, that there are natural... Well, there's things like, like mm-hmm. um, melatonin. Melatonin. Yeah. Melatonin, yes. that's what I'm trying to think of. Yeah, and uh, uh, when I first started taking it, it helped me go to sleep. But then after a while, it didn't work for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I, 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 I got a prescription from my doctor with Ambien, and it worked. But, you know, uh, then now I've stopped. Ambient altogether because uh, uh, I just feel I just feel like maybe Ambient is doing more harm than good. You know, I yeah take I would have to take the medicine every night before I could go to sleep. You know, but yeah, I you know, but I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm completely off of Ambient. I think Patricia told me this, and I think I think maybe we should talk about it a little bit that people who when you take a sleeping pill or something, it's not always a deep sleep, right, Patricia? It's it's a it's not like a natural. It's not a natural. Yeah, yeah. the body. You, you don't necessarily go through the natural cycles of the deep sleep, and then you know the REM stage, and then it come up to a lighter, and then go back down again. You're right; it intrudes on that. Have they ever like you're done unconscious, a, but not necessarily sleeping well. Have they ever so done? What do you think about the melatonin and stuff like that? I mean, what do you think? melatonin is a natural substance that the body puts out itself at night. Yeah. And if you're exposed to noise or um, light, and I don't know how light might affect you and Walden, but the skin is sensitive to light as well. But if there are so many things that can interrupt or intrude on the body's natural production of melatonin, and it actually does become a replacement for what the body should be should be working. So I don't have any problem with that. I mean, that truly is about as natural a substance as you can get. Can I, think the older, I think the older we get, we our sleeping patterns are more erratic. And I, I wonder if it's because our body doesn't have some of the mm-hmm. stimulants that it produced when we were younger. Yeah. yeah. Are you more susceptible to intrusions and interruptions, Walden? No. And I'm, I'm not... No, my... Um... If the phone rings, I can answer it and then go right back to sleep. I have... Now I have a problem yeah. with that. I, people, have... people I can't and... do that. The phone, 
if the phone uh, wakes me up, I have trouble going back to sleep. I I you have do. yeah I what I have I cannot fall asleep to save myself. In other words, when I lay down, even as a little kid, uh, it, I could I, it would at least take me a minimum of an hour, sometimes three hours to fall asleep. Uh, you ever, did you ever have a sleep study done, Walden? No. No, but, uh, but you know, see, my brother works at night. He's been doing it for 24, 25 years, and it's interesting. His room is totally dark. We, you know, my mom and dad bought really heavy, dark um, shades. He has no problem, but my brother... You know, he it's not uncommon for my brother to sleep 10 hours a day, but he's working at night in the grocery store, and, you know, you're up and down, you're shocking shelves, and so when he gets home, he doesn't want to do anything. His body's gone through fatigue for eight hours, so he, he has no problem sleeping during the day. I just get into these cycles, and the only way I'm able to break it if... Either I stay up all night to re relock it in, or uh, I will take a short nap in the afternoon to relock myself in. That's how I've been able to adjust my my body. Um, I know um, when I used to take the Ambien, I used to take it too late. You know about I used to. Well, I used to take the Ambien before I went before at night. You know when I did my other medicines. You know. And what I probably should have done was just wait and take it, like, uh, at 1 o'clock or so before I even went to, you know, if I was going to stay up that late, if I knew I was going to stay up that late. I'll tell you one thing that would help me. If I wanted to go to sleep and if I've been awake, I will will go take a really hot bath at 3 in the morning. And for some reason, something about warm water... And being clean and just being in that bathtub with really hot, warm water, um, I'm able to go to sleep after that. Wow. I don't know why. It, it, it works for me. Yeah. You know? But, uh. You're, you're a slow go to sleeper. Yeah. I am I'm not a slow go to sleeper, probably because sleep I stay right up until I can't keep my head up. The worst thing that can happen to me, aside from having a dog jump on me, um, is to lie in bed more than 10 minutes and not be able to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I think it's because when I was, you know, my, when I was a kid, my, my go-to-bed time was 9 o'clock. You know, that's the time I would go, have to go be in bed by. Yeah. But, but it would be after midnight before I could fall asleep. And, but I had the disturbing thing of being woke up before 6 o'clock to get on those hour and a half bus rides in the morning. So, mm-hmm. my my body was still, still asleep for at least, it seemed like a half hour. So, I would always deal 15 minutes in the bathtub. I could sleep in the bathtub for another 15 more minutes. And then, uh, so my, so I'm wondering partly is, I'm, you know, that's how I sort of, grew up with trying to fall asleep. I'm not really necessarily need to do that anymore today, like I was a kid, but I do have that propensity even still today. It takes a while. 
Well, you know, another thing, sometimes I've heard that warm milk can make you go to sleep, too. Yeah, I would, I, I would think warm milk. Remember that used to be uh, mm-hmm. Father Barber? Yeah, tryptophan in it. Tryptophan is a natural substance as well. Turkey has it. Turkey, turkey has tryptophan. That's why people, so many people, they eat a turkey dinner and they say, oh, I ate too much, I'm sleepy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the turkey that's making them sleepy. Oh, really? Oh, okay. But yeah. I, I, I notice what also I have. Now, where else? On what other program could you learn that? Well, another thing I have, um, <laughs> if I don't eat, if I don't eat, and mm-hmm. every four to six hours, I get really sleepy. Yeah. Um. So, if I have something, then I'm I, I'm wide awake right away. But uh, not susceptible to diabetes or anything like. My that. my grandmother had it. My you know my uncle has it. So it's it's in my family. Oh yeah. You know, but um. I mean, do you ever do you go get tested? Uh huh. Oh yeah, I get tested, and everything. But you know, but. It definitely, I feel better having something every four to six hours. But in my family, my mom wants to eat the wants to eat the wallpaper at five o'clock in the afternoon. She's ready to have big dinner. Yeah. At- now, see, that's when I that's when I eat. That's when I do my insulin, and I eat at five or not one of my insulin. Mm-hmm. So, um, I take five units of Novolog and. Before I eat my supper, you know. Right. And so I eat at five o'clock. I'm used to it, you know. And so, you know. Right now it's six o'clock when we're here. But see, I'm I'm up another seven, eight hours after that. So I need to have something yeah. to make me feel better. But my mom, she is most of the time, she's ready for bed by nine o'clock. So, and again, in my family, my mom and dad are morning people. I'm not. I am strictly a night owl. You know, so uh, that's why you hear me wandering the halls, up and down the hallways around here. Pitter patter, pitter patter, pitter patter. Like in your family, I'm not. I'm not going tired. So you know. Right. And my husband, he he goes in there and he goes to sleep right away. Uh huh. You know. Well, now, what about your kids? Are your daughters morning people, or what? Are you the only one? Uh, My daughter, she would go to sleep at night, or I mean. well, she's not living with me anymore. Right, right. Uh, but you do, are you really a night owl, you think? Or you don't? You really don't know what Maryland is? I don't know what Maryland is. Okay. <laughs> Some, you know, sometimes I feel like staying up. Uh-huh. And, like, last week uh, I, I wanted to listen to you guys, and I just got so tired I couldn't. I, I needed to go to bed. Yeah. Sometimes I get in cycles. Yeah. That my body wants six hours. So if I go to bed at nine o'clock and I do that a lot of time, I'm up by three. If I if I stay up to midnight, I'm up by six. Somehow my body, and I don't sleep with an alarm clock to force myself to get up. My body functions on six hours of sleep. And then when my husband goes gets up, at, he gets up around five to get ready to go to work, and I'm up with him. Yeah. And then uh, what happens to me is I turn around and go back to bed, and and sleep till about ten o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, um, yeah. I can relate. I can uh, understand. Yeah. Just in case anybody wanted to know. Yes. Just in case, yes. let me blow this up. I got from some place, <laughs> who knows where, the number of hours mega important business people sleep. 
Okay. And we've got um, Richard Branson. Who's Richard Branson? He's the guy that had the Branson. Founder of the Virgin Group. Oh, oh, Yeah, the oh, Branson he, Airline, yeah. and he's the one that had right. Virgin, yeah, Virgin yeah. Records. He sleeps five to six hours a day. Bill Gates is seven hours a day. Wow. Tim Cook, chief executive of Apple, sleeps seven hours a day. The majority sleep seven hours a day. Um, That's why I don't... Jack Dorsey, Ariana Huffington, mm-hmm. um, Barack Obama sleeps six hours a day. Benjamin Franklin was seven. Winston Churchill, five hours a day. They didn't, you know, they said five hours a day. It, was, it depended on where he was in his mood cycle. Well, he, also, he believed in an afternoon nap, and I'd have no problem following that. Say, and they didn't, but they, they say five hours a day. So I, I still think that they didn't take into account his, um, his nap. His nap. But they also gave the actual times that these people sleep. Like yeah. Bill, Bill Gates sleeps from midnight to 7 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Branson sleeps midnight to 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning. Right. Tim Cook, 9.30 at night to 4.30 in the morning. So they're all over the clock. It was really an interesting See, I, thing. I prefer that the day doesn't start till 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Whoa. That's I where prefer my... that the day doesn't start until I have finished waking up. Right. I, it I, takes a long time. I'm a, I'm a slow waker-upper. And see, I don't mind doing things throughout the day. Then I my I, I know my high productivity time. Mm-hmm. It's that later in the day. Um, but you know, I, but I, I, I've worked around the clock a lot over the years. But I just, um, I just know my chemistry. And see, that's why I, you know, okay, I'll just say it. I poo-poo these studies that. You need eight hours a day. Well, I don't, I don't force myself, but my Mm-mm. body kicks in for six. Yeah. I mean, and what? that's what your body wants. Now, this this raises a question for me. Sleep is such an important subject for me that I even downloaded all of these hours that people sleep. Wow. Do you have an advantage over me? Because light does not intrude on your day. Your body wakes up when it wants to, and it yeah. goes to sleep when it wants to. Correct. Whereas, for, well, not necessarily for me. I don't care. I sleep during the, the average, day. I get better sleep during talking, the day than I do at night. Yeah, you're talking about the average bear. But the average bear I, I out in the world. I can when the sun The average bear has intrusions, has sleep, has alarm clocks, has daylight, has nighttime. Are you in a better position... By just allowing your body to take over. I can tell when the light, when I can tell when the sun shines out, you know. Uh-huh. But I can't, like if I, if, if you would turn on the light and say, is the light on? No, I couldn't tell if the light was on or off. How about distractions, Mel? And did distractions bother you? If you wanted to study something or read something, do you need to be really completely quiet? Uh-uh. Not really. Uh-huh. No. I think for, for my case, Patricia, I got a couple of advantages than the average bear. Mm-hmm. I think my concentration level is pretty good. It's probably above average. And mm-hmm. so I can block things out. Also, because I wear hearing aids and I have a hearing loss, I, in some ways, that's a big advantage. I don't always hear things that bothers me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Except for that lousy coffee machine in the morning that really drive me nuts. <laughs> When we when we don't have that now. You can't but. hear a bear growl, but you can hear the coffee going. 
And that and that noise drove me nuts. That coffee percolator that just drove me nuts in the oh, morning. Oh really? Oh, oh yeah. Didn't. <laughs> you know, oh, I w- it really was a percolator. Oh yeah. Well, now my grandmother had a percolator. Well, she had one, uh, one of those electric percolators that you have to. It was like a per- it was and oh. it's like a glass. Thing that you poured the water and everything, and it was just, and you hear this percolating sound, and then it would, it would come to a boil. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. But my grandma had one where you put the cold water in the pot, and then there's this little basket thing. Yep. And you had, yep. and you, had you plugged it in. Yep. To the wall. But yep. it didn't make all that noise, I don't think, you know. Well, a coffee percolating noise is one of the worst noises in the world for me. It just drives me nuts. <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> I guess I mean I, I, nobody has ever said that before. That I to me anyway. I like my Keurig it's thing. A very I unusual sound. Copy at a time, you know. Someone, you know. Yeah, but I, I have. See now, also one major advantage. I think once I lost my sight, my concentration level got better too. Oh really? I mean, yeah. I would understand that. Yeah. Because. Because I wasn't distracted visually by things, but my, for, for example, and this, is, and this is a good lesson for everybody, my mom worried about me when I was three years old because I do the school testing, and they told my mom, he can't rem- memorize anything past three items. Well, I sort of have blown that thing out of the water, as everybody can know by now, and so don't always believe in testings or things, because we mm-hmm. all develop differently in terms of our ages. You know, I I have a pretty decent memory. I can now, you know, rattle off stuff to you. But as a kid, they told my mom I have problems with that. So, I guess... Well, the that, man, that man that you all talked to before, uh, a little while, before you talked to uh, Celeste, you know. Yeah, Jim. Uh-huh, Jim. Oh, yeah. I mean, he can remember a lot of stuff. Oh, I know. You know, I can't remember stuff like he can, you know. Who am I? You're the adorable one. <laughs> I, I understand, Marilyn. I'm so glad I have books and reference and the Internet and stuff like that there because yeah. they make me sound smart. But, okay, Patricia, when you were a kid, were you the only night owl in the family? Yeah. And it was terrible. It was just awful. I was always tired. Yeah. Because I could not go to sleep. I was a night owl and yeah. could not go to sleep at night and always had to get up for school for, yeah. you know. So college so must have been exhausted. So hmm? college must have been a fun time for you because you could pretty much work on your own schedule. Right. I worked 40 hours. I went to school 40 hours. I know. I didn't really have much of my own schedule. I understand. But what I'm saying is, if you you had a choice, you could schedule your classes to be later in the day if you had that kind of My classes could be later. I was, yes, I did have some choice in terms of when my classes, my classes started. Not the school, not the (laughs) college's classes, but mine. And, yes. I, I could, I had an opportunity in many cases, not always, but in many cases to choose which session mm-hmm. I could attend. Yeah. 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 
long as I was out and trying to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. Oh, gee. Oh, those were the good old days. Well, <laughs> I guess I'll let y'all know. I want to make sure everybody else has a chance. Oh, thank you, Melvin, for giving us a call. We we definitely hit some new topics with you. Thank you. You did, yeah. It's good to hear from you, Marilyn. I'm glad you're doing okay. Okay. You bet. We'll talk to you in a few weeks when I get back. Okay. Take care. All right. Hey, hey, we did it, didn't we, Patricia? Um, what? Look at this. You you move back. You you fall back to that. My, my clock my clock died. It's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to the the um the oh geez, the cardiologist association, yeah. the American Cardiologist yeah. Association. According to them, I'm going to have less of a chance of having a heart attack on Tuesday than I did. When we put the clocks ahead. Now, now, I you should, okay. <laughs> what was your friend in, in the who had a CIA one time, the one that you loved because you oh were, Porter Goss. Yeah, yes. you, sh- you should you should package this up information and send it to him and ask him to again. lobby. Uh, lobby yeah, we'll try lo- again. Yeah, lobby on your behalf. I know, you know. I mean, as a representative and as a senator, um. Gee, wouldn't you think somebody who had a CIA background and then was director of the CIA, because he came out of the CIA before he went to Washington. He was he was retired CIA. Now, wouldn't you think somebody from the CIA could figure out that this is not a good thing for us? That's right. We need a lobby. Wait a minute. You know, we got Jack. Now, wait a minute. Oh, I just love that guy. I mean, he is so cool. I guess but, I guess we got a new cause. You know, we we took care of Jack Armstrong. Um, that's right. And I looked at I I still have Ralph and Tony's two dollar bills here. Okay, so we're two looking for so we, we got Jack Armstrong. We're still negotiating between you and I on the tissue roll. We haven't filled that yeah. one out yet. So we need a new campaign. So well, should think, we work? Should we, think, should, mm-hmm. we should we should we work on the sweeping? The, the, daylight the daylight time daylight time and time? the hazards. Yes. Yes, the hazards. I mean, kids, kids get hit by cars because okay. they're so tired. I, I, I think they... we should we should write up a formal letter and send it to all the presidential candidates asking what they are what they're in favor of. Assuming some of them can read. <laughs> you know, we we don't well, have the pick of the litter. What, this what, year. what we'll do? We'll ask one of the moderators to ask the question for us. What do you think? That, that would yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Hey, what a stupid question. Oh, stupid. <laughs> Hello, Carl. Uh, You're on there. Hello, folks. Hi. What's up? Nothing much. If I call and see, say hello for the next couple of weeks, this busy little street corner right through here. Are you working? Are you are you working a twenty four hour shift at the library? What's going on down there in Louisville? In Louisville. Uh, I got there at 7.30 yesterday morning, and right behind me was a student. She was asking, wanted to know if she could come in right behind me. It's like, I'm not even on the clock. (laughs) (laughs) Did you let her in? In a few minutes. Did you let her in? Well, not really. I mean, you know, what? 
wait a minute, Ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Dan, our lovable Dan. Yeah. Don't you have the a man, heart? The man with the information of the hour who sent us information about Al Molinero who passed this week. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So did he make so sure he wasn't did he make sure she wasn't frozen? Well, you know, she was inside the building. Okay. Yes. Okay. I I I would have I would I would feel bad if she was standing outside. No. Oh, all no, the snow sounded like yeah, but to me. All the snow falling down, and these guys. I have to get on the clock, boys. Yeah, but she was yeah. inside the building. Who <laughs> hmm. yeah. hiss on the clock? I'm not on the clock. Well, I guess that's. That would be correct because if she walked in and fell down and broke her face, <coughs> it would not be official hours. Technically, what do you have trouble. to do to be on the clock, Dan? You have to make sure all the doors are open. What do you have to do to make sure you're officially open? Well, I mean, this was before operating hours. I mean, she was inside a nice, warm vestibule, and she, you know, could. You know, just stand there. And she had access to a room. Uh, we have a room that we call our 24-hour room, and she could scan her ID and walk in there, and she has access to vending machines and computers. Oh, okay. And, and also, you know, she... Just not you. Huh? Just not you. Just not... She didn't, not, she didn't not have access to moment. you until it got to the right time. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, she and we have room. you all the time, twenty four hours. I a know day. You, you you don't you don't close the door on us. That's right. That's right. We're special, Patricia. That's right. We're special. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, so you know, when when you say she was warm, how cold was it? Oh gosh, I'm not sure. It was forty, forty six, I believe. Because I I. They they had a special little graphic uh, on the morning news, and the the temperature only varied three degrees during the last uh, ten hours uh, in the morning. Bad stuff. Like forty six. Bad stuff. Well, bad stuff. Bad stuff. We've had frost already. We had frost. Yeah, back the frost. Frost. So frost. You were, come, if, did my summer go? Uh, <laughs> you remember frost, don't you? The white stuff that falls in cars. White stuff. Yes. 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 Uh, yes. Right, I have a question for you. In in farm country, that I think this is a farm. We talk about frost. There is a term hoar frost. H O A R. What is that? I have not heard that term. Oh, dear. Okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> and by the way, Texas Instruments is still in business. What do they do today? Pardon? Oh, they've got applications and designs, tools and software, support and training. Um, they've got microcontrollers, embedded processors, calculators and education technology, logic solutions, interface. Whatever. And stuff like that there. <laughs> what's under the, like now I have to horse off. Yeah, yeah, what's one of the whatever category? That's a new category uh, for that's me. That's me. Uh, <laughs> I said and stuff like that there. 
and whatever. Uh, okay. Uh, Poor frost. A grayish white crystalline deposit of frozen water vapor in clear, still weather on vegetation, fences, etc. Um, gee, it looks like snow crystals. Okay. That's... Boy, it really is cool. I mean, it looks like the trees are decorated for Christmas. Mm-hmm, yes. And that is, a, it's clearly a very thick frost. Much humidity in the air when the cold weather arrived. It's beautiful. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it sounds like it's like when it's, there's been a dew and then it, then it freezes. It sounds like mm-hmm. that type of frost. Like in the yeah. trees, the trees are just painted in white. It's beautiful. Now, on windows, can it, can mm-hmm. it, would that be frost or would that be ice? You know, that, you know, frost. I mean, I'm a California kid, so, you know, please forget yeah. ignorant puppies and out here. We always called it frost. It's frost on the window. Frost on the window. Okay. So it yeah. wouldn't be ice on the window. Oh, Dan. Look up yes. poor frost, H-O-A-R, not, not this minute, H-O-A-R. Frost, and then click on the images. Oh my goodness! It will just knock your socks off. Oh, I, I've seen it before. I know. We lost him. Dan, damage on our cell phone. It's Halloween. The goblins got him. The goblins got him. No, you're back. There you go. I'm back. The goblins go. let you go. Yeah, that's right. No, I like you say. It looks like it's been painted on trees and. And uh, yes. yeah, it's yes, really yes. nice there. Yeah. Beauty. Remember what the it, it was like at Christmas during Christmas time. You had these um plastic ball thing, and inside was snow, and then you would have um different figurines. Snow clubs. And 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 so you would shake it up and down, and it would mm-hmm. simulate snow coming down, or, mm-hmm. or or create a snowstorm. Yeah, snow globes. That's what they mm-hmm. call it. Yeah, I I was just remembering that was what you we were describing. I think we had one of Santa and a chimney. I'm trying to remember what else, but those are always good memories to me of seeing those things. They as were a kid. Fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now that we're talking 46 degrees, it's Christmas time. <laughs> Hey, it's, 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 our time is right, November for you guys. I think we've been yeah. to 29 here. I, I think it's been that cold all day. Wow. Oh, dear. Well, you know, here I'm, I'm having Santa Anna's. I got, the, I got the fan going. I'm in shorts. You know, just hot, dry weather out here in California. What can I say? And I think we lost Dan again. It sounds like nope. it. No, he's back there. It's just kind of going Don't in and speak. out. Dan, uh, are you on a cell? You're on a cell phone. Yes, I'm on a cell phone. How how far away is your cell phone tower? Uh, gosh, that's probably about two miles away. Now there you there you really sweet. You you got a strong signal right at that angle. Really? Yeah, it's your point yeah. of phone right Don't to the move. top. <laughs> Stop breathing. Keep your feet planted right where they are, and the Martians won't get you. The Martians? 
As, oh, see, he was not listening, Walden. I'm listening. I'm right here. I'm not moving. <laughs> you were you were not listening when we talked about War of the Worlds. Oh and yes, I know. Fall out in the aftermath, and um. So what, that's a good trivia. Wait a minute. Uh, when when are you going back to the library, Dan? Tomorrow at noon. Okay. I Patricia and I like you to look up. See, I'm I'm putting the we. She might protest, but I'm gonna say we would love you to look up any war <laughs> of the world information in the state of Indiana. See if you guys had any any happenings okay. are going on after the broadcast. Cause sure. Patricia and I were talking. Was it regional? Because, you know, New York, New Jersey definitely had an effect. I don't know if it's necessarily out here on the West Coast. Uh, but, you know, maybe Indiana had some. You know, did, did people get un- get rattled by the Martians? Mm-hmm. I, I've seen newspaper clippings. I couldn't quote you anything right off the top of my head here. Okay. But um, now, that was, was that October 30th of yeah. 39? 38. 38. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, I usually get to work early so I can, like, go in and turn on the computers and unlock, you know. We have DVDs we have to get out of the cabinet. We have to unlock the laptop computers, you know. I mean, I like to get there early, and that way when I do unlock the door, you know, you can just... uh, You're ready to go. You're ready to go. you got to be like McDonald's. You have to have everything up and running and, and just get everything going there. Okay, so why do you have to what, why do you have to get the DVDs out? Are they locked up, or that why are they locked up overnight in a case or something? We have some that are uh, locked up overnight. They're like uh, we have a subscription to some DVD service, and they're like the ones you would see in Redbox. Okay, they're the top. They're the top best-selling, you know, DVDs. We have some just out that. You know, do you have any? You have any books in the library that's really considered valuable, and so you basically put extra cameras, or uh, or maybe put them away in a special place that you can lock up the room at night. Or any special volumes that you guys have that you should have a higher priority for? Well, in the in the same building, we have the Thomas Merton uh, collection. That's the archives there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Trappist Monk, who was from Kentucky. Um, we have those items in our library catalog. Now, that's run by another gentleman, but actually, uh, you know, it's a whole kind of subset of the library there. But, uh, yeah, we have, you know, uh, we have some valuable books there. Thomas Burton, he would have been 100 years. This, uh, he was born 100 years ago. I don't know that name at all. You really should look him up. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> gotta do, do my homework. Hold on. <laughs> I do my. I do it. What is considered a What is considered a valuable book? Is it in terms of dollars, or is it in terms of the rarity, or is it in terms of the knowledge? What is considered valuable? Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. But all, all of those criteria all, all those above. mean the book is valuable. Okay. Yes. No, uh, 
Thomas Merton was a visionary Trappist monk, and he uh, he died in 1968. He was uh, overseas. I believe he was in India, and uh, he, uh, you know, he was good friends with the Dalai Lama. He was, you know, quite a, uh, you know, uh, he was just uh, basically, mm-hmm. you know, just a good visionary mm-hmm. person. I wrote about you know his thoughts. He is uh, yeah, you know, it, it, he was just uh, quite knowledgeable in you know f- the philosophy of life. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on Thomas Merton by any means, but you know he um, he did have quite a bit of influence in people's lives. Still does today too. Did we? Is Patricia still? No, she's still no, I'm here. I'm looking at Thomas Merton. Yeah. Do we ever have and, any and pred- Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, Walden, had you ever heard of him before? Never heard of him. Ah. No. Well. I, I don't know everything. I don't. Really I, can I admit something? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to admit something to the <laughs> fam. I like to admit something publicly to the family. Mm. May I? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I don't know everything. I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that. Okay. Yes. Yes. And what you don't know, I know. So we've got all our bases covered here. <laughs> Just ask me about nuclear fission. <laughs> He's, uh, he, Merton was good friends with the young Dalai Lama at the time. And in fact, the Dalai Lama came back uh, two years ago um, to Louisville and, uh, you know, met with the gentleman who runs the Merton Collection or the Merton Center and, uh, you know, had quite positive things to say about Thomas Merton. Now, I always thought the Dalai Lama was a title. I it never is, think uh, it's also a name it's also his name too, besides being a title. See and I believe I'm right about this. The Dalai Lama is like the Pope. Right. But you know there are different individuals who have been the Dalai Lama, I believe, over time. I mm-hmm. think the current Dalai Lama has been. I think he's. I don't. I. I, I don't know. I I'm completely could be wrong about this, but. Um, yeah, well, the Dalai Lama is is like the queen or the king. Right. The king. Right. You know, and yeah. the next one in line is the king, and the yeah. Dalai Lamas are raised from infancy. They they are believed to be chosen, and they are raised from infancy to take over for the the Dalai Lama. Now, recently, I read that the current Dalai Lama, who is much more modernistic than his um, former, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in the line, had said that he will be the last Dalai Lama, that... This is it, guys. We're not going to play this game anymore. So I don't know how, what, you know how that's going to play out. But well, no, mm-hmm. I I think you might be wrong. I think he said maybe the next one might be a, a girl. The next one, a, a girl. A girl. Yeah. Kidding. I think that's you, what you're I. You're not kidding, are you? <laughs> Do I know? You're not kidding, are you? I'm not kidding you. No, I wouldn't care about something like that. I think he said. He thought the next one might be a female, but I can't um, that. I'm I, I, 
you're probably righter than I am. My brain doesn't, let's see. Uh, you know, I, I have a suspicion that females are going to be ruling the world pretty soon. What do you think? They do anyway, right? I don't know what? how. Okay. You know, I... You know, Patricia. Where, there goes Dan again. Yeah. Dan, you moved your feet. There you go. Ladies have had influence on the world for many years, whether they're in, whether they're at the top of their uh, position or not. Yeah, true. You know, so, I mean, you know, Walden pushes the buttons, but who's running the show? I, I agree. I, I've always said I, I carry <laughs> Patricia cat, golf clubs. She, I'm her caddy. That's right. What? That's right. Well, you are the star of the show. What? Aren't you? You're the star. No, no, I am merely an an aspiring starlet. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm I'm I'm, 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 I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad I'm attached to a rising star. Okay, you are you are a coming star. Oh, you guys spoil me. You guys spoil me. <laughs> big head, big head. Give me big head. Okay, going to consult the Tibetan people and others that follow Tibetan Buddhism to find out whether they think there should be a 15th Dalai Lama. Hmm. This is a quote. If the decision is yes, then he will set out clear instructions about the process so there will be no ambiguity, so that the reincarnation process isn't manipulated or misused by anybody for their own personal or political interest. I think I should read the entire article. Well, thank you so much for putting me onto this, Dan. Wow. Absolutely. <laughs> I, have no, I have more pages open on the Internet right now. So, oh, i got to read that later. i got to read that later. This show is nothing but, in, but educational. I have, I it's, bet it's, you it's, Bill Bragg, 31, 32 years ago, had no idea that his date on Saturday night would be such an eclectic little... Uh, program here, which we are. I don't, I'm pretty convinced there's nobody out there covers what we do here. We have to have this show earlier in the day. I'm not up on my game at two in the morning. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, my question is Yes, ma'am. How may I help you? Well, <laughs> very good. Now, is, that, okay. is that what you do in the library? That's your, is that your professional protocol? Well, it works, doesn't it? That's your, that's, 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 your new, that's your new line, huh? Okay, go ahead, Patricia. Well, it makes me giggle. What does it make other people do? <laughs> okay. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk. Yes. And according to the information that I have here, it was the, the most stringent of Trappists, and that means no speaking, communicating, um, I mean, just no speaking, quiet all the time. How did he manage to have so many contacts and so much influence in what he did? He was quite a prolific writer, and his, I think, most popular book is uh, the, um, oh gosh, I think it's the Ten Story Mountain, but I might be wrong about the title of the book. Um, it says the Seven Story Mountain. Yes, Seven Story Mountain. Yeah, that's right. And um, 
he just began writing, I think, back in like the 1940s. These, mm-hmm. these, see, he was from France and then came to Kentucky to become a monk. And then he started writing. He's he's quite a he was quite a writer in the short time that he was living. I think he does it say there was he in his mid forties when he died. But see, he was born well in nineteen fifteen. That's when he was born. He died in sixty eight. So that was 40, yeah. He was he born huh? Forty three. Forty three. Oh boy, that's a real young. Oh no, that's that, a young man. Oh yeah, quite man. But Diffie he wrote. Diffie he Diffie. wrote quite a few papers, and um, he's he authored several books. I bet he authored probably at least a dozen books in that length of time. Well, I can tell you, he published thirty poems. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, and some of these are religious instruction books. Um, Master of Novices. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I have to count by myself. <laughs> you know, I'm just. I have attention deficit disorder. You know, when I'm sitting here, I'm just thinking of people who are that prolific, like a Steve mm-hmm. Allen, like a Steve Allen who wrote like 40 some odd books in a lifetime, wrote a thousand mm-hmm. songs, hosted a TV show. Did interviews, did projects. Wrote music. Yes. Wrote music, too. Yeah. How did those, the productivity level of some of these people in a lifetime, it's pretty, pretty amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, like Red Skelton, he painted and, yeah. you, know, wrote, you know, was quite a writer, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, just it's amazing. What's yeah, I'm, I'm working oh. on a bucket list, and these people accomplished it before they even got to 30 years old. Yes. Well, I guess everybody has a different speed, Patricia. What do you think? Yes. That's why I you know said mine is. That's that's why you said you're not going to die because you still got too many things to do. I'm so far behind. If God put me here for a purpose, I'm so far behind. I'll never die. <laughs> now, Merton had, had a vision right down at uh, at Fourth and what was then uh, Walnut Street. It's now Walnut Street has been renamed Muhammad Ali. Boulevard, and uh, they call that Thomas Burden Place, right downtown next to the uh, Sealback Hotel. So, uh, hmm. but um, you know, he had quite the influence uh, over many of the people. You know, you know from they like said through the forties and through the fifties and into the sixties. I'm trying to think of people from Indiana. Who ran for president or, or was vice president? I, th- I th- remember Dan Quayle was VP. Anybody else from Indiana ever made it to that level of office? I was just sh- shifting gear here. Yes, shifting gears here. Uh-huh. Um, well, I'm trying. Williams, William Jennings Bryan. He was in. I believe was. He was a Nebraska boy. Was he in Nebraska? Uh huh. I was trying to remember here. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the uh, ran the newspaper in Nebraska. Okay. I don't think he was born in Indiana. I think he was all Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Harrisons, who were from Indiana. Okay. And there you go. Yes. There you go. Henry Harrison. Right. And his uh, son, grandson. Harrison. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's right. Grandson. Okay. And um. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Lincoln, I mean, he... Yeah, he loved it. Indiana. You, you guys can claim him. Yeah, you got... He, yeah, absolutely. He, okay. We're, we're the boy... We're, we're the... Um, oh, what? Kentucky says they're the birthplace, and Indiana says we're the boyhood home. And then Illinois can claim them, too, you know. <laughs> In fact, uh, the Lincoln Highway runs right through here. So... Uh, trying to think. By the way, oh. there you go. Um, speaking of Lincoln, I would just want to make the people who may I went to the BBC next year. The Lincoln Continental is making a comeback, everybody. Really? Yes, the Lincoln Continental car is coming back, and it's going to be all high tech. But it, I guess, but but I guess they love the name so much, they're going to be rolling that car out again. I think I heard where they're bringing back the Ford Ranger, too. Mm. The little pickup. Yep, yep. That's very popular. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's been out. It, they haven't made it in four years. I think 2011 mm. is the last time they made the Ford Ranger. So are you going to get Thanksgiving off? What, what's the uh, school schedule like for the next two months? When finals, when, when your working schedule? Seems like you always got the last two weeks. Really hectic because of your interesting hours. Yes, you're right. We will be off. Uh, I think we're closing at noon on Wednesday, and we will be off Thursday and Friday. We will open again at uh, 7:45 Saturday morning uh, after Thanksgiving, and I believe finals begin that following Thursday, like week after Thanksgiving okay. is finals begin. Uh, and that will go for a two-week period. So yeah, we're we're getting right down to. Uh, I mean, Christmas is right up there in the. Uh, I know it's gonna be your it'll be your time away from work, basically. That's right. Hey. Right. Yes. Uh, how are? I don't want to talk are, about are, it. You don't want to talk about Christmas. I don't want to talk about my year having disappeared. Well, you, you have accomplished a lot this year. Poof. Thank you for all the boxes. Right. Thank you. I survived. I'm upright. Yeah, I can th- get up th- in the morning. Thank you for all the boxes you shipped. walk up and down stairs. Thank, hmm? thank you for all the boxes you shipped out of the apartment this year. That's a major accomplishment. Think about all the boxes I got into the apartment <laughs> this year. Actually, it was last year, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm just well, so last... grateful we have Ron as a depository. I know. Or repository. Depository. Depository, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You can't be a repository until I yeah, depository. I guess, it, I guess it is a repository because we deposit over at your place and we're replaying it over there. Yeah, I'm the repository, having, aren't I? Yeah. When are we having Super Saturdays? We're starting November 28th. We got to come up with a new name. We're talking about what we're going to do. We got to come up with a new name. Uh, we're going to start on that 28th. We're going to start at 4 o'clock Eastern. And we'll at least do four hours, maybe longer. We, we, we're we going to have a meeting uh, after the Spurvax convention to put our heads together, decide on our name and what we want to do and what the chat room and And so we're going to do that. Then we'll be back December the 19th on the Saturday and then January 2nd. And that definitely screw all our special broadcast at night. You'll hear Patricia. Wall to wall, like always. Well, we gotta call it the Pink Network. I know. That's right. <laughs> P- 
PP. Patricia Pink. Necro. PPN? PPN. No, we're calling, it, we're, we're, we're calling it the Pink Network, and, and I've already made up a lot of T-shirts and, and sweatpants and everything that says Pink. Oh, pink. Pink. I love Hello. T-shirts. You can keep the sweatpants. I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not warm to sweatpants. Have, have, you, have, have, have you had Patricia approve the logo yet? Uh, no, I went ahead and made an executive decision, okay. and we, we just, you know, big bold, big, bold block letters, you know, it says P-I-N-K, and well, well, I think wearing we, it. I think we need a mascot. A mascot? Yeah. You know, kid, Patricia, pink, pink. Patricia likes kitty cats. I think we need a kitty cat mascot. Pink, well, pink. Have, you've already got the Pink Panther. Yeah. Hmm. By the rights to I, that. I think that. I think we might have some copyright issues there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but, but, we're looking, but Patricia, just think. We're looking for publicity. If we claimed it. <laughs> I'd prefer not to give it from jail. If it's, if it's okay with you, jail is not on my bucket list. But just think of the free room and board we However, get. However, you get three meals a day in yeah, jail. Yeah, and room and board. Lots of room. And room and board is kind of noisy, but I don't have to talk to anybody, I guess. No. Play room hmm. for boxes, too. Might be bigger than the apartment, Patricia. <laughs> oh, oh! I got some pictures in from. Oh gosh, it must be Bob in Wisconsin. He keeps me happy with pictures sometimes, uh -huh. and it was a string of. Oh, just pictures with captions, and and some of them were really good. But I got to one that just laid me out. She met him on the internet. I'm paraphrasing. She met him on the internet, and he told her he lived in a gated community. And the picture is of a jail cell. Can't get much more gated than that, now can you? Say that again, please. Can't get more gated than that, is what Dan said. You cannot get more gated. I have so many gates in my community. But it was one of those things that just hit me right at the right time. And I thought it was the funniest thing I had seen in a month. And it probably was. Hmm. Hey, have you heard any words from Ron? Hmm? Have we heard anything from Ron, Ron from in Hawaii? Have not. Have not. Have not. Yeah. I just wondered how he was doing and hope he's doing well. Yeah. And, I hope so, you know, too. Yeah. Just keep him in my thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Ron, if you're listening, is there not able to call us and I have Gail drop Patricia an email or, or something? Or, you know, we'd like to give an update. If we know it's all going to work how out, about, fine. How about while we're on the phone, I will do that right now. Okay. You'll send a quick note to Gail. This very all right. second. All right. I've got to go see a friend of mine this week. She's turning 94. 94. Yes. I was um looking at the Spurvac convention this week. Our, our friend Marsha Hunt is going to attend the Sunday morning program, and she just turned 98, and how oh. how articulate she is. And I, both she and June Ferrer are both 98 here the last few weeks, and that's mm -hmm. still pretty remarkable. Well, you know, Al Molinera, he was doing fine except for these gallstones. Yeah. He said basically that he was going to have surgery and, you know, and, and just... 
hate to hear about his, you know. So is your, all, is, is, is your friend, is it the, her birthday coming up? What the, uh, you're just going to drop in and say hi? What, what, what the occasion, anything in particular? Or? Oh, she'll be, yeah, on her birthday and, you know, um, she's uh, the former librarian yeah. here in town and, and, and I've, uh, her husband died a year before I started working at the library, he died in 1984. So I started taking her a little birthday gift uh, when I started working at the library, and uh, that was in 1985. And we've been doing that all these years. Now. So, have you picked anything out yet? What I usually do is just take. Um, we usually just uh, take her birthday card, and I'll take her a birthday cake, and we sit down, we have a piece of cake, and talk about times and. Have a good chat. So, what kind of flavor? Is the what kind of? Are we? You know, Patricia would vote for chocolate. What are you gonna be bringing to your friend? Lima Jean has uh, has uh, similar taste to to Patricia. She loves chocolate. All right. So you know, I'll get her. Yes. We sit down and we'll have a good a good chat over her during her birthday. Are you going to have milk with it? I mean, who, who can eat chocolate cake without milk? Well, that's right, you know. She'll uh, pull out a nice tall glass of milk and we'll just sit down and have a Patricia can have a eat shake without milk? What, what do you I, Yeah. Listen, if you yeah. told me yeah. I can have cake without milk or no cake at all, what what do you think my answer is going to be? Okay, okay, okay. If if Patricia had her way, yeah. what would she have with her cake? Besides a plate Another of, piece of cake. Besides a plate Probably of Probably coffee. Coffee. I, I don't think milk. I think coffee. So match what how coffee and cake sounds good. You go wash your mouth out. We're never going to get them as sponsors, are we? Oh, I think we should try. I think you, I think you could be Gracie. Oh, I could be Gracie. I, I know. Just can't, uh, I can't be truthful and say this is wonderful. Wait a minute. 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 If we land Maxwell, Max, if we land in Maxwell House and I pay us both, you know, yeah. a, a living wage, you couldn't yeah. say you couldn't say good to the last drop. No. I may reconsider if somebody calls. <laughs> but right now, I, I would I would say the company's slogan is "Good to the Last Drop." Yeah, but I, I would I would find a way to get the message across. But I I can't lie. That stuff is vile. I know, but I don't think that's oh, one of the me. great the great little routine when Joyce and uh, Gracie asked Joyce you wanted to know, and you hear the little um. You know, the, uh, yeah. you know, that, that whole, mm -hmm. that whole routine that Meredith Wilson, I always thought that was a great piece of advertisement. Another one owned by Kraft. Really? How about that? I have a question. Yep. I heard uh, Meredith Wilson give a commercial on the front portion of a show. And what? Who were that? 
Who were the happy little people? Were they like? It was a it was an eight tech. He arranged for eight singers to be the Jello voice. Yeah. And they had the the eight delicious flavor, and they would there was a folks to simulate chilling, like when you chill Jello, and they drive Patricia nuts because of the way they do the vocal harmony. But yes, and it, and the show was in New York, and he was in Hollywood, so that, you know they had to transfer the wires backwards and forwards. But that—that's what that was all about. Well, I, I hadn't really heard these this commercial before, and then I didn't know if they were sprites or pixies or <laughs> whatever. I mean, you know, I—I I think it comes around to what I can be able, it's about nineteen forty-eight. It's when they came up with the concert and with the Jello. I guess they got tired of uh, Henry Aldrich come when maybe I don't think when Henry and Homer were singing the Jello song that was that was pretty good. I think Patricia would vote for that over okay over over the eight tech. Okay, and you eight, bet. and the eight tech remember they spoke in voices too at the same time. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. They did. They were almost like the night when you turned on Skype and all those people <laughs> called in. Wasn't that awful? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. My poor little brain just went clang, 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 clang. Poor Everybody got divided attention. That's right. Poor Patricia just couldn't handle it. What can you do? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. My oh. brain was having a crisis. Oh, she's 78. She's, how old are you now? Okay, you've been... 79. Four, <laughs> huh? You've been 79 years now. I mean, how old is Mickey now? Four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you weren't so level... Lovable, we wouldn't be buying this over and over again. Know. You know? <laughs> it's, it's Patricia persona. I'm adorable. Yeah, it's your persona. Okay, okay, here we go. All right. Yes. What scares you. This is Halloween, and spooks and goblins and jack o' lanterns and everything. What are you afraid of? Either real, past, or gosh, I hope this never happens. What scares you? I'm not afraid of anything that I'm not afraid of anything that walks, crawls, crawls, or digs holes. So what are you talking about? <laughs> Wait until Walden and I get there for a visit. You may revise your answer. <laughs> <laughs> what are you afraid of, Dan? Oh my gosh! Oh, I do not like snakes. Ah, oh, Bill Brad doesn't like snakes either. How? How? How emphatic, I, how badly do you dislike snakes? I mean, is is this like you really freak out or you just, oh, get that away from me? Um, let's put it to you this way. When I was a kid, we had an apple tree in our mm-hmm. backyard, and uh, I got so frightened of a snake that I just stiffened up and I couldn't move. They had like wow. creamy out from under the apple tree. I don't remember. I mean, I remember. It's a very bad omen. I don't know why it 
I don't know why it happened. I guess but it, it, it was here. one of those that, that just appeared. It wasn't like you had a terrible experience with a snake. Yeah. That was it. Yes. That was your one and only and never again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. How old were you? I think it was about two. Oh, gee. Two, three years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. Oh, you I still don't like kid. snakes. Yeah, but I mean, having seeing something like that slithering around, and you're just a little munchkin. Wow, mm-hmm. oh, you poor kid. Yep, but uh, you know, I, you know, I'm not too afraid of anything. My mother always said it's more afraid of you than <laughs> than you yeah, are. Yeah, right. Or this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Right. Right. That's right. I don't think so. Yes. How about yourself? I don't think I've heard what you're afraid of. Dogs that are not leashed. Oh, that's right. Yes. I do remember that. I am a basket case. I I just, I'm toast. I'm Mm. toast. If I'm on the beach and I see a loose dog, even three or four blocks away, I'm off the beach. I'll walk on the sidewalk. Hmm. Now, are you talking about big dogs, small dogs, poodles? Any dogs. Pekingese? Big dogs big are dogs. worse. I mean, big dogs are, are worse than the small ones, but um, any dog. Hmm. And it's irrational. I have nothing in my past that I know of that would have created that kind of a fear. Hmm. Then you wouldn't like coyotes running around up here then? No. Okay. No. How about lions? Yeah. Well, mountain lion, it, you know, I mean, they're they're ferocious, but they're so pretty. Yeah, they're cats, really. And then, then again, a raccoon is pretty, but. Yeah. They're cats, though. Lions are cats, right? Yep. They're cats. Yeah. They're pussy cats. Yeah. But truly, I, I haven't, again, I just, I do not know where this came from. It's just there. Never and you're not afraid experience of moving around. Mm. You know, when I was a little, little kid, the neighbor's dog came over and tried to lick me to death. But, um, you know, that, that's that's not something that was so terrifying that it should have affected me like this. Mm. Maybe there's a, there's, there's a case for reincarnation. Maybe I got eaten by dogs in a previous life. I don't think, it, I don't think it's come from a ventral... Uh, a vivid image, a vivid image that that causes all oh, be afraid a vivid of something. Image. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. I don't know. Hard to I say. Could have been a could have been a dog that came up and one one be friendly and you you took the friendly act of a dog as being vicious. I I I don't think I took it as vicious, and there was one that I described earlier that I was walking around my community and a man had his dog out with him. It was a white German shepherd, a beautiful dog. And he, as so many other pet owners believe, don't worry. He just wants to say hello. He won't hurt you. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I mean, I was, the dog put his paws up on my shoulders. Then I I was terrified. I was beyond terrified. I bet, yes. Just beyond. 
and you never can tell what a dog will do. I mean, yes, no. might say mm-hmm. that, oh, he just wants to say hello, and he's like starting to growl at you, and yeah, that's. Uh, and, and you just don't know. I mean, it, it, uh, dogs are sensitive to things. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe maybe the soap you used is, is an offensive scent to him because somebody who used that soap one time hit him. I don't know. True. That's true. You you have to watch out for animals. They, uh, well, yes, I do know that. Yes, you. Yeah, I, you I actually had a friend who was a dog. Say again, Dan. Killed. I said I had a friend who was out walking in the country. Oh, it's been four or five years ago, and and two dogs came up and they uh, they uh, attacked her. So. Uh, Stranger things can happen, so but uh, I rest my case. Yes, that's right. So <laughs> well I can't believe we're going to miss Patricia for a whole week here. I know. I know. But you know he gotta get revved up for the holiday season. This is this is her time to take a take a Saturday off to recharge the batteries and create notes and, and, and she'll like be working there. overtime here. Yeah, she'll she she, you know, she got to start thinking about Thanksgiving and put together the Thanksgiving notes and start working on Christmas notes and buy a turkey. Bar- Is Barbara settled back in Alabama? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Bought a house, closed on it, moved in, furniture being, some of it arrived last week. The rest of it will arrive a week from today. Yeah. Well, that's great. Got her She's dug in. Do what now? She's dug in. I'm still picking up the pieces. <laughs> she, she's doing fine. Thank you for asking. I'll let her know that you asked about her. Well, she sounds like a very interesting character. Mm, yeah. Cool. I, I, she ought to call in and co-host one, uh, one month, one, uh, one weekend a month. Why? <laughs> You know, sisters, you know. I'm the, waiting. Uh, huh? I'm, I'm waiting for the answer. <laughs> I think she was beca- becoming interested in uh, old radio shows. Um, I don't think so. Don't think so? Not, not her, not her uh, great hobby? Well, I sent her some shows, and I don't think she listened to any of them. She wanted Amos and Andy. I sent her Amos and Andy, but I don't think she'd listen to any. Yeah. Oh, uh, are we getting all the DJs lined up for like uh, like a two-hour period during some of these Super Saturdays? It's part of our plan that we haven't put it in play, but definitely um, on our wish list to do. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Well, that's good. You know? I think it would be fun to have... You know, them. They should all come on and send a tushy roll as payment. What do you think? <laughs> did, did, or did. No, no. Gotten, huh? No, no? Have you gotten. No, no. Call on the phone yet to uh, answer the age old question? What? No. No. And you know why? Why? Because I didn't do my homework. Well, how dare you? You didn't do your homework. 
I know, I know, I know. The cat, I got lots the, of the, stuff the, about the, War of the Worlds. The cat ate it. The cat ate it. The cat ate my homework, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is here, good. Here, here, here I've been sending you banana meatloaf recipes, and you're not doing your homework. I have to tell you, that one made me gag. Just thinking about a banana and meatloaf. Oi. Well, if you notice, my mom hasn't made it since the very first night they were the, they they uh, she cooked for my dad in 53 years or whatever, 52 years of marriage. So it was a one-and-done proposition. <laughs> one-and-done. I've never heard that expression before. That's good. One and done. That's sort of that's the expression they use in ba- the basketball tournament, you know. Cause the, the, oh. Yeah. One and done. Yeah. Oh, Patricia, sports just keeps rearing its ugly head. Yeah. You know, yeah. before you know it, sport will Patricia will, will grow a love to, of sporting events. I knew you were going to say something silly. I mean, even the Sinatras, I heard the Sinatras the other day, uh-huh. um, Nancy and Frank uh-huh. did a song together, then I go and say it all, then uh, I go and spoil it, it all by saying uh, something st- stupid. Stupid, yeah. And what, 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 what was the stupid? Well, the, the, saying that I love you, saying... That's right. Yeah. Then, then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid, stupid. like I love you. Yeah. However, in this case, it's just something stupid. <laughs> Yeah, but you spend all the time every week looking mm-hmm. up a baseball trivia question for me. Yeah, I have a good one. How? Why and how? I mean, you you despise sports so much. Well, it's it's not that I despise sports. I just cannot bring myself to sit plugged into a television or a radio and follow this stuff. The trivia is fun. I mean, how many times would you come across a piece of information like Babe Ruth used to keep a cabbage leaf under his baseball cap when he was out on the field? There you go. I mean, that stuff is fun. It's not fun to see guys with helmets and numbers and they stand up and they fall down, and they stand up and they fall down, and they stand up and they fall down, and somebody says, oh, goody, we got a goal. Then they stand up and fall down, and then they stand up and fall down. You know you know they were kicking the pumpkin around on that field, don't you? Okay. Were they okay. really? Okay. Ah. Patricia. You're laughing. Okay. Patricia. Gullible. Yes. Hmm? I, have, I, have, I have a career for you. Oh, dear. It pays really good money, and it's nighttime hours. Hey, we're getting warmer here. What? Yeah, yeah. How about Patricia becoming a sports writer? Is this Walden? <laughs> you can be the Red Smith of, of today, writing polls, you know, Poetry about that football thing, that, that that little thing they kick around on the ground on Sunday, and stand up and fall down. And yeah, stand up and fall down. See, that that's poetry. What you just said, stand up and you. fall down. Stand up and fall down. 
you know, their their mommies are looking at them and saying, why did I buy you high-top shoes to teach you how to walk? <laughs> Spend all your time flat on your face, you know. <laughs> you could move to Louisville right about the ponies. There you go. Yeah, we could do that. You wear nice derby hats. Oh, what's happening with the World Series? I don't know who won tonight. You know, uh... They play it? Okay. It's the, not the, over yet? the New York Mets, it should be over hours ago, so maybe you can look that up. No, I mean the series. <laughs> well, the Kansas City Royals are up two games to one over the New York Mets, and they're playing the fourth game tonight. Okay. T- tickets, so I, think I should go look and, you can and look find up. out. Tickets were only going for tonight $17,000 a piece. Oh, boy. Huh. I could live a long time on that. Yeah. Okay. So see, see who won Kansas City or New York. Did you hear what? about the 14 game, uh, game on? Game four, final. Uh, five to three, the Royals. Ah, so they're up three games to one. So they need to win one so more now game. Three to one. Okay. What what sport, that, Dan? That's, well, which uh, the game on uh, was it the second game that went 14 innings? Yeah, uh, first game. First game. First game. First okay. Game. Okay. Yeah. okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. What, over five hours. Yeah, it got over about two o'clock in the morning. Right. I, yeah. Right. They had a power outage and technical. Yep. Because well, the power outage because the the TV station Fox forgot to bring a backup generator, so they had to borrow one from another sports network to 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 have you a television. No, it's true. These really deep thinkers involved in sports, and you want me to be a sports writer? Well, the, 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 the sports network that forgot it wasn't the major league or anybody with the sports network forgot their own generator. So they had a ball from MLB. So that, that's ML, MLB, Major League Baseball. Major got League a, Baseball. Got uh-huh. up and running. See, you know, there's an interesting study for you, Patricia. What? In the 20s, you know, we had our historian Jim Taylor call us early about the 20s. But mm-hmm. if you look at the the articles, the sports articles and things, all those things in those that pine were the famous one were all in po- poetic prose about events and things. You look nowadays straight. Like Casey at the back? Right. Okay. You know, you know, so what I'm saying is, those guys back in those days had a totally different style. You know, they were using metaphors and, you know, Grand and Rice were describing the four horsemen, the you know, the backfield for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And, and, remember Ray said? Frank, um, Franklin Adams, Franklin P. Adams. Right. Did stuff, and so did uh, John Kieran. And Ray, and, uh... Red Smith wrote that way. A lot of guys wrote. But now the whole sports writing is all, okay, this guy's up to bat. He hit two baseball. I mean, pretty mundane style. It was, it's not the, uh, the the pros that was 20, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. So, see, you can, you can bring it back, Patricia. I hate poetry. Can I, can I just plain write? You could you could create your own style. Oh, I don't like to read it. I don't like to write it. Okay, but you could you create your own writing style. 
Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. You'll have to look up. uh, There's a lady who's retiring from writing about the horses here. Her name is Jenny, and her last name is Reese. R-E-A-S, I believe is the way she spells her last name. She's been writing about the uh, Churchill Downs for 30 years. She's retiring as a turf rider, I believe. And why is she cussing in the towel? She's been doing it for 30 years. That's why she's tossing in the towel. Yes, she's retiring. Mm. So, but I don't you know. know. She's going to. Sounds like she's going to have a hole in her heart for a long time. You know, retirement sounds wonderful until you get there. I think she's going to be writing books, going into sports writing. You know, instead of writing for the yeah. newspaper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you'll she have can do that. You'll have to look up. Uh, I think I mentioned to you, you'll have to look up Alana Nash, too. Alana Nash is a Louisville writer, and she uh, wrote uh, books on Elvis, and um, you ought to look her up, too. No, we have a resident librarian who helps us with that stuff. (laughs) All right, I'll look up Alana Nash, and I'll send you information. You and Alana, kindred spirits. Yeah, and stuff like that there. And stuff like that there. Uh, this is Yesterday oh, wow. USA. This pause has been sponsored by Dan. The pause <laughs> that refreshes. Bless his heart. <laughs> you still there, Dan? Uh, his, I guess not. May his cell phone died. He is tapped out. Okay. Um, Dan, I sent an email to Gail and Ron in Hawaii that you asked about them, that we're all thinking about them, wanting to know how he is doing, and that we're sending good thoughts and warm prayers. Amen. Amen. So so would you like, because it's, <laughs> it's almost 20 after 2 here. Well, I was wondering, should, you, want me to play the ho- you want me to play the Halloween show now or after our trivia question? Oh, would you I, do it now? Yeah, because I, I want to go. I want. I, I want to go get a snack, and so why don't why don't I play that and play some music, and then we'll be back to. Okay, this show. is Little Teeny. I didn't even take down the date. Um, but it's, it's it's one of the fifteen minute shows, so it's um, probably fifty four. Uh-huh. I thought it was 53, probably October 31, it's okay. 53. Yeah. It's one of the 15-minute shows uh-huh. that happened, um, when did they come to 15-minute shows, 53? Yeah, September 53, so this had been probably September, 20, so this would be yeah. one of the first, one of the first 15-minute right. shows that they did. So and Saber takes Little Teeny out trick-or-treating, and I love this show, so I think most people will enjoy it. All right, so Patricia and, and I, be back. Patricia and I will be back. We're gonna go eat because it's food time. Yes, it is. All right, I'll talk to you a little bit, Patricia. Okay, bye bye. All right, everybody, here's a little music. All right, so get the show up and running here on Yesterday USA. Well, if you happen to have a collection of my recordings, here's a tune you might like to add.
JAWS Professional Sound Forge Pro 11.0, the All Tab, Skype, Sign and Editing Level 2, Windows M, Desktop, Folder View, List View, Sound Forge Pro 11M, Microsoft M, My Conference M, My Documenter, My Documents, Items, Christmas, Friday, Friday, Gene, Las Vegas, My Con, Sunday, 16, Betty, 161953 10 Trick or Treating with Teeny One. Unloading Jaws, Cast, OK, and Jaws, items, 16, enter. Now the playing basket window. Every weekday at this time, NBC brings you Fibber, McGee, and Molly transcribed. The show is written by Phil Leslie and Ralph Goodman and directed by Max Hutto. We'll join Fibber and Molly in just a moment. In less than 10 years, a lot of fortunate people will see their savings pay off. You can be one of those people, but you have to act now. Invest today in United States savings bonds. In less than 10 years, your bonds will mature, and Uncle Sam will pay you $4 for every $3 you put in. In other words, for an investment of only $18.75, you'll get back $25. For an investment of $750, you'll get back $1,000. And look, now you can hold your savings bonds beyond maturity and earn even more money. The handsome rate of interest continues up to 10 years beyond the maturity date. That's right, your bonds go right on earning 3% interest compounded semi-annually for their entire life. Investigate the payroll savings plan where you work or the bond-a-month plan where you bank. You'll feel more secure tomorrow if you invest in United States savings bonds today. Dinner is over, the table is cleared, and here in the kitchen, Mr. and Mrs. McGee are busy with the dishes. Mrs. McGee is busy washing the plates. Mr. McGee is busy emptying a bowl of candy. A piece at a time, as his wife says. Don't eat any more, but please. Okay. That's for the children tomorrow, anyway. Children? Tomorrow night. Halloween. Hey, that's right. It is Halloween tomorrow, ain't sure. it? Sure. All the kids in the block will be ringing the doorbell and hollering, trick or treat, and I'll be ready for them. Trick or treat. My gosh, Halloween sure is quiet nowadays compared to what it was when I was a kid back in Peoria. Yes, thank goodness. Oh, boy, when I think of the stuff us kids used to do in them days. I used to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> My folks wouldn't let me get very far from home on Halloween. There was a terrible bunch of rowdies that used to roam the town. I'll say. You remember the night them rowdies put roller skates on the cast iron deer on the mayor's lawn and pushed it out into the street? Indeed, I do. And one kid rode it down the 7th Street Hill across Main Street and right through the window of Clip Stratton's barber shop. <laughs> what a shamble. I remember that very well. You smelt like bay rum for a week. Me? <laughs> oh, well, you know how kids are. I was only about 26 at the time. <laughs> I guess the Halloween I remember best was when poor Uncle Dennis was living at our house. Oh, yeah. 
And some kids took a bronze bust of General Grant off the courthouse lawn and put it on our front porch. And boy, was that heavy, too. Uncle Dennis came home so tired he could hardly stand up. He came in about midnight with his knuckles all bruised. Oh. Said he had an argument out front with a Civil War veteran and had to poke him in the nose. <laughs> ah, boy, those were the days. Yes. Thank goodness they're over. I guess kids nowadays... What's the matter? Listen, you hear something? You, you hear that? On the back porch. McGee, that's teeny. Oh. Her mother called and said she's coming over here to show us her Halloween costume. Yeah? <laughs> hey, look. Look out the door. <laughs> she's dressed like a ghost and got a Frankenstein mask on. Be real scared now, McGee. Yeah. Be scared. Who's out there? Ooh, I'm Frankenstein's ghost. Ooh. Help! Help! Don't get us! Please, Don't get... please now, spare us, Mr. Ghost. Please. Hey, we give up. We give up. <laughs> it's me, Mr. McGee. Oh. Miss McGee. See, it's me, Teeny. Oh, boy, what a relief. <laughs> you scared me to death. Oh, <laughs> me too. Have some candy, Teeny. Thanks, Miss McGee. I'll just take one pocket full. <laughs> I scared you, huh? Yeah, we, we were just talking about Halloween, Teeny. You going out with the kids tomorrow night? Well, my mother won't let me go with the other kids because they always get in trouble. Oh? Mm-hmm. Like Willie Toops has got a whole lot of soap, and he's going to ride all over the schoolhouse. And Terry Martinez, he knows where he can swipe a goat. Well, and... now, your mother is absolutely right, Teeny. Yeah, but gee, mister, I like to have fun. Hey, I tell you what, sis. I'll take you out trick-or-treat myself for a while. Right tonight. Gee, would you, Mr. McGee, would you? Oh, boy. Why, sure. McGee, aren't you a little, uh, <laughs> well, mature to go around ringing doorbells? One is never too old, my dear, to bring a little joy to the heart of a little child. Oh. I'll run and get a false face out of my old Taylor vaudeville trunk and a sack to carry the candy in, sis. Ha, <laughs> this will be good, clean fun. Back to Wistful Vista in a minute. Most of us have been called away from home and loved ones at one time or another, and we know from the experience that there's nothing quite as important during those days of separation as mail. A good old letter from home. Any man or woman in the armed forces will tell you. The only call that takes precedence over mess is mail call. And when a letter is more important to a hungry G.I. than food, you know it means something. The truce in Korea doesn't mean we should stop writing letters to our men and women in service, whether in U.S. camps or overseas. Mail from home is just as important now as it ever was. Yes, in some respects, it's even more important. The action, the strain, the anxieties of war can keep a soldier's mind occupied. But when the letdown comes, the time to relax, that's when morale needs a shot in the arm. Your soldier knows the shooting is over. He's done his big job, and now he wants to get home. But unfortunately, there's still a lot to keep him for a while. So don't let him down. Write that letter today. This is wonderful of you to take me, Mr. McGee. 
<laughs> Boy, we'll have fun, I betcha. Uh, well, we'll just ring some doorbells, trick-or-treat, holler, boo at people, stuff like that. No, no destructive stuff, of course. None of that. Oh, no. No, Mr. McGee. Why don't you go ring a doorbell right here? Okay. This is Mr. Howell's house. He'll give us some candy, I betcha, and then we'll go to every house on the block. Hey, can you open the gate for me, Mr. You know how to open Mr. Howell's gate? Oh, sure. I'll wait out here, sis. You run on up and ring the doorbell. You look scary, all right. <laughs> okay, mister. <laughs> Boy, I bet I scare him. Hmm. This gate ain't fastened onto the hinges very tight. Oh, boy. If I was Teeny Jays, I'd have this thing off of here and up in that maple tree before... Oh, well, my goodness. What do you know about that? Lifted right off the hinges, didn't it? Oh, boy. Old Hector Howell will be as sore as a boil tomorrow when he... There's nobody home, Mr. McGee. Oh. I rang the bell. Hey, what you doing to the gate, mister? Hmm, the gate. Oh, well, uh, well, well, it's a funny thing, Teeny. I, I was just opening this gate, and, and it come right off the hinges. <laughs> Imagine that, lifted right off. Oh, gee, mister, we better fix it, huh? We don't want to be bad kids, do we? Oh, no, not us. I think it's busted, though. We better take it down the street and leave it on old man Parker's front porch. You know, he, he he's he's the carpenter around here. He's the one Howell will have to take to to get it fixed anyhow. Oh, what you doing? I fixed it, Mr. McGee. Oh. Mm-hmm. It just slips off of those little iron pegs. I saw Mr. Howell take it off when they brought their refrigerator in one time. I fixed it. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Well, come on. Let's go. Whose house we go to next, Mr. McGee? Hmm. Well, here, let's cut through this alley here to the next street. Okay, huh? okay. Just look at all the trash cans lined up down this alley, will you? They oughtn't to leave those trash cans out here. Kids might steal them, hmm? Yeah, some kids would... <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, Teeny. I accidentally kicked that trash can right over. Well, gee, mister, maybe we ought to pick up the trash and put it back. Who's out there? Shh. Quiet, Teeny. We didn't mean to do it, mister. We'll pick Quiet, up... Sis. What's going on out there? Elba, get me my flashlight. Come on, Teeny, we better run. Wait for me, Mr. McGee. Hey, hey, come here, you. close to the fence long there, I guess. I must have knocked over five or six of them trash cans, I guess. <laughs> That's too bad. Accidents will happen, though. <laughs> Gee, that was fun, though, Mr. McGee. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll go ring Miss Donahue's bell. She always gives me candy, I betcha. You want to come with me, hmm? No, no, I'll wait out here. This uh, this house next door, that's that's Toops's house, huh? Sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not going there, though, mister. Oh. I'm mad at Willie Toops today. Oh, well, it's pretty dark out here, but I see Mort leaves his car in the driveway. <laughs> he shouldn't do that. No. Why don't you go tell him he ought to put it away, mister? Go tell him. Oh, no, no. He, he, he'll know it in the morning, sis. <laughs> you go ahead and scare the people next door. Don't hurry. I'll, 
I'll amuse myself waiting here. Okay, mister. Why, I'll scare Mrs. Dunhill, and then I'll say, it's me, Teeny, and she'll say, come in, Teeny. Old Mort should not leave his car out like this. <laughs> Boy, if I was Teeny's age, I'd take a piece of soap and ride all over the windshield. What did I do with that soap I had? Oh, here it is. <laughs> I'd take this piece of soap and I'd write, Mort Toops is a, a stinker. Boy, wait till he comes out in the morning, he'll blow his top. Hey, Molly. I'm home. Good. Did you and Teeny have fun, dearie? Oh, she had a wonderful time. Want some candy bars? We split it up. <laughs> no, thank you. I hope you showed the youngster how to be well-behaved and stay out of mischief. Well, Natch, you know I'd set her a good example. There were some other youngsters out tonight, too. Oh, sure. I wish you'd have had them with you so you could watch them. Yeah? I didn't see anybody else. Over near Toops's house. Oh? I took the car and ran over to Mabel Toops's for a while to pick up a dress pattern and some things, and naturally, I just parked our car in their driveway. Our car? In Toops's driveway? And some little rascals came along and rode all over it with some soap. It's just a mess. My gosh, the nasty little vandals. They must have thought it was Mort's car. It says Mort Toops is a stinker all over it. Isn't that terrible? I'll have it washed in the morning. Don't worry about it. Tibber and Molly will be right back. With Halloween only a day away, the Trick-or-Treat Brigade is already on the prowl through the fall night. And after you've answered your doorbell a few times, you'll know that fall is here in its full glory. And for the sports-minded, fall is synonymous with college football. The cheering crowds, brightly colored mums, and the crisp air of a Saturday afternoon truly mean football. And if you can't be there in person, be sure to join us here by your radio as the NBC Radio Network again brings you the top football game of the week. From the kickoff to the final gun, You'll hear each and every play when you set your dial to NBC Radio these fall Saturdays. So make it your habit to tune to the top football game of the week on the NBC Radio Network tomorrow and every Saturday afternoon. Later Saturday evening, you'll want to hear NBC's Folk Festival of Top Western Entertainers. Listen for such fun-packed shows as Grand Old Opry, The Eddie Arnold Show, and Pee Wee King Show. There's fun for everybody when you set your dial to this, your NBC station, every Saturday evening. Tomorrow night is Halloween, and when the little spooks and goblins and the dime store false faces and the bed sheets knock on your door, be nice to them. Yeah. Remember that we were that age once. Yeah, and I don't know about you people, but some of the stuff I got into at that age, I'm lucky I didn't get killed. It's a wonder I ever grew up. Did you? What? Huh? Oh, <laughs> good night. Good night, all. <laughs> NBC has brought you the Fibber McGee and Molly program transcribed. Be with us again Monday night for another visit with Fibber McGee and Molly.
Laugh with Can You Top This on the NBC Radio Network. And I hope you enjoyed that, Favorite McGee and Molly. Let's say a prayer, dear Lord. Thank you for this holiday season that we look forward to Thanksgiving and Christmas. Look after all the trick-or-treaters out there. Hopefully all of them are safe. Bless this country, Lord, if we do your will. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's go get Patricia and find out. Does she have any snack of poo? I'm biding my time Cause that's the kind of guy I'm While other folks grow dizzy I keep busy Biding my time And next year Next year Something's bound to happen this year, this year, I'll just keep on napping, abide my time, cause that's the kind of guy I'm, there's no regretting when I'm setting, abide my time. Full of tinkle. Let me, let me dream like Rip Van Winkle. He bided his time. Like that Winkle guy, I. There's no regretting when I'm satin. Care and woe, here I go singing low by by Blackbird. Where somebody waits for me, sugar sweet, so is she by by Mother Blackbird. No one here can love or understand me. Oh, what hard luck stories they all have. You better make my bed, light the light I'll arrive late tonight Blackbird, bye-bye Pack up all my care and woe Here I go, singing low bye Bye, Blackbird Where somebody waits for me 
sugar's sweet, so is she. Bye, bye, Blackbird. No one here can love or understand me. Oh, what hard luck stories they all have. You better make my bed, light the light. I'll arrive late tonight, Blackbird. Bye, bye, bye. This time, friends, I'd like to sing one of my own favorites, an old tune called Nice Work If You Can Get It. Holding hands at midnight beneath the starry sky. Nice work if you can get it, and you can get it if you try. Strolling with the one girl, side and side to side. Nice work, you can get it, and you can get it if you try. Just imagine someone waiting at the cottage door, where two hearts become one. Who could ask for anything more? Loving one who loves you, then taking that vow. Nice work, you can get it, and if you get it, won't you tell me how? Just imagine someone waiting at the cottage door Where two hearts become one Who could ask for anything more? Loving one who loves you Then taking that vow Nice work if you get it And if you get it Won't you tell me I'm helpless 
knows what to do. How can I hide the tears I keep inside? Such is my After being out late, walking my baby back home. I'm and I'm over meadow and farm, walking my baby back home. We go along harmonizing a song, or I'm reciting a poem. Hours go by and they give me the eye, walking my baby back home. We stop for a while, she gives me a smile, I snuggle her head to my chest. We start in the pet, that's when I get her powder all over my vest. After I kind of straighten his tie, I have to borrow his comb. One kiss, then we continue again, walking my baby back home. Walking my baby, I'm in love. Walking my baby over meadow and farm. Oh, hey baby, there's lipstick on your face. Wow, a baby, that's all right. Be my guest. Then we continue again Walking my baby back
want to be happy, but I won't be happy till I make you happy too. Life's really worth living when you are mirth given. Why can't I give some to you? When skies are gray and you say you are blue, I'll send the sun smiling through. I want to be happy, but I won't be happy till I make you happy too. Bobby Sox girls, here's one of America's most popular crooners, Dick Hames, with a song for your special listening pleasure. See the USA in your Chevrolet, America's asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA, America's the greatest land of all. On a highway or road along a levee. Performance is sweeter, nothing can beat her. Life is completer in a Chevy. So make a day today to see the USA and see it in your Chevrolet. Travel and ease. Travel and wear. Wherever you go, Chevy services best. Southward or north, near place or far, there's a Chevrolet dealer for your Chevrolet car. Whether traveling lighter with a load that's heavy, performance is sweeter, nothing can beat her, life is completer in a Chevy. So make a day today to see the USA and see it in your spring or fall you can find me 
same old place anytime at all. My mind keeps running on only one track, living day to day for just your call. Some special time, any time at all. Maybe time and maybe distance will keep us far apart. But time and space cannot erase. The hope that's in my heart So I won't stop hoping Won't ever give up Even though my chances may be small I'll keep waiting So please come back Anytime at all I feel so well No sobs, no sorrows, no sighs This can't be love I get no dizzy spell My head is not in the sky My heart does not stand still Just hear it beat This is too sweet to be 
this can't be love because I feel so well. But still, I love to look in your eyes. My heart does not stand still. Just hear it beat. This is too sweet to be love. This can't be love because I feel so well. But still, I love to look in your eyes. I'd like to uh, sing a beautiful ballad called Oh You Crazy Moon, written by James Van Heusen and John Burke. Shall we do it, Frank? When they met The way they smiled I saw that I was through Everybody, hope you have had a snack like Patricia and I did. I did all the necessary items that you had to do. <laughs> Nothing is personal on this show. No, no, no. I, I, I figured, I figured I could run for the president of the United States because I do not have a private life. Everything I've ever Our, done. Your <laughs> life is an open book. Uh huh. International. Yes. Uh, I don't mind being an international figure. Now. This is interesting. If some prognosticators are correct yeah. in predicting that every sound we make stays in space, that it's out there somewhere, every noise, anything ever made on Earth. Well, according to you know, Fibber, if it, uh, radio waves are out there, what he create that little radio? What? Remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did. Okay. Fibber did. Yeah. But that means that generations from now, this download of sound might happen. It just falls out of the sky. Mm -hmm. And people will know what you said generations from now. Hello, world. Including what you said about the football players. Hello, world. I want to introduce you to the adorable one who 
group been with me for eight years on the air. Isn't that incredible? Eight Christmases. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad we've done it together, Patricia. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, it has been a lot of fun, and it's only fun because we have so many people out there having fun oh, with... Oh, I know. I know. It's been fun. It's been fun because I, I'm... I'm transferring the Friday night show, and I'm making no take. This is when Patricia called in. So I, I, in my files, I, I write the date, and I say, Patricia calls. She, she was mouthy even then? Oh, back in 2005. I hadn't been around very long. I know. It's pretty nice, though. <laughs> and when I get all these files, I can say, well, this is when Patricia was here, and there, and everywhere. Oh. I'm, about, I'm about ready this week. It'll probably be next week with the Spurback. Got a copy of the Barry Farber interview. I'll be doing this next batch. Oh, how cool! Oh is yeah, that? and he's ready to come back on with us whenever we want him. Oh, I hope he does. Yep, he said so. The emails. I, I so hour he or forty five minutes, I guess. And I had a doctor's appointment scheduled to dovetail with that. Yep. And I think he would have stayed with us for another forty five minutes if I hadn't. Well, he told me, you know, when I'm ready, just give him a call. So I'm, so you know, we'll we'll, we'll circle our calendar together. For uh, probably an awful lot of people don't know, when we talk about Barry Farber, who he is, he was the second talk radio person to do serious type live talk radio, not the farm country selling their tractors. Um, Barry Gray was first. Barry Farber came on the scene a couple of months later. The two of them worked together. This was like 1960. I believe Barry Farber was in, or Barry Gray was 59, 1959. Uh, Barry Farber was 1960, and they worked out of New York. This man speaks 28 languages, just for the heck of it. I have, a tr- I have trouble with one. I know. I, I speak 12 languages, and they're all English, you know? I mean, I speak Southern, I speak Western, I speak, you know? But I'm at 28 languages, including Czechoslovakian and Cantonese. I mean, it just blows me away. Yeah. But anyway, that's the level of brilliance that you hear when we talk to Barry Farber. And, um, you know, he was just wonderful to listen to, and he is still doing work. I believe he's still broadcasting on the Internet, is he not? He's on the cable radio network. Okay. And so people who have cable TV can hear it and also uh, the Internet. So if you go to the cable radio network, you can Google, see what time it's on. It's on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm going to start sending him the Spurvac newsletter. And so he gave me his address in New York to yeah. where it be sent. And... Uh, Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, been that's great. Updating, uh, PR the opportunity to talk with him at least one more time. Yeah. Quite, quite a remarkable man. I mean, he, he set a tone, he and Barry Gray set a tone for talk radio. And gradually, fairly quickly, they were able to take listener calls. And people would call in with, I mean, 180 degree opinions. And he would discuss them with him, with the, with the callers. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you're wrong, hang up on him, give me another call. He talked with people. So you got two sides of an issue. He was the one who was so well-versed and so well-read that he was impressive 
but he also was talking with people. I mean, I can't, I, I mean, talk radio, it really was honest to goodness talk radio. Yeah. It was not chatter radio. It was not single host talking, telling people where to get off type yeah. radio. Honest to goodness. And it was just such a joy to listen to him. We were blessed on the West Coast to have Ira Fistel, who had that same ability, and you had Barry Farber on the New York, and those guys are rare to find. They, uh, when I just sat down and interviewed Ira a week ago, he said, I had no idea what we're going to talk about. I guess my I opened up the show, what would you like to talk about? And that's how he mm-hmm. ran his show. And uh, the times I've heard Barry, uh, he had the same abilities, you know, just... Um, those were the golden days of talk radio when they had a well, when you had guys who could cover many topics and uh, and discuss them intelligently. Right, and it wasn't a one tone, <laughs> one topic, driving into the ground, a, a politics, all politics all the time, and mm. my it's my way and the highway, and you know, it's, you know, it's different. It's different today than when we were kids, Patricia. When we were little ones. Yeah. And we were so adorable. Then. We were. We were. Yes, we were. Your baby pictures are just so cute. <laughs> you know, they really are. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only time I had pictures taken that, that were okay by me. Um, just want to remind our family. My photo album is an envelope. Yeah. Yeah. I want to remind our family that Patricia will have the night off a week from tonight. So she have consented. To do this extra bonus time with me. What? I know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. No, it says three o'clock, but it's really four o'clock. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird. Good thing I set my timer differently tonight. Yes. So, um. I have to say, I did some thinking while I was eating my chicken sandwich. Uh huh. The returning to what I'll call the normal clock, the normal time clock tonight. <clears throat> excuse me, gives people a sense of control. It does for me. I'm speaking for other people, and I shouldn't do that. But I think other people are in the same boat where it gives me a sense of control over my time again. When the clocks go forward in uh, in the springtime, mm-hmm. I feel for every month that we're on daylight savings time that I am perpetually late for something. Interesting. Whether or not I am, it doesn't matter. The sun is in the wrong place. The the day is going, you know. And so now I understand why more people have heart attacks after the clocks change in the springtime, and then they have fewer heart attacks when the clocks go back. Well, see, this is where I think you need to when we when we start campaigning for the clock to be set. Mm-hmm. This is part of Patricia's. Yeah, I mean, it's a terrible feeling. To feel like I am perpetually late, no matter what time the clock says, I'm late, I'm late, I'm, I'm like the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. And Alice in Wonderland. Late, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. Eight. No time to say hello, goodbye, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. I never read that story as a kid. Is that going to be a Patricia read one? When we start introducing fine literature to the show, are you going to read <laughs> that to me one night? You know, that would be fun. We talked about I know. reading Rudolph on the air. We should do that. We haven't done that yet. Mhm. So maybe we could put that on our special December mm-hmm. Saturday as well. Yep. Um, Pat- yep. Re- re- read time with Patricia. What? When Patricia reads to the kitties, the Yesterday USA kid- kidlets. Yes. 
I can do that. I are good. I are able to read. You are. See spot run. You know, and you probably could read at a very young age out loud pretty well. Yeah, I I, I was good at reading early. So, see, you could have been a, a child radio star. I, I could have been a child writer. You could have written your own shows and acted in them. Yeah. On the radio. Yeah. I could have been honey on I know. Weekly Man. I know. Hello, hello, hello. Do, 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 do. She was so adorable. And Dan in Indiana found information about the, um, there were three. Yeah. I think we mentioned that one night, and I had some. Biographical. I had an obituary from the New York yeah. Times about her, but it was it was very sketchy. There was, you know, nothing remarkable about it. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to know that we actually have names of the people yep. who did such wonderful work. Are it's nice, and it concerned the series on for about seven years, from forty-seven to fifty-four was, or yeah, something. Yeah, it was a long series, and yeah. it was so magical. It really today is magical to listen to. Really enjoy it. And I listened to a lot of Fibber this week, and I listened to Phil Harrison LSA. Did you smile throughout the week then? Huh? Did you smile throughout the week? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, that's, yeah. That's important. I'm doing other stuff, and I have headphones with a long cord. Gee, I usually tie it up. I think it's 25 feet. That's a lot of walking in a 600-square-foot <laughs> apartment. You can cover a lot of territory. Sure. So, okay, I've got... All of your questions in front of me. I have Stump Walden, Walden's brain teaser, your presidential question and presidential quote, your first lady quote, and your baseball quote uh, my, question. My brain teaser first, please. Your brain teaser. Dustin is a nice guy. He was born on December 28th, but his birthday always falls in the summertime. How is that possible? Uh, he was born in another part of the, of the world, like in, I think, Australia. I think they have December 28th. It really is their summer. There you go. Very good. All right. One down. Five love, to go. Love, love, it was love. good. And you got it right off the bat. Wow. You. Okay. What you got? My baseball question. Your baseball question. The Baltimore Orioles shortstop Cal Ripken Jr. holds the record for the number of consecutive games played. How many games over how many years? Uh, I think it was 2,650. I want to say two, but I think I could be off on the last digit. Um, is it 16 years? Boy, oh boy. It was, yes, 16 years, and it was 2,632, not 52. Uh, off by 20. To give you credit for that one. Wow, I would have given you within 50 on either side. Wow. You were darn near on target. Okay, so that's two out of six. My Stump Walden, please. Your Stump Walden, Barry Craig. What was the complete name of the show? Barry Craig, Private Investigator? Nope. One more time. Barry Craig, Private Eye? Nope. One more time. Adventures with Barry Craig. Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. Uh, I thought it was pretty creative. I even yeah, very nice. 
Yeah, Very nice. Now that series was long win between was that the fifties? I'm trying to remember time frame time frame. You, you, if I still have it up here in iTunes. Mm-hmm. So I think we have only on for maybe two seasons, I think. Maybe one. Very great, very great, very great. This is the adorable Patricia who's been with me <laughs> for for a good period of my life. Very great, very great. Here on the USA. We have fun. Um, we love our family, and so uh, it's always been nice to have you guys call us throughout the years, and we thank you for that. You keep us entertained, amused, and a smile. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's the truth. Yeah. Hold on. One second. And, and this is what makes this show unique, is the callers and the, and the wide range of topics we cover. We are a throwback to the Berry Farbers. We don't speak 28 28 languages, Patricia and I combined can do one. Somewhat. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. 1952. Uh-huh. And 50, what, 51 and 52. Okay. Right? Oh, yeah. the way into 54, 55. So I had a long run. Really? What it says. Wow. Okay. I'm kind of tucked in here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go to John Dunning. <laughs> I'll just type in Harry Gregg. Sure. And they spelled his name strangely. B-A-R-R-I? B-A-R-R-I-E. Barry. Yes, 1951 to 1955. I think that's a pretty good run for a very late detective series. Yes. Yeah, and it was a peculiar one as well. It it didn't... I don't know. It it just... the, 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 The dialogue... And the acting, William Gargan's acting, was so such a departure from what we were accustomed to hearing with the hard-boiled detective. Mm-hmm. And he really wasn't a soft-boiled detective. He really was out in the trenches, but had a much calmer, gentler approach well, to I, detective work, I, I think. I think William Gargan was a movie star or movie actor. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if he took that persona from film and took it to the radio. I don't know anything. And he did a couple of other radio shows. Did he do, um, goodness gracious. I have a doctor. Did he? No, he didn't do Johnny Dollar. No, I have a documentary he narrated, but I'm not too sure what else. Some documentary he did to work, but besides Barry Craig, I don't know. A radio show. Hmm. Let me see what IMDb gives him. Mm-mm. Oh, I shouldn't <laughs> Dear me. Uh, do you know what William Gargan did later in life? I think he. I think he was a spokesperson for the Cancer Society. I think it, yes, because he was he, because he um, either he was dying of cancer or they removed his voice and he was talking through. That's exactly right. Yeah. He, he um, had a laryngectomy, or cancer of the throat. He was a smoker and trashed, I mean, his, his entire career. An actor on any medium depends on his voice. Yeah. And that's what he did. He was a spokesperson, an anti-smoking spokesperson for the American Cancer Society. For And he did very well post-surgery. I mean, this was not like surgery and he died in six months mm-hmm. 
he he really had a long good life after that, but it was not acting. Let me see. For most of his time, and he died in he died in 1979 in a plane crash. Wow. No, it says died in flight. So he must have been on an airplane. Okay. Yep. Just in flight, I guess. Um, he had his surgery in 1960, and he died in 1979. That that got to be a scary thing for a passenger to see somebody pass away in their eyes like that. And there's nothing they can yes. do. Yes, I'm giving you all sorts of bad stuff here. Nah. When was he born? Uh, yes, 1960 laryngectomy, and right. he died in 1979. And when was he born? Uh, 1905. 74, okay. Yeah. So he had good surgeons who mm-hmm. did a good job with him, but that is not the ideal life to lead. So anyway, what we need to do is find out what he did in radio. I can do that. You can do anything. Here I am whining about how late it is. Just a minute. You can do anything, Patricia. Martin Kane. He did Martin Kane. Oh, that's right. That is correct. Um, let me see radio. That's not the one I was thinking of. Martin Kane, which was sponsored by U.S. Tobacco. Mm-hmm. Would you believe it? And Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Walden, I swear he sneaked in. It was a short stint. Well, I know I've heard him do some documentary work. Um, well, you know, the best thing to probably do is get Dunning's book up and look at William Garden and then I'll give it the, the other series. Mm. But you don't have to do that tonight. Mm. You can do that another night, like in two weeks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. After all, you've been up for a few hours, my dear. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. So, okay, that was it. William Gargan. All right. Starred as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. And that was the name of the show, which was a bit of a departure from Private Eye, Private Detective, Mm -hmm. Confidential Investigator. Okay, so we've got your presidential question, presidential quote, and your first lady quote. I think Martin King was a TV detective, too, and I think he's done in that, too. They do believe you are correct. Yeah. Let me see. Um, TV, The New Adventures of Martin Kane. And that was, it premiered in 1957 and was distributed in Europe by United Artists for Ziv television programs, but it doesn't say how long mm. the show ran. Oh, well. Do I have to look now? Nope, nope, nope. That'd be something for a few weeks from now. Really? It's a it's a cliffhanger serial. <laughs> oh dear. That's presuming I remember it, you know. I know. Okay. What's next? My uh lady quote, please. Your first lady quote. There is something in this great unsocial house which depresses my spirits beyond expression and makes it impossible for me to feel at home or to fancy that I even have a home anywhere. She didn't like being in the White House. Well, you've been on a run, so let's roll the dice. Okay. Jacqueline Kennedy. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you know what? You took a left-hand turn, yeah. Yeah, I did. You know, that, that indeed might be something she yeah. would have expressed, maybe yeah. not in those particular words. 
but I I agree. I don't I don't know if she liked living in the White House. It's hard to tell. She was inscrutable at times. Bet Bet Truman. No. I don't think Eleanor was said it, but she could probably have justified that. Hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt. I think no, it wasn't Eleanor. I don't I don't know. She was in the early early parts of FDR's terms. I think she was a very acquiescent person. I think she just kind of went with the flow. Uh huh. But maybe later on. I'm not sure if she was warm to that. She wasn't warm to, to FDR by well, any means. Let's put it this way. Over 12 years in that in that office was a pretty long time to be to be there. Yeah. And she had her own interests. Yeah. It was wonderful. I mean, the woman had yeah. a, a brain bigger than his ego. Yeah. And uh, it it was so great that she had outlets and was able to put it to work and, yeah. and do make differences in people's lives, not just in her own life, but other people's as well. That was pretty cool. Okay. Mary Todd Lincoln. No. I was going to move on without giving you the answer. <laughs> Lisa Adams, wife of John Quincy Adams. Oh. Hated it, being in the White House. Mm. Oh, a lot of wives who just didn't want to touch that with a fork. Mm-mm. No, because... Or would I, but... You know, there were some people who... Some women, some first ladies, who really... Who? Threw themselves into the role of first lady. Who do you think? Who, who, who's on that Patricia list? What? That you think that really got into it? I think Rosalind Carter did. Mm-hmm. And I think... In terms of being a first lady, stand by my man type, I think Bess Truman. I don't think she didn't like it. I'm not sure she loved it, but I, I don't think she really did, disliked it terribly. What do you think Nancy Reagan? <clears throat> I don't think Nancy liked being... Well, no, erase that. Yeah. Erase that. Yes, I think she liked being in public view. I think she, she thrived on that. Which was why she was such a great actress. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, 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 you know, others. Now, you know, Abigail Adams was a very, you know, John relied on her a lot because of her intellect and everything. I, yeah, you know, was probably a partnership in some ways for them yeah. that they could talk about these topics. I think Barbara Bush was her own person, and it didn't make yeah. any difference which house she was living in the White House. No, she could stick there and call the grandkids up and said, eh. yeah. Hey, Millie had puppies. You want one? <laughs> <laughs> Millie did have puppies when she was in the White House. Uh, I wish I kept a copy of the recording when she did, when she read some Christmas stories on the ABC radio network during Christmas time, I think around 92 or so. So they were syndicating that. That's probably out there today. Now I have to find out when Millie had puppies. Uh, 1989. The assistance on this is so fun. Um, let's see. Puppies, puppies, where? Who are the most, some of the most famous cats in the White House? Oh, that was Socks, was Bill Clinton's, okay. and Hillary Clinton's cat, or Chelsea's. Right. 
Somebody. Somebody else had a cat? No, I mean somebody in that Clinton household could claim the cat. Or the cat claimed oh, them. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Let's see, number one. 1989. So where was George H.W. Bush in terms of presidency? In it was in the uh, first year. Now I've been in the first year. Okay, so Millie did have her puppies in the White House. <laughs> U.S. Army veterinarian Stephen Caldwell helped her. She couldn't do it all by a little self? Well, I don't know. She, well, the, it's nice to have help. I know. The women on the plains did everything themselves. Yeah. The Native American women frequently just went off into the woods for a little while to be private and came back with a baby. I mean, um, but now, see, all the guys think oh, they need help. I don't know. Can you imagine... Can you imagine what females might think? You hear a guy coming in with the camcorders to, the, to videotape the birth of their child. I, I you know, not I, mine. I, I, I can <laughs> just, I can just imagine, for some females, let's not bother with that. Others, okay, but I think most of them probably would just not, not have no, that be not, videotaped. Not, not the situation I would like to be filmed. No. In. Honey, smile. When you kicking, when that baby coming out, smile. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. It's a guy thing. I guess so. It's a guy thing yeah. with the cameras. Okay, so we got a presidential question and a presidential quote. Presidential quote, please. I walk slowly, but I never walk backward. Teddy Roosevelt. No. He probably walks yeah. fast and never walked backwards. Um. Joe R. Ford. No. Interesting. Huh. Ulysses S. Grant. Abraham Lincoln. Wow. I had always had the sense that he was probably a slow walker. Mm -hmm. That it, it was a deliberate pace. And, of course, he was so tall. And he could cover a lot of distance with his leg stride that would take other people more steps to accomplish. So maybe maybe that gave him that reputation. But that's what he said. I walk slowly, but I never walk backwards. It would be interesting. You know, I think he was 6'4". Mm -hmm. He was. And the average man at that time was probably 5'7", five, 5'6", five, would be my guess. So he, if you think about it, he was... Very tall. At least 10 inches taller than the average man, probably. Yes, yes. Even my dad, when we were growing up, uh -huh. he was 6'5", and, you know, he'd walk into a room and he'd get stupid people say, hey, how's the weather up there? <laughs> <laughs> he would yeah. and say, <laughs> oh, he, he had some retorts, and I can't even think <laughs> of what they are. I mean, they were all clean. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't anything terrible. Um you know, or to hower things down in the basement or something. Oh, yeah. You know, it, eventually you get really weirded out with that kind of stuff, as if they were the first people to come up with that silly comment. Well, I was just thinking about my, my dad, brother, middle brother, Herb. He was 6'4", but he carried 300, 300 pounds without it looking fat. No, he wouldn't, not at 6'4". And so if my dad said, when he stepped into he filled the room. You know, when you're that, that, carrying that kind of weight mm -hmm. and that kind of size, 
you know, it's, well, after all, he did chase a grizzly bear with a stick in Yellowstone National Park, so what can I say? I think he did more than the stick. <laughs> I, would, I would be more afraid of him than of the stick, <laughs> even if I were a bear. Yeah. Okay, so now you are down to your presidential question. All right. Who was the first president to appear on television? Well, I'm going to spare me to entertain Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It was. Do you know? I would, hmm. gu- I would guess around 1939. It was April 30th, 1939, at the opening ceremonies for the World's Fair. And we have the radio broadcast of that day. Do we? Yep. Oh, how cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of my list. I still have an awful lot of Halloween and an awful lot of War of the Worlds. Well, you want to you want you want to go over it for a while? Or you want to? No, I I think it would take us until you're not going to be here next week to go over everything that I put together. Well, you know, we could well, sit, we, we could we could sit there and pre-record one afternoon for two hours straight and just play it back. Oh, I could just read into it, huh? Yeah. Then <laughs> on January fourth, nineteen seventy-two. We uh, had this happen. Uh, um, the worst, the world's information that I dug up was really fun to read. I and bet. I'm just so sorry. I don't care how many people did or did not wind up in a panic. There were people who did. And it must have been a terrifying time for them. Yep. Just terrifying. I didn't, I didn't realize you, your, your grandmother went through that period. That, that oh, I know. And my heart just hurts. Here is this woman who could barely speak English. Yeah. She certainly wasn't listening to the radio. And you look out, and everybody's running out of town. You jump on the bandwagon and yeah. what's going on and hope somebody will explain it to you. It, it just it irritates me that so many people are so hypercritical today without recognizing that radio was the only medium of communication people had. True. So if one got hysterical whole neighborhood was all you needed was a henny penny yep oh dear well i'm finished all right everybody well patricia can have next saturday off we'll be broadcasting live from the spurback convention so with that patricia you want to say good night to the family i will say good night to the family i will be back in two weeks walden will be here next week with john and larry thank you for being with us you make it so much fun for us have a good week everybody Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia, and we'll talk to everybody tomorrow here on Yesterday USA. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing, everything the traffic will allow. Where could you get that happy feeling when you were stealing that extra power? There's no people like show people, they smile when they are low. Even with a turkey that you know will fold, you may be stranded out in the cold. Still, you wouldn't change it for a sack of gold. Let's go on with the show. 
like show business, like no business I know. You get word before the show has started that your favorite uncle died at dawn. Top of that, your ma and pa have parted. You're broken hearted, but you go on. There's no people like show people. They don't run out of dough. Yesterday they told you you would not go far. That night you open and there you are. Next day on your dressing room they've hung a star. Let's go on with the show. You know, it's been a great year for revivals, and here's a tune that's come back to be as big a hit as when it was new. It isn't fair for you to taunt me. How can you make me care this way? It isn't fair for you to want me if it's just for today. It isn't fair for you to thrill me. Why do you do the things you do? It isn't fair for you to fill me with those dreams that won't come true, dear. Why is it you came into my life? Made it complete. You gave me just a taste of high life. If this is love, then I repeat. It isn't fair for you to taunt me. How can you make me care this way? It isn't fair for you to want me if it's just for today. Got a tune now that's brand spanking new and already shows promise of going places. It's a ballad I recently recorded, and the title is Say When. If you've had enough of my arms, say when. If you've had your fill of my charms, Say when You don't need to be afraid to say That we are through I think by now I know For my heart has turned 
told me so If you've had enough of my dreams Say when You have shattered all of my schemes But then Maybe someday you'll be sorry And want my loving again So if you want to come back Say Escape, escape. Alt tab, my documents, my doc, Alt F4, Alt tab, Skype, sign and editing, Alt F4, Alt tab, sound.